Well, it's goodbye to the elevator music. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> All right, Cincinnati, it is time for this town to get down. You got Johnny. Dr. Johnny Fever, and I am burning up in here. What? We all in critical condition, babies. But you can tell me where it hurts. Because I got the healing prescription here from the big KRP musical medicine cabinet. Now, I am talking about your 50,000 watt intensive care unit, babies. So just sit right down, relax, open your ears real wide and say, give it to me straight, doctor. I can take it. Yeah, that was Howard Hespin on WKRP in Cincinnati during the first season. And the reason we opened with that is that he passed away just around the time of last week's radio. I didn't find out till afterwards at the age of 81. And I actually really liked two shows that he was in. One of them, WKRP in Cincinnati, which I just played that clip from. You probably know that show really well. One that was not known quite as well, but people were aware of in the 80s was Head of the Class, which was actually kind of his show. When I say his show, it was built around him, where he was one of several characters on WKRP. He played uh, Dr. Johnny Fever, and that was an ensemble cast. Head of the Class was kind of an ensemble cast, except uh, it starred him. He starred as the teacher, and then a bunch of Young people, mostly young adults playing teenagers, but they were supposed to be teenagers. They were the ensemble cast surrounding him. So the show was basically built around him. In fact, some people came over who had previously been on WKRP in Cincinnati, or not on there, but uh, worked behind the scenes at WKRP in Cincinnati. Some of them came over with him to head of the class, which started about four years after WKRP went off the air. And I actually saw head of the class taped in Burbank Studios in 1986. That was one of two shows that I've seen taped, and uh, I could actually go see another one, I think. I I have an open invitation that I just haven't uh, taken this person up on. In fact, this person you've heard on this show, and that would be Vintage One, who is sometimes co-host here when he isn't too busy. And I know I have an invitation to go over to the show that uh, he's been working on. I should contact him about that because i'd like to do that i actually have not been to a show taping in a very long time but i was at head of the class in 1986 during the first season of that show but i really like both programs for different reasons and i actually picked up wkrp later head of the class i watched at the time it was on from like 86 to 90 it was actually on for a final year for a fifth year from like 90 to 91 that i really didn't watch because uh Howard Hessman left and the show went to crap, but I watched every episode the previous four years, and then uh, WKRP I found later on as an adult, and I really liked it. It, in fact, aged very well. There's some things about it you can tell are old, but uh, you can watch it and still appreciate it very much, especially if you're a fan of radio, as I am. Howard Hessman died of complications of colon surgery. 
but he didn't have the surgery recently, and that's pretty unusual. When you hear somebody dies from complications of any surgery, it tends to either occur during the surgery or shortly after, sometimes while they're recovering, sometimes uh, within days or weeks, but you usually don't have somebody die of complications of surgery more than six months after they had the surgery. But that was the case with Howard Hassman. He had the surgery about six months ago. I'm not sure of the details. Originally, the rumor that went around Hollywood was that he died from a slip and fall accident, which is not hard to believe because that does happen to a lot of old people where they slip and fall and it kills them. But that is not how Howard Hassman died. In fact, I got uh, a rare piece of bad information from Harry Hollywood, who usually has it all correct, but this time he got the wrong piece of info. He actually had died of complications of colon surgery. The death was first reported by his old friend Lorraine Newman, who worked with him in the stand-up comedy world many, many years ago. And it wasn't verified for several hours, so people didn't quite know what to say, because this wasn't reported anywhere, but Lorraine Newman was saying it on her Twitter account, and it was hard to believe she would be making this up or have the wrong information. And indeed, she had the right information. He was actually about to be 82. He was going to be 82 in February, but he didn't quite make it. Anyway, while I definitely didn't have the same politics as the guy, and you know, personally, he and I didn't have very much in common, but I, I liked uh, his work, and I liked uh, the two shows he was on, And I don't usually get sad when celebrities die because I don't know them personally. They don't know me personally. So it's hard to get emotional over celebrity deaths. But uh, when it is someone who is on a show or multiple shows that I liked a lot, then it it does affect me a little bit because I just know that person isn't going to be there anymore. And I have the memories of watching them so much on TV and they're just gone. Kind of felt the same way when uh, James Garner died because I'm a big Rockford Files fan. Anyway, we have a free roll tonight, but you can't get in anymore because we started very late tonight. The free roll is currently going, but registration is closed. (laughs) I could have told you to get in there while I was ranting about Howard Hessman, but I don't know. I didn't feel like stopping. We only had a few minutes anyway. It started at 9.30. You could get in until 9.55. It's presently 9.58, so too late. But there are people in there playing. I almost reset it, but then I, I saw there were enough people already, and it was already like 10 minutes in. I'm like, you know what? I don't want to reset it and piss people off, so I'll just leave it. I will just leave it. And those who got in, got in, and those who did not get in, did not get in. We are giving away... $50 this week, $40 came from Belly Buster, who gave a lump donation a while back, and we keep using pieces of that, so I thank him, and Mr. Wallace gave $10, so thank you to the two of them, $25 for first, $15 for second, $10 for third on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. You can find the free roll rules, including whether you qualify for the free money, at PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll, PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll all lowercase, exactly as it sounds. You need a separate account on the No Fraud Online Poker Room to get in. That is a different account than you would have on the form. 
If you want to call the show, the phone number is 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355 is the number. We also have the Mount Charleston line. The Mount Charleston line is an old 70s rotary phone, which forwards to me wherever I go. It's that simple. And that phone number is 702-430-1808. 702-430-1808 is the Mount Charleston line. And the Mount Charleston line is one you cannot text. But what you can text is the main number, 775-372-8355. And that will allow you to text me anytime, before, after, or during the show, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Never feel like it's the wrong time to text me. Because anytime, any time of the day or night is the right time to text me. And I will respond to you. And I will even read your text on the air unless you ask me not to. If you don't text me during the show hours, then I won't uh, read your text on the air. Only if it comes in during the show. We have a chat room. You can go in there. You need a form account in good standing to get into the chat room. And that's only useful during the live broadcast. But if you are listening live, you may want to go into the chat room. I check it every so often, but I do everything with this show. I don't have a show engineer. I don't have a call screener. I don't have a research assistant. I don't have a producer. I'm the one who does everything here. I don't have a tech guy. I, I'm all of those things here. So there's only so much I can do at once and talk. So I will check the chat room every so often. If you want me to see something while I'm live on the air, you can text me. That's probably the best way to get a hold of me. The chat is more to chat with others who are listening live. There's a lot of ways to listen to the show. If you're not listening live, you can find it in the archives, which is on many podcasting apps that you might be familiar with. We have iTunes. We have Google Podcasts, Spotify. We did not quit Spotify, even though Joe Rogan has controversial people on his show who talk about COVID. I'm not going to boycott Spotify, so we're going to remain on Spotify. It's good news. We have iHeartMedia. We're on there as well. We are on TuneIn, which also has a way to listen to the show live. We are on Stitcher. Bullhorn, and Bullhorn has its own call to listen line, which I'll explain in a second, which we have for the show internally as well. And uh, then you can also download or play the MP3 of the show. Just click on the MP3 button. All this is on the radio tab. You can find all the links to these different ways to listen off the radio tab on PokerFraudAlert.com. Just scroll to the bottom and you'll see. Or just go into those apps and search Poker Fraud Alert Radio and put spaces between Poker Fraud and Alert. So type in Poker Space Fraud Space Alert. And, of course, Amazon Alexa is the last option. You can say, Alexa, play Poker Fraud Alert podcast. Say it slowly. Alexa, play Poker Fraud Alert podcast, and it will play the last episode. And you can go to the previous one by saying, next. A lot of ways to listen. You can use the call to listen line to listen to the show. You can listen live with the call to listen line, or if you call it when we're not live, it'll play a random show from the past. We have more than 400 episodes dating back almost 10 years. The call to listen line's phone number is 605 313 706 605-313-0736 
It does not require a smartphone. It does not require a data plan. It does not require a computer or the internet. And it won't use any of your data. And you don't even need a good cell phone signal to call it. You don't even need a cell phone to call it. Any phone that can dial, can make a regular phone call, can listen to the show. 605-313-0736. It will never buffer. It will never freeze. It will just play. It'll just work. And it's free as long as you can call the U.S. for free. Except... If you have T-Mobile, it's one cent per minute. We have an alternate number as well, 641-741-1095. You can find all these phone numbers on the radio tab of PokerForAlert.com if you forget them. So try the Call to Listen line. It's pretty cool. We've had over a million minutes listened to on the Call to Listen line in its history. I'm going to give the agenda, and then we're going to get going. We had a major controversy on Hustler Casino Live. Another player knows the other guy's cards scandal. Not quite as bad as the one that took place on Stones, which we've talked about extensively and I got sued over because of stuff I said. Fortunately, that lawsuit has been dropped and fortunately I was victorious, but uh, wasn't pleasant. But anyway, this is not about Stones. This is about Hustler Casino Live and a player named Skills Rocks who appears to have been looking at one of his opponent's hole cards and making decisions based upon that. Gambling coaching scammer Christopher Mitchell has finally been terminated from YouTube. He's finally had his channel removed after two years of scamming. And it should have happened a long time ago, but YouTube is not very good at policing these things, even when you try to direct them to the scam that's going on and explain why it should be removed. YouTube ignores it. That's a big problem with YouTube. But anyway, they did remove his channel. I will give you my opinion as to how that happened, and then I'll tell you what has happened since his channel was removed. There's been a number of things that have occurred since that time. So, big situation with that, especially if you've been following Christopher Mitchell. But he's not gone yet, let me just say that. A Vegas tourist won a $229,000 jackpot, except one little problem. Due to a machine malfunction, he was not aware that he won the jackpot, and he went home without it. Even worse, he was not using a player's card, so they couldn't tell who it was. So they had to find him. And Nevada Gaming had to do a big investigation to figure out who this guy was, and they used some interesting ways to locate him. A player on America's Card Room who plays under Eddie Town 23 claimed the site stole $10,600 from him and would not tell him why they were closing his account and taking his money. He came to Poker Fraud Alert and posted about it, and asked for our help, and we gave him our help. And I will tell tell you how that ended up. It does have a conclusion. There was a massive outage on legalized poker stars in the U.S. Remember, poker stars operates in a few states in the U.S. legally, and these are different sites that take place in each state where it's allowed. But it, it was a massive outage for poker stars. It lasted several days, and it affected Foxbet, the sports betting partner, as well. So we'll talk about what happened there and the rumors about it. 
Crystal Cruises, which is a luxury cruise line, and I actually know a lot about it, even though I've never been on a Crystal Cruise. I've considered it, but I've just never been on one. I'll tell you why when I get to that segment. But I know a lot about them. I've actually learned a lot about them long before this recent controversy. But Crystal Cruise ships were seized this past week, and there were two people aboard who you probably know from poker. And they've been speaking a lot in the media about what happened. So I'll tell you about the saga of Crystal Cruises and which poker players were on the ships when it happened. More NFL Vegas trouble. This time it does not involve the Las Vegas Raiders, but it does have to do with an NFL player who got in trouble in Vegas. I think they have to ban all NFL players from Vegas, except the ones that play for the Raiders or visiting teams coming to play the Raiders, and then they have to sequester them so they don't get in any trouble. Because I think the entire NFL is going to get arrested if they're allowed in Vegas. It seems to be going that direction. So I'll tell you about the latest NFL trouble. Over $3 billion, not million, but billion dollars in Bitcoin was seized by the feds related to a hacking that occurred over five years ago. And finally, this is poker fraud alert, but we're also going to be crowdfund fraud alert tonight and talk about a theft, an attempted theft at least, by GoFundMe. They attempted to steal $9 million from a campaign to raise money for the Ottawa truckers who are currently protesting COVID restrictions in Canada. But GoFundMe tried to steal $9 million. And no matter how you feel about the Ottawa truckers and that whole controversy, I don't think you're going to approve of what GoFundMe tried to do. And they almost got in big trouble. Yeah. Very shady, that company. No coronavirus segment this week. Why? I don't know. Just I don't feel there's enough new stuff to say. And we're just going to take a week off of COVID talk. First of all, before we start, I want to tell you why this show is on Tuesday night, because this is being broadcast on Tuesday, February 8th, 2022. Right now it's 10.09 p.m. Pacific time. The show was originally scheduled for Sunday, so we're two days late. We were never going to be on Saturday. I I had uh, some plans with family that day, so I knew I could not make Saturday, as we've been the last few weeks. But why not Sunday? Why not Monday? Well... The reason's pretty simple. I was tired. (laughs) Now, what do I mean tired? Was I sick? No. What happened was I was on this sleep schedule where I was, number one, not sleeping all that well, and number two, I was waking up early and then having a hard time getting back to sleep. So I kept waking up between like 4.30 and 6 in the morning, and then I, I couldn't get back to sleep. And it was very windy here, so it was making a lot of noise from the wind outside. And uh, so I, I don't know why I kept waking up at that time, but I couldn't get back to sleep. And I was having trouble taking naps during the day to get some sleep back. So by the time the usual hour of this show rolled around in the late evening, I was exhausted. And, you know, if I had to tough out one or two hours of the show, I could have done it. But I'm like, oh, my God, I can't sit down and do a six-hour show right now. I just can't. And, yeah, I could have forced myself to, but the show would have sucked because I would have sounded very low energy, kind of like Jeb Bush. I would have sounded like Jeb Bush for six hours. I don't think he would have wanted that. So 
I decided I'm going to delay it one day. And then yesterday, Monday, I felt the same way. And I said, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go lie down for about an hour. And then hopefully I'll be recharged enough to do the show. So I went to go lie down for about an hour and I wasn't able to wake up. I was able to barely wake up enough to go on my phone, not even on my computer, and change the date of the show to the next day and cancel the free roll and say it'll be Tuesday. So today I was tired too. Today was kind of the same deal. But I said, you know what? I can't delay this any longer. And it's not quite as bad as the other days. And I I did nap a little bit before the show. So I forced myself awake. And here I am. And hopefully it'll be okay. So that's why we had our delay. Now you may wonder, when's the next show going to be? Because it's Tuesday. Uh, Am I going to bring the show back to Saturday? No, it's definitely not going to be before Sunday and maybe Monday or Tuesday. I don't know. Uh, You'll have to check twitter.com slash pokerfraudalert, which is our Twitter account, at pokerfraudalert on Twitter, or twitter.com slash pokerfraudalert, to find out when the next show is. Also, I'll eventually update the little banner on top of pokerfraudalert.com to give you the date of the next episode. I just don't really know it right now. All right, let's get going. Let's get going and talk about what happened at The Hustler, at Hustler Casino Live. If you notice, we are talking about Hustler Casino Live quite a bit recently on Poker Fraud Alert. Notice that has become the dominant live-streamed poker show, whereas it used to be, for many, many years, Live at the Bike. And Live at the Bike made a grave mistake, and that was letting one Ryan Feldman leave, or they kind of drove him out. They got rid of him. And that was a giant mistake. And I I knew it as soon as it happened. I knew he was a very important figure to Live at the Bike. And they didn't realize what they had there. We had Ryan on this show. He did like an hour and a half interview with us. I forgot what date it was. It wasn't that long ago, though. You can check it out. You can find it in the archives. I had a feeling that Hustler Casino Live had a decent chance to compete with Live at the Bike, but what I did not suspect would be that it would overtake Live at the Bike and do so very quickly. I thought it had a chance to, but it really just dominated right out the gate. And that really showed how Ryan Feldman has very much of a talent in putting these things together. It may seem simple to you guys. You just uh, get the equipment together. You get a casino willing to host it. And then you just run it and it works. But it's not that simple. You have to put together interesting lineups. You have to convince people to play who you think people would want to watch. And these are a lot harder things to do than it appears to be. And that if you think it isn't hard, then ask yourself why... Hustler Casino Live has instantly done so well, and Live at the Bike has faded to the background when Ryan moved over to Hustler Casino Live, which wasn't known because it was new. So Live at the Bike had the advantage of being there forever and people knowing about it, and Hustler Casino Live has overtaken it. And I don't know about the ratings they're getting, but I, I have to imagine Hustler Casino Live is much better. I'm seeing the numbers they're getting that are watching it. It's huge. I haven't checked Live at the Bike, but I doubt it's as big. And we're definitely not hearing much about Live at the Bike these days. So all the talk is about Hustler Casino Live. So from that standpoint, they're doing great. From that standpoint, Ryan has done an excellent job, as I thought he would do. However, it has not been without controversy. 
And we don't shy away from that on this show. On this show, we tell the truth. On this show, we are honest about what's going on. And there have been some controversial players on there. But I will say that these controversial players were not Hustler Casino's lives' fault. For example, there was a guy on there who had a very serious criminal record who defrauded women multiple times, different women multiple times, and it was arrested and convicted for it. And here he was on Hustler Casino Live. He was also accused of rape and some other bad stuff. Like this guy, an awful guy, according to everything I read, and he was on there. And that was found out afterwards. He wasn't invited back, so I can't blame them. They, they can't do a background check of everybody they bring on the show. But he was on there. Then there was another guy that same night who left the game to go to Lakers game, and then he got into an altercation with a Lakers player and was thrown out. Uh, Mickey Maz, we had on this show, was on Hustler Casino Live. That's how a lot of you first got to know who he was. A lot of controversies on there. And all of these were not ones that reflected badly on Hustler Casino Live. It was just that certain people were on there that got criticism about their past or something they did after they left the stream. But this controversy is actually the first one where there's a little bit, I have to say, that Hustler Casino Live could have done better. There is a player who calls himself Skills Rocks, and he appeared to be a very loose player. He appeared to be a player who was very hard to knock off of a hand, someone who would call your bets with light holdings, someone who not only plays trash pre-flop, but if he has any piece of the flop post-flop, will keep playing. And that can be good and bad. It's good if that guy's playing poker normally. In that case, he's going to be losing a lot of money unless he runs really well. But it's bad if he has some kind of edge you don't know about that allows him to cheat, where he appears to be a fish, but maybe he knows more than he's supposed to. Maybe he is playing dishonestly. But look, we already discussed this with Ryan Feldman because of what happened at Stones. There's a lot of people now who are very worried and concerned about these live streams where the whole cards are broadcast, that there has to be good security. So we don't have another situation where it's suspected that a player is being fed the whole cards from the live stream so basically, he's like a live super user. They, and, and Ryan assured us that they are going to be super careful about that. In fact, he said that they don't allow people to be on their phones during Hustler Casino Live for that reason. So I will say that this had nothing to do with the broadcast. What happened at this game could have occurred if there were no whole cards broadcast, if there were no whole card cams. So it has nothing to do with that. This was a good old-fashioned form of suspected cheating. And that was one player who didn't protect his cards very well and another player who decided that he's going to not only try to glance at these cards, but he's going to try very hard to glance at his opponent's cards. And it appeared that he was trying to signal his friend that his friend should fold because the player whose cards he saw had the nuts. And amazingly, this all occurred right on stream. <laughs> I don't get why these players do this 
on these popular live-streamed games. Now, if you're going to cheat, then you should do it when there aren't many people watching, meaning nobody's watching except those at the table. I don't think it's very smart to cheat on the live stream, and I don't want to give advice to cheaters, but I'm going to say this. If you're a cheater, the wrong place to do it is on a live stream because there's a lot of people watching, and if anything funny happens, you're going to get caught, and you're going to get shamed. You're going to get banned from casinos, and everybody's going to hate you. So it's not a good idea. It is not a good idea. If you're going to cheat, do not do it on a live stream. It's very hard to get away with. No matter how smart you think you are, it is very hard to get away with. And that's the problem. Some of these guys, they think they are smart enough to play it off in some way and appear fun-loving and appear lighthearted and appear like action players and no one's going to figure out what they're doing. Well, look, you have a bunch of people watching at home, in some cases thousands or tens of thousands of people, and those people are going to watch and they can watch with no emotion and they can watch and rewind and play back and anything that they find suspicious they will catch it is very hard to fool thousands or ten thousands of people that are watching the game that have the ability to rewind and play back you're never going to fool people that way i don't care how smart you think you are and the people who tend to do this usually aren't even that smart they think they're smart but they're not even that smart (laughs) that's the funny thing is these are not geniuses so we had another one of these it's not nearly as bad or as big as the stones controversy from about two and a half years ago but i will say that this is still pretty bad and i will say that there was some fault on the part of hustler casino live in my opinion not huge fault and i don't think they intentionally did anything wrong but i think they could have done better and i think they know it I don't think they want to say it, but uh, I think they know they could have done better, and I think they're going to be careful not to let this happen again because they're not going to want to screw up a good thing. I mean, they've they've really got a good thing going here. They've really got a successful stream. The last thing they want is a scandal derailing it. Now, this, this is not going to be like the Stones one, which completely got destroyed by it, by their scandal. This is not going to destroy Hustler Casino Live, but it does live, leave a little bit of a black eye there. So let me tell you what happened. So Hustler Casino Live is running a lot of big games. This game was a 10-20-40 no limit, which is a fairly big no limit game. This is not anywhere near the biggest game they're running. They they run 100-200 sometimes on that stream. So big money is being played for at the Hustler on these streams. But I will say that it's not always pro players in these games. And that's another thing that Ryan Feldman is very good at, is bringing wealthy recreational players into these games. So you're not just watching these top pros who are playing GTO trying to scratch out small edges against one another. You you get a lot of action regulars in the game, and you have uh, action recreational players in the game And you have a lot of different personalities in the game. And that's where someone like Ryan Feldman comes in to put together a lineup that uh, is interesting to watch. So in this particular game, there is a recreational player named Barry. And 
he happened to end up at the table next to this guy, Skills Rock. Skills Rock's real name is Julio Cedillo, C-E-D-I-L-L-O, Julio Cedillo, also known as Skills Rocks. Barry, I don't think is well-known at all. I think he was kind of new to the game. He is a recreational player. And uh, Skills Rocks, he already had kind of a bad reputation, but I don't know if Hustler was aware of his reputation. Now, I will say I didn't know who he was prior to this. So this it's not like his reputation was so well-known that I was aware of it too. I actually saw part of this stream. I uh, didn't see it live when the controversial hands happened, but I saw part of this stream, and I saw the Skills Rocks guy, and I, I didn't think, oh, you know, this this guy has a bad rep. I only found out later, but a number of people came to me. A number of people messaged me and said, hey, you know the Skills Rocks guy? He's bad news. Let me tell you about him. And even people put it out on Twitter as well. So those two ended up next to each other. Barry, a recreational player who seems like a nice guy, and Skills Rocks, who does not seem like a very nice guy. So there was one hand in particular that really drew the ire of the poker community. Skills Rocks had 9-7 suited. Barry had 10-8 offsuit. And Skills Rocks' friend, who was next to him on the other side, named Antonio, had Ace-4 offsuit. And the flop was Ace-7-9. At this point, there was uh, a little bit of suspicion already from Barry that something was wrong with the way Skills Rocks was acting. Barry was already concerned about this guy, that something about him was off. But this hand really caused the problem. So remember, Skills Rocks has 7-9 suited. Antonio, who's Skills Rocks' friend, has Ace-4 off. And Barry has 10-8 off suit. The board is Ace-7-9. So everybody's got a piece of it. Antonio's got top pair with a bad kicker. Barry has an open-ended straight draw. And Skills Rocks has bottom two pair. So looks like an action hand. Antonio bet 1,000. And both people called the flop. Actually, a lot less action on the flop than I would suspect would usually happen there. The turn made it even more interesting because the turn was a six of spades, which then made the board completely rainbow. So there was no flush draw possible anymore. And that also gave Barry the absolute nuts. With 10-8, he had now had the straight. Now, he didn't have them both drawing dead. He had Antonio drawing dead, but uh, Skills Rocks still had a draw to a full house. He needed a nine or a seven to make a full house. Now, admittedly, that's only four outs, but he did have a way still to win. Antonio was drawing dead, but Barry really had them crushed here. Barry had a 94% chance for his hand to hold up, which is pretty damn good against two opponents on the turn, even if currently holding the nut straight. So on the turn, Antonio bet 2400 but he actually said as he was betting he actually said that skills rocks just kicked his foot uh-oh now do you think skills rocks just had like a foot spasm you think skills rocks just sitting there and then all of a sudden his foot just kicks out and kicks his buddy antonio when Antonio's betting into the nuts? Or you think it's possible that Skills Rocks knew 
that Barry had the nuts and was trying to give his buddy a signal. Hey, you know, don't bet like that. You're betting into the nuts here and you're drawing dead. Or you're probably drawing dead. He didn't know what Antonio had for sure, but he knew that Antonio didn't have better than Barry because Barry had the best possible hand. So Antonio didn't get it and mentioned how he was being kicked. (laughs) Oops. Barry then asked out loud, are you all kicking each other? Obviously, he's suspicious now. He's not worried about them playing footsie under the table. He's worried that uh, they're giving each other signals. And then Skills Rock says back, no, 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 I'm moving my fucking foot. Well, Skills Rocks, without even waiting that long, tossed his hand. He tossed his hand for 2400 bucks in this pot. That doesn't make any sense. Keep in mind, the guy that was betting here was behind him, Antonio. Antonio just had top pair. He's betting 2400 And Skills Rocks, without even thinking that much, tosses bottom two pair without even seeing what was going to happen yet with Barry. So it's not like Barry put in a big raise and he's like, you know what, I don't like bottom two pair here. Actually, at this point, it was middle two pair. But I can see where for a lot of money, you don't want to put a lot in with middle two pair because you could be drawing dead. Like against pocket aces, you'd be drawing dead. Against 10-8, you're drawing very thin. You're drawing to four out. So if uh, you think someone has a straight or you think someone's got uh, pocket aces or ace nine or something like that, then you're you're in very bad shape with nine seven there. But you don't just fold to someone betting out the turn who bet the flop also. So he folded it. Barry decided to slow play especially with Skills Rocks out at this point, and called. River was a five, obviously meaningless, except uh, it does make it a bit more scary for Antonio since uh, now a single eight would be a straight there. But uh, Barry checked again and moved all in for his last 4,000. Of course, Barry snapped, called to the nuts, and took down the pot, which was actually near 20K. People were very upset who were watching this, and Barry was worried too, that something wrong happened during this hand. Now you may say, well, what do you mean? Barry got all of Antonio's money there. Antonio put every chip he had in front of him into the nuts of Barry's hand, and Barry took all of it there. So what's the problem? Well, the problem is that in this hand, Antonio didn't realize that his buddy was kicking him under the table to not bet like this. So he didn't understand why he's being kicked. So he kept betting, thinking that uh, maybe he can get Barry off the hand, not realizing that Barry had uh, an open-ender on the flop and uh, pulled up the nuts on the turn and was just slow-playing it. So the problem here is with Skills Rocks. Skills Rocks folded a strong hand, which is strong unless you know somebody has you crushed, and folded it pretty quickly, and kicked his buddy when his buddy was betting into the nuts of the third opponent. So viewers looked at this and said, wait a minute, this doesn't look good. This looks like that Skills Rocks knew what Barry was holding. And keep in mind, again, Barry is a recreational player. Barry is the type of player you want in a game like this. You, If you're going to play in a high-stakes game like this, you want some recreational players in there because it makes the game better, it makes it more profitable for you. So the last thing that should be happening here is cheating the recreational players. It's hard enough for them to be going up against pros. 
But here, it looks like the recreational player they invited was getting cheated. So that is not good. I'm going to play with the stream here at 4 hours, 15 minutes, 56 seconds. And this is actually a different hand, which is also suspicious. Listen to this. Ten in the door. So in this flop, this is another hand, by the way, at 4 hours, 15 minutes, 56 seconds. Skills Rocks versus Barry. Skills Rocks has Queen 3 offsuit. And neither of these guys are in the blinds, by the way. It shows you what kind of game this is. So it's Queen 3 offsuit against 10 6 suited. And uh, Skills Rocks has an open ender with just the Queen, Queen 3 offsuit on a 10 jack king board. And then Barry just has a bottom pair. So Skills Rocks technically has the worst hand, but he's the one at least with a decent draw, whereas. Uh, Barry doesn't really have anywhere to go. Is Barry the best of it? Skills Rocks bluffing into him. Open-ended. But it's close to a coin flip. Yeah. Whoa. He's all in blind. Whoa. This is just awesome. And this is going to work. So that was when people thought already was a little bit weird. Now, yeah, he had the open-ender. But that's a very wet board. A wet board, for those of you that don't know, means a board that a lot of people could have a piece of. A dry board, for example, would be queen, seven, deuce, all different suits, because there's not many things you could have there that's a piece of that board. You could have a top pair with a queen. You could have a set, maybe two pair with something like queen, seven, but there's not much you could have. No one's going to have a flush draw or a straight draw on queen, seven, deuce, rainbow. So that's a very dry board. A wet board is something like 10 jack, king. There's a lot of things you could have that's a piece of 10 jack, king. So... Here, Skills Rocks goes all in against Barry with just an open-ended straight draw and nothing else. Why? Well, if he knows that Barry only has bottom pair with no draw, Barry's not going to call that. So that, that was a suspicious hand. And of course, Barry did fold. That's the type of thing you can really only do confidently if you know your opponent doesn't have something strong and is never going to call you. So it just makes it look like you're doing a ballsy semi-bluff when in reality you know your opponent's just weak and is not going to call a big bet there on, on a board like that. Here's another hand at the 418 mark for four hours, 18 minutes. On the show. So Skills Rocks has uh, Ace-Queen. <laughs> Barry has 10-4 offsuit. And then there's a third person in there, uh, a woman named Candy with pocket sevens. The, dealers the board is King-2-3. So none of them love this board. Barry's completely missed it, of course. Skills Rocks uh, only has ace high, and uh, Candy has pocket sevens unassisted with a king high board. If you're loving. So, so still uh, on the turn, it's now king two, three, three. A second three fell on the turn. Didn't change it for anybody. Candy's still with the best hand, but either she's ahead of everybody and won't get action, or she's way behind. So she can't be loving her hand either. Still the best of it, and Barry's going to bluff... With 10 high. So Barry bluffs with 10 high. Remember, Barry's just a recreational player. He decides since everybody checked on the King 2 3 board, which is a dry board. Everybody checked around on the flop. Barry said, okay, I'll take a shot at it and bet. He has nothing. And so Candy is still in. She, she called the turn bet. She wasn't believing it, which is correct. So on the river. Barry hits the four. Remember, he has 10-4 offsuit. The board was king-2-3-3, three, three, so he was just outright bluffing at it on the turn 
but then he picked up a pair of fours on the river. So he bets 2,000 at that point, thinking he might have the best hand, thinking maybe Ace High will call him and he will take it down. So he bets 2,000, and Skills Rocks at that point goes all in. Skills Rocks goes all in over Barry's bet. Now, the big problem here with that all-in, see, Barry bet 2,000, Skills Rocks went all-in for another 10. The big problem with that all-in when you have Ace High, like Skills Rocks had, was that either the, pro- the, either the person's probably calling you because they have you beat and they know it, they've got something strong or semi-strong, or they're totally bluffing and won't call. So this is one of the few hands that you could run off where they run into a pair of fours at the end. Maybe a king. Maybe you can get the opponent to lay down the top pair with a king, but given it skills rocks, who puts on a lot of moves and is aggressive in spots like this, you usually have to call them. So this is a terrible move. This is a terrible move unless you know your opponent only has a four and that you can run him off of the hand. Notice he didn't call it, because if he called it, he would have lost. If he folded, he would have lost. The only way he could win the hand with ace high versus a pair of fours on the river would be to check-raise bluff it all in. And the reason he didn't do this in the turn was that on the turn, he was ahead. On the turn, he was ahead with ace-queen versus ten high. And he figured no matter what hits the river, he can check-raise him off. Whether he hits the 10 or the 4, he'll only have second pair. That, plus everything else happening, was very suspicious. This wasn't a loose call with ace high against somebody who's been bluffing. This was a check raise all in. And the big problem with this check raise all in is that it's often going to get called. If Barry had a 3, if Barry had a king, Barry had a set somehow, Barry can have anything. I mean, he's playing 10-4 offsuit, not in the blind. So he could easily have a three. If he could have a four, he can have a three. So imagine firing that off into that pot, that type of all-in. He's risking way too much to win way too little unless he knows he's going to get a fold. All-in. Wow. Unbelievable. Oh, Barry, this is your chance. This is, oh, man. Barry, If Barry finds a call here, dude. If Barry finds a call. Let's go, Barry. This is the time. They're rooting for Barry to call. Put it together. 12,000 he's, he's going all in with. He's doing it. Wow, dude. Barry thinking. He's replaying those other hands. And Barry thinking to himself, what is going on with the skills rock guy? He's constantly... Uh, snap all in on these big bluffs, right? Always a snap all in. Yeah. Barry keeps touching mm-hmm. his chips, man. He is not hes not one to fold He's right considering he's going to call because he, he, he just every time it seems like uh, Skills Rocks is making moves based upon what he's holding. So when you when you suspect someone's cheating against you in some way and knows your cards, you, you can actually exploit that back if you know what's happening and you know they are acting based upon what they see you have. You can actually do the opposite of what they think you're going to do and sometimes beat them. I'm not saying you could beat someone doing that. I'm just saying if if they are cheating you and they can see your cards and they don't realize that you know that, you can actually play back at them. So that's kind of what Barry's trying to do here. 
but he, he can't quite pull the trigger to make this call for 10,000 more. One time. Just with a pair of fours. The fact that he's even considering this I know, just shows how bananas the game is. So oh, my God, no, he folds! So he folds, and then Skills Rocks turns over the Ace Queen to show him and, and needle him. Oh, oh. man. Fucking oh. Again, my boy! And then he shouts, out, yeah, my boy! <laughs> See, this is the worst is when someone is screwing you, and then they rub it in. I had this happen to me on Absolute Poker. Back in 2007, when freaking Grey Cat, who was Scott Tom, the owner of the site, and is playing me heads up and looking at my hole cards, and he's cheering, and he's saying, yeah, yeah, all right. And he's like typing things like that every time he's beating me because he can see my cards, and I don't realize it. Play with me. Don't play with me. Oh. Don't play with me. Don't he's saying. play with me. Oh, shit, my bad. So he's all proud of himself. Don't play with me. You can't value bet that four against me. I'll check raise bluff you all in, buddy. So how was Skills Rocks doing this? Well, I already kind of gave you a hint earlier in the show. People analyzing the stream went back and saw that Barry was not protecting his cards well because he's a recreational player and he just would pick them up and look and he wasn't covering them as he was looking. Now, he wasn't super obvious. He wasn't picking up his cards and putting them in front of his face, but he was not doing a good job protecting his hand. Now, it is the responsibility of every player to protect their hand. And if you don't protect your hand and accidentally show someone your cards, uh, they can't unsee what you've shown them. And if that player then, uh, if they play against you based upon the information you accidentally give them, then that's tough luck on them. However, the etiquette at the poker table, and some of you may or may not know this, but uh, the etiquette at the poker table when someone is routinely accidentally showing their cards because they're not protecting their hand well, the etiquette is to say, hey, you're showing your cards, be careful. You don't just take that advantage. Now, some people do. Some people are unethical and will take that advantage, but you don't do it, especially against recreational players. I guess there's an argument that can be made that an experienced pro who is just not paying attention on a particular day and keeps exposing his hand, maybe you don't have to tell him because he knows better and just isn't doing it. Kind of like a pro sitting down and just playing very poorly or a pro sitting down who's drunk and is playing badly for that reason. That you just say, look, this is this person's a pro. It's their responsibility to play the right way. I still think you should tell them, but I can understand the argument where a known pro, a known winning pro, if they're accidentally showing their cards... Maybe you don't say anything, but I, I still would lean on the side you should say something. But a recreational player, for sure you say it. And I've had this before. I've had this before at the poker table where a recreational player is accidentally showing me his cards or I see someone doing it across the table where I'm not getting their cards, but the person next to him probably is. And either way, whether I'm the one who's benefiting it from, from it or not, I will tell them, hey, you're showing your cards. You have to be careful. And that's the right thing to do. Now, keeping your mouth shut and saying nothing and seeing that person's cards and using that additional information to beat them is unethical. But you know what's really unethical? What's really unethical is then making an effort 
to see their cards to where you're not just happening to see them because they're doing a poor job protecting them, but you're actually looking over to try to see their cards. You're looking down at their cards every time they check so maybe you can catch a glance and see what they're holding. Well, that's what it appears Skills Rocks is doing in the video. And people went back to the stream and they found and took still shots of Skills Rocks doing this. So you can see Skills Rocks leaning into Barry, almost like he wants to hug him. <laughs> He's leaning into him. And as Skills Rocks, as Barry is checking his cards, Skills Rocks, before even looking at his own cards, has his eyes pointed at Barry's cards. So they're both dealt cards. They're right next to each other. And instead of Skills Rocks looking at his hand, he ignores his own hand, leans towards Barry, and looks down at Barry's cards. And then plays just like he knows Barry's cards. So Skills Rocks didn't know anybody else's hands in the game. He didn't know Antonio's hands on his other side. He didn't know any of the other hands at the table except for Barry's because Barry was doing a poor job protecting his cards and he was seeing them and then he's making all these amazing moves and he's needling him about it. Yeah, boy, you don't play that with me. You don't play that. I mean, is that balls or what to do that? So obviously that didn't make Hustler Casino Live look very good because the question came up, why didn't they stop it? Because people in the chat started saying things. People in the chat, remember, this is a very, very well-viewed stream, both live and in their archives. But live, it's got tons of people, thousands of people viewing. So the people viewing the stream are noticing this as it's going on, and they're saying in the chat, this dude's cheating. This guy's looking at Barry's cards. Like They're already figuring it out there. So why is Hustler Casino Live not looking at the chat and halting the game and warning Barry to be careful with his cards and maybe even kicking out skills rocks? Well, I don't know. But here is the statement that Hustler Casino Live put out after this was caught and after this became a big controversy. And they put this out in kind of an unprofessional form. And this surprises me because Hustler Casino Live actually produces things very well. If you watch their show, not only do they have an interesting lineup, but it's also well-produced. It's well-put-together from a video standpoint. And this Twitter statement was actually typed out on an iPhone notepad and posted in two images. And laughably, the two images partially duplicate each other, so it's even hard to follow from the first image to the next because part of the first part of the statement is in the second part of the statement. <laughs> I mean, come on, guys. This is the biggest scandal you've had so far. You could do better than typing out on an iPhone notepad with the red underline of the word skills rocks because the spell checker doesn't think that's a word. I mean, come on. You can do better than that. But anyway, here's the statement. We at Hustler Casino Live think that protecting the integrity of the game is absolutely paramount. We won't stand for things like what happened on last night's episode of Hustler Casino Live. The player known as Skills Rocks will not be welcomed back to Hustler Casino Live or Hustler Casino. So that's interesting. He's been banned both from the stream and from the entire casino. Our show is produced on a long delay. 
Therefore, we were not made aware of any accusations until after the live game was over. After reviewing the situation, we are strongly opposed to the behavior of Skills Rocks. It is certainly each player's own responsibility to protect their cards at all times, but with that said, it is highly unethical to ever look at another player's cards and use that as an advantage. Skills Rocks has acknowledged that what he did is unethical, and he accepts our decision to not welcome him back. That's interesting. So this is their statement, so Skills Rocks didn't directly make the statement to the public, but they're claiming, and I believe them, that they confronted Skills Rocks. They said, hey, did you look at Barry's cards? Yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> that's, a, that's what they're claiming. He's claiming, they're saying, yeah, we confronted him, and he said he did it, and he's acknowledging that maybe he shouldn't have, and he understands why they're not inviting him back. Hmm. So he didn't even deny it. They go on to write, the incident last night was unfortunate, but we will all learn from it and move forward. Protecting our players and the integrity of the game is of the utmost importance. If you have any further questions on this matter, please contact Nick Vertucci or Ryan Feldman. Respectfully, Nick Vertucci and Ryan Feldman, High Stakes Poker Productions. So this Huster Casino Live is owned by Nick Vertucci and Ryan Feldman. It's not owned by the Hustler. It's broadcast from the Hustler. They have a partnership with the Hustler here. But this is their product. This is basically Ryan Feldman's response to being booted out of Live at the Bike. And they're saying, bring it to one of us if anything like this happens again. So it's good they jumped on this right away. If you remember the Stone scandal, they avoided addressing it. And when they addressed it, they lied about it. And then they actually had the nerve to have a a live stream shortly after the whole scandal broke with Mike Postle's brother and actually called him Postle there to needle the people who were criticizing them. So that was especially bad. And that was the last live stream they ever had, to my knowledge. Uh, All that happened is they were getting trolled in their chat relentlessly. (laughs) They, They gave up. They realized they couldn't have any more live streams because all they would do is get trolled. In fact, I believe even if Stones brought back a live stream in 2022... I have to imagine they would just relentlessly get trolled. And and they know that, and that's why they don't bring one back, I, I have to assume. Hustler Casino Live is not going to have the same issue. They will go on here. Because Hustler Casino Live was not giving any information to Skills Rocks, for sure. Skills Rocks was using his own eyes to look at Barry's cards, which were not being protected well. The only problem here is that I'm not sure if Hustler Casino Live really wasn't aware until after the broadcast. And if they weren't, they should have been. They should be reading their own chat. They don't have to chat with everybody. They don't even have to respond to things said in the chat. But they should have somebody monitoring the chat. And the reason you should have someone monitoring the chat is twofold. Number one, there could be things going on in the chat that you wouldn't want to see there. There could be people who are harassing everybody. There could be spammers. There could be trolls. And I don't mean trolls who just say an occasional uh, flippant remark. I mean trolls who are really ruining the chat. You could have people flooding the chat with the same thing over and over again and making it unpleasant to read. And most importantly, the chat also can serve as your eyes and ears. And in a situation like this, the chat can be alerting you to something that's wrong. And then you can take action. So I don't know if they weren't reading the chat. Maybe they weren't. Maybe they've learned from it that they should read the chat in the future. But the delay they're on, I believe, is half an hour. So they say it's on a long delay. It wasn't on that long of a delay. If it was on a three-hour delay, he'd have a point. The chat only sees it on the delay. So yes, 
it would make sense why Skills Rocks was still there after it occurred, because by the time the chat would say something, it would be half an hour later. But what doesn't make sense is why he was there to the end. Skills Rocks ended up winning about 12K in the session, and I have to imagine that was a non-deserved win because of some of the hands we saw where he ended up a winner or ended up losing a lot less than he should have, like in that two-pair hand. So they should have booted him off as soon as the chat was raising issue with this. Or at the very least, warned everybody. Warned Barry to stop showing his cards and warned Skills Rocks that if he does this crap again, he's gone. But I think they should have just kicked him. I think they should have just taken him aside and booted him and then explained to the audience what happened. In fact, had they done that, it would make them look good. Because Hustler Casino Live cannot control if a player doesn't protect his cards well unless they see it and notice, but if, if they can't really see that someone is doing a poor job protecting their cards, which sometimes you can't really see that well on camera, they can't control if that happens, and they can't control if someone decides to take advantage of it and they don't notice it first. So it's not like someone was feeding Skills Rocks information from Hustler Casino Live. That definitely was not happening. So if they got wind of it from the chat room and then they jumped on it right away and booted Skills Rocks from the game, people would say, great, Hustler Casino Live cares so much about integrity that midstream they take care of the problem. But they didn't. They took extra time to do it, and I don't know why. They claim they didn't see it. If they didn't see it, they're making a big mistake not looking at the chat. In any case, I think that uh, Hustler Casino Live needs to watch closer. They need to be aware that this type of stuff's going to happen. Not just this particular thing, but that shady things could happen. I mean, there's other things that could go on there. There could be collusion. There could be soft play. There could be signals people give each other. You know, two buddies at the table. A lot of stuff can go on that involves cheating that doesn't have to do with the live stream. You know, there's live stream cheating where people somehow receive the whole card information But even if you make sure that doesn't happen, which as far as we know has never occurred on Hustler Casino Live, even if you make sure that doesn't happen, there's still the good old-fashioned forms of poker cheating. And we just saw one of them that appeared to happen. Now, let's go back to Skills Rocks and his history. A lot of people came out on Twitter and said that they were aware of Skills Rocks from before and that he has a bad reputation. Apparently... There's people claiming that he was banned from a lot of casinos. People were claiming that he would stiff home games, that he would play home games on credit, and they would allow him to play on credit because he was an action player, because he didn't like folding hands, because he played a style that people felt was a fishy style, and they would give him markers, meaning credit, and then when he'd lose, he would just stiff the games. This is being alleged. I was told that he owes a uh, game in Irvine like 150k. I don't know if this is true. I'm just saying what I was told. I was told that he would get markers because he was uh, an action player and also brought other action players with him. So the home games loved to have him until he would lose and not pay, they claimed. There is some question about how Skills Rocks got into this game in the first place because People believed that Skills Rocks was broke, and yet he had money to play in the game. So people are wondering who put him in. Now, it's possible that he got staked by somebody, 
or he talked his way into a buy-in there. But uh, also some curiosity about that, where, where he got the money to even play in this game. But who knows? I mean, a guy like that can scare up money in a lot of different ways. A poker player named Lynn, so you already had a lot to say about Skills Rocks. Here's what she said. This is on February 3rd. I think she's like 24 years old. She's an Asian female poker player. Don't really know her, but I've seen her around on Twitter. She's hello, it's Lynn, L-Y-N-N-E on Twitter. She wrote, yeah, Julio's a piece of shit. He ran an insane scam on a friend for like 100K when he used some combination of coercion, threats, and blackmail. I was friends with him for a second, went to a game with him and his girlfriend. Then he stiffed me for 1K. Was the first time I've ever been stuffed. (laughs) It's the first time I've ever been stuffed. I think she meant stiffed. (laughs) I have to hope that wasn't the first time she's ever been stuffed. (laughs) It's the first time I'd ever been stuffed. Wasn't expecting it. So while 1K isn't large, I tried to collect. When I approached him in a casino, he proceeded to go fucking berserk and scream at me. Pretty sure it's the only time anyone in poker has ever made me cry, she wrote. This This is a small Asian girl. Not going to lie, pretty crazy he even got on the stream. He's a well-known L.A. scammer, she wrote. And it's not like he scams here and there. That's literally all he ever does. Wow. Pretty strong words by Lynn. I mean, I had very similar stuff written to me privately. I'm not going to say who wrote it to me. But I had people, more than one, come to me privately and say, this guy's a piece of shit and already had a bad rep in the L.A. home game scene. So, yeah, these are allegations by people who are not presenting any proof. And I know how that goes. You know, um, people say things on the internet all the time, and sometimes it's true, sometimes it's not. But when you have a lot of people saying the same thing, like how often in poker have you seen a lot of people saying someone is a scammer and it turns out they're innocent? How often has that ever happened? Once in a while, one guy will accuse one other guy of being a scammer, and it turns out that there's more to the story and the one who was accused was actually innocent or mostly innocent. But how often have you seen where multiple people accuse someone of being a scammer or a cheat and it turns out they're not? Like, almost never. Usually in poker, if a lot of people come forward and say that, then it's true. It doesn't have to be. There could be a situation where somebody is accused by multiple people who aren't associated with one another of being a scumbag in some way and it turns out they're innocent but you know I haven't really seen this happen what I've seen in poker is when multiple people call out someone for unethical behavior that it's true or mostly true and by the way from what I've seen of this Lynn person I don't know her but from what I've seen of her on Twitter she doesn't start drama she doesn't have a bad reputation she's not someone who always plays victim or anything like that. I mean, she seems like a pretty grounded young woman. So I don't think she'd just go make all this up. I don't know her at all, just just my read. So I think if you looked at this, that it would be pretty obvious to you what the situation really is. What can be learned from this? First of all, you got to watch the chat. Second, If you're Ryan Feldman, who's putting this game together, and Ryan Feldman knows a lot more about Southern California area players than I do, 
even though I'm from the area too, I don't pay attention to the whole home game scene in Southern California. I really don't. I, I don't get involved with that. I, I go to this one recreational home game for very little money among friends, but I, I don't go to any of these uh, high stakes or middle stakes home games. There's no reason to. You can just go to a card room. He knows these players. He knows a ton of players in Southern California that I don't know. That's good because then he has an idea of who he's inviting. And just because someone's an action player and is good for the game in terms of entertainment, if you're hearing bad things about the person, you shouldn't invite them. So if Ryan Feldman was aware of this person's reputation, which I don't know if he was or wasn't, but if he was aware of it, he shouldn't have invited him. So that's, that's a lesson they need to take away there, is don't invite people with a shady rep to the game. You don't even need concrete proof that the person you're inviting is shady. If you heard they're shady, then just don't invite them because nobody has a right to be invited to the game that's on the stream. You who puts the stream together and puts the players together in the stream, you choose who's there. So if you hear bad things about someone, you don't bring them. It's that simple. In fact, they make decisions every day who comes on there. If there's only one seat left and it's between an action player and a nit, who do you think they're going to put in there? They're going to put the action player. If it's between a player who's interesting and exciting for the stream and someone who's boring, who's going to be put there? Probably the interesting player because they're trying to put together an entertainment product. And I understand that. But you also have to make sure it has integrity and you don't invite known scumbags to the game. Even if you don't have proof, the person's a scumbag. If you've heard they're a scumbag, and all you had to do was ask around a little bit because, I mean, I had multiple people messaging me that this guy's a scumbag. So I have to imagine Ryan Feldman had to have heard something about him. And he probably assumed, look, what's going to happen here, uh, as long as the guy is paying up front for his chips, <laughs> what can happen? Because we know our live stream is not going to have any breach in the whole cards, which no one believes happened. So I don't think there was any breach and they know there was no breach so they say hey look if he can't see the whole cards then what can he do here we'll make sure our game is secure and who cares if he's got a bad rep he's action let's have him on here but this is what can happen so again i don't know if feldman knew the guy's rep but i have to think he heard something because of his extensive knowledge of players in the la scene he just shouldn't have invited the guy. And I have a feeling that Feldman probably learned his lesson. This wasn't in the statement. They didn't say, oh, yeah, we heard this guy was bad news and we should have invited him. We're going to watch who we, we invite in the future. But I think if they hear that someone has a rep like this, they shouldn't invite him. And I think that won't happen again. <laughs> I think this is eye-opening for them over there. We will see. There is a player who's been on that stream a lot recently that I haven't talked about. And this is a player named Poker Bunny. I've had a lot of requests to talk about Poker Bunny. Poker Bunny is unusual in the poker scene these days. Even unusual in the poker scene 15 years ago, but even more unusual now. Poker Bunny is a young, pretty female who dresses in a manner where she shows a lot of skin, so to speak. She's 23 years old. And let's just say she shows a lot on camera. And she sometimes wears bunny ears on the stream. And uh, by her own admission, she says she has autism 
so she's a little bit different. I, I feel that her poker play actually gets uh, a bad rap that isn't really deserved. She's actually better than I believe people give her credit for. I think a lot of people are looking for a way to criticize her because, you know, it's a girl who's trying to get attention with the way she dresses. And that's for sure. She's trying to use the fact that she's a pretty young female and everybody else on the stream are dudes or a few older females, but no one who looks like her is on these streams. And, you know, that's fine if that's what she wants to do. But then there's some people who assume anyone who looks like that can't play. And I've watched her play. And I will say that she's not a bad player, but she's still rough around the edges. She still makes some nonsensical bluffs. Like, she tries to be too unpredictable, and then it burns her, is what I've seen. But she does have the fundamentals down, and she does seem to be attempting to study the game very hard and improve. This this is not some pretty girl who just sits down and, and wants to coast on her looks. Now, there's questions of uh, how did she get the money, and she has admitted that she staked, which it was pretty obvious because she wasn't a high-stakes player before, and she's young, so, you know, where'd she get the money? And all of a sudden, you know, <laughs> there she is at these very high-stakes games with, with the money to play there. But she's admitted she was staked. She didn't give any more information than that, though I think it was pretty obvious. But I will say she's not just sitting down and not attempting to get better. She's been studying the game, and you can see on her Twitter, she she talks about game theory and all that. So she, she's making an effort. And And I've seen that she does have some good fundamentals down for... Uh, no limit hold'em cash, but she's she's still making some big mistakes at times, and that's what causes people to uh, criticize her and say she's a fish. And I, I don't agree with that assessment. I'm just saying that uh, she's a lot better than people give her credit for. And if she can plug some of these leaks, then then she could actually be a fairly good player. But uh, the reason I mention her is that there's been some allegations about. Uh, that she's an angle shooter because there was this one hand where she said, oh, I, I don't know how many chips I have left. And some people thought she was trying to induce action when she had a strong hand. And then uh, the person called and the person was mad that it seemed like she was uh, going all in, but pretending like she went all in only because she didn't know what she had left. And uh, and then some people thought that was an angle. I, I watched it and I didn't agree. I didn't think it was an angle. And Bart Hansen, in fact, did a segment about that, and he said he didn't think it was an angle. So I agree that she is not an angle shooter. My opinion of that situation was she just got confused for the moment, and she was losing. She, you know you know how it can be when you're losing. You can be kind of flustered and kind of lose track of things, and sometimes uh, yeah, it just kind of makes some kind of boneheaded mistake, and, and that's what she did there. She just, in her attempt to figure out how to play the hand right, kind of lost track of what chip she had. So I don't want to go into that whole thing. She's on that stream a lot. So if you want to see Poker Bunny and see what all the uh, fuss is about, then you can watch Hustler Casino Live. I, I think she was just on yesterday, but you can find a lot of their recent streams. She was on this one with Skills, Rocks, and Barry. She just uh, didn't really figure in into any of that controversy. You can see a lot of her in many ways, but she didn't have to do with any of this. That's all I'm going to say about Poker Bunny, at least for now. I've actually been aware of her for longer than most of you have. 
and she used to play under a different name. Not on Hustler Casino Live, but uh, she used to be known under a different name before. She's kind of trying to reinvent herself. Totally unrelated to the rest of this. She has nothing to do with Skills Rocks or, or this scandal. Nothing to do with any of that. And, and as I said, I don't believe she's an angle shooter or a cheater in any way. She appears to be playing a, a uh, fair game from everything I can see. And as I said, I think she's better than people give her credit for. I'm not a big one who believes that every criticism of a female comes from a place of sexism or misogyny. And I hate when I see that. I hate when someone makes that allegation when you criticize them. Oh, you're just criticizing me because I'm a woman. I I, I hate that. But I will say that I, I think she's better than people give her credit for. But she has a lot of room to improve. So we'll see where it goes. A call you're on the air. Oh, hey. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Yep. My first time calling in. Okay, hi. So so hey. what's, what's going yeah. on? So, yeah, I'm on Twitter a little bit, Guybrush Street, but I made a few comments on there, but I'm not on the forum. My only point was that uh, they've been having Armenian Mike on there since the Hustler stream started. Yeah, that's true. Um, for those of you that don't know, and Armenian it, Mike, uh, then, he has a reputation, part, too, that isn't very good. Yeah, I mean, Pretty much the biggest, well, one of the biggest angle shooters ever, right? Yeah, there there was, uh, on Live at the Bike, there was a, a pretty bad angle shot that was recorded on there, and uh, where he tried to take back an all-in, claiming he wasn't serious, or something along those lines. And uh, He got banned from there. He got banned from there, right. So so that, that's another one. That's a very good point. That they've. I, I know Armenian Mike was a long-time uh, staple of these broadcasts and he's action. But, again, this is someone who got banned from Live of the Bike and who p- really pulled a clear angle that was right there on camera and that everybody universally agreed was a terrible angle. It wasn't even like there was debate about this. So uh, that's another one who shouldn't be invited. Like, I really think they should just take a stand on Hustler Casino Live and say, you know, we're just not going to invite people that have a reputation for being scumbags or scammers or angle shooters, e- even if they are good for the stream or or chunk off money. Actually, this is kind of funny. Wasn't Ryan Feldman the victim of the angle too? Yeah, I think he was. You're right. He was the guy <laughs> who had like a nut hand and Armenian Mike was like, I'm all in or something without putting his chips in. And then I think Feldman snap called him. And then Armenian Mike was like, oh, no, 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 no. I didn't mean to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think and it was Arme- Feldman. And then I remember Feldman was not cool with it. Yeah, of course not. Yeah, um, and then the, the the funny ironic part is that Feldman is the guy that runs the hustler stream. So you'd think, what the hell? Why why would you want this dude on there? Yeah, I mean, and it kind of speaks to like Feldman. You could tell when he was on this show that he had this drive to make this succeed. You could tell this is a very driven person who throws himself completely oh, yeah. into his I actually work. Gained a lot of respect for Feldman after I heard him on here. Yeah, so he really throws himself into his works. So I can imagine he actually probably puts his own animosity towards Armenian Mike aside for what happened there. He's like, you know what? I don't like him, but he tried to rip me off. But he's good for the stream, so let's do it. Like I could totally picture okay. him thinking that. But it was, I think well, they need to just keep people like that off because you're asking for trouble if you're going to invite people like that to your stream. Here's the thing. I'd actually argue with that last point that he's good to watch because – I've kind of been tuning in off and on pretty regularly, like maybe once a week. If I see Armenian Mike on there, I usually watch for a bit and then I stop watching. But I've noticed that the way he plays now, he's super tight, passive, just kind of loose, passive, not fun to watch, doesn't talk, doesn't do anything. 
really doesn't even make big moves. Like, I don't even see why they even think that he's worth watching on there. So I think he has both going against him. He's got the angle shooting thing, and he's not even fun to watch. Yeah, that that's... Uh... He might have been used to maybe be fun to watch. Maybe he was playing lower stakes before. But when when I see him on Hustler, he's just not fun to watch. Yeah, that's true. And also, sometimes people's uh, financial situation can change, and then they can't play as wild. So yeah, yeah, you also you also have to always be aware that the fun player from a few years ago isn't going to be the same guy today, especially at higher stakes. So yeah, I mean these are good points here. And and even if he is fun to watch, you have to think: is this worth it for the reputation of the stream? Especially when you got a stream going that is doing well consistently, and you're getting a lot of interesting people on there. So do they really have to put on every single person who's an action player? Do they need to have constant excitement like this? It, it, I think they're risking too much because uh, too many scandals will drive people away, and that they don't want to have that. Yep. Okay, well, that's all I had. All right, thanks for calling in. All right, thanks. Bye. All right, that was a good call. Brought up a good point about Armenian Mike. I didn't even think of that. But yeah. It's another one who's invited there. It's just better to steer clear of all that, you know? In a poker room, it's different. In a poker room that's not streamed, then it's it's harder to keep people away. I mean, the casino can, but uh, if you kick out every single person with a bad rep from a poker room, you're going to have a pretty empty poker room. But on a live stream where there's just one table at most once a day, and a lot of the same players over and over, you, you can be a lot more choosy who you let in there. Caller, you on the air. Oh, hi. Can you hear me? Yes. Oh, good. Uh, I watched that whole Skills Rocks thing. Yeah. I don't know. Did you go clear to the end? The commentator was talking about what Chat was saying. Chat was talking about his cheating. No, I didn't go to the end, but that's interesting. Yeah, the commentator said, well, let's watch a few hands, and I guess he didn't do much. And the commentator was asking, well, somebody rewind it and give them the you know, the timestamp. Okay. But I didn't, I guess, I, I didn't well, know that part. Well, were watching. Huh? But now, how close to the end was it? Because maybe it was so close to the end it wasn't worth taking action. Well, that's what I was going to say. You know, the, the commentator's live, but he's watching something that's 30 minutes old or whatever it is. Yeah, that's so true, too. I don't know what, what they could do exactly other than kind of look at it. Yeah, I, I didn't know about it. I, I still think they sh- they should have watched the chat the whole way, and they they could have caught this earlier and put an end to it. That's that's one criticism I do have, but uh, I, yeah. I think they've learned somewhat from this, and we'll, we'll see going forward how they handle uh, other controversies that come and and who they invite to these games. Yeah, uh, again, yeah, the commentator picked it up from the chat, or somebody was watching the chat. People in the chat were talking about it. Yeah. It's just like you say, it may have been a timing where there wasn't a lot they could do about it. Yeah, I mean, it's possible they didn't, somehow they weren't watching the chat until near the end, and then by the time they heard, either it was over because it was on delay, or it was minutes away from being over and it wasn't worth taking action at that point. But yeah. they, they should be, though. They should be watching. That's the point. When you've got a very popular stream like this, you have to watch the chat, even just for moderation purposes. You, you shouldn't just let the chat run itself or it can uh, become a mess, even ignoring anything could be going on the stream. But another reason to watch is because the chat, they see things and they may alert you to things you don't know about. So very important to watch that chat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, that's well, the first time I've called, uh, first time I've listened live, I think. Uh, what is your I've name? I've listened to all the ar- archives. 
What uh, is your name? I posted a couple of times under the name Cyber Babble, but okay. not often. Okay, well, uh, thank anyway. you for calling in. All right, thanks. I enjoyed right. it. Bye. Well, we got two first-time callers tonight on this topic. Neither of these guys have ever called in. Well, that's good. I like getting new callers. We got some texts about this as well. The 530 texted me, from my understanding, the stream is on a two-hour lag. See, I thought it was half an hour. If it's on two hours, then I can understand why they didn't know this in time. I watched the stream that night for 20 minutes. I could easily tell. We're all saying there's cheating. Hustler Live released a statement that the stream was already over by the time these comments were coming out. Yeah, I read the statement. I didn't know it's two hours. If it's two hours, I do take back some of what I said, because two hours is a long time. If it was a two-hour delay, then I could see why, by the time they learned from the chat, then the whole thing was either over or very close to over. So, all right. I didn't think it was that kind of delay. I don't know why I heard 30 minutes. Now now I'm kind of curious. Is it half an hour? Is it 30 minutes? Oh, yeah, that is half an hour. Is it half an hour, or is it two hours? I don't know. I don't know. All right. I'll let you know if there's any further updates on this. There probably won't be. And we will move on to the next topic, which is also a pretty big topic, though something more of a big topic for our show. And that is about Christopher Mitchell. The poker world does not pay that much attention to Christopher Mitchell because he's not a poker player. In fact, I don't know if he's ever played poker. But Christopher Mitchell is a gambling coach, and he's a scammer. And I've been watching his antics for the last two years. Christopher Mitchell was brought to my attention by forum poster and uh, radio listener Jeff Dime. He made a post called Blatant YouTube Baccarat Scammer Christopher Mitchell, quote, professional gambler. And this post was on April 14th, 2020. Well, it's become a very active thread. In fact, a lot of people who post in that thread don't post anywhere else on the forum. But it's a very active thread now with over 6,400 posts. I kid you not. Over 6,400 posts in that thread on Poker Fraud Alert about Christopher Mitchell and the drama surrounding him. And if you went to his channel, you would see why. He's ridiculous. He's not just a scammer. I mean, there's gambling scammers out there of many types. There's even many gambling coaching scammers out there or people selling bullshit systems that you can buy that they claim win but really are not positive expectation. So a gambling coach who's selling a crap system is not exciting in itself, but the way he does it is just so over the top and so ridiculous that you can't help but kind of cringe and laugh and be mad all at the same time. And some people got very fascinated with him, myself included. Now, if he were just doing this for himself, then fine. Even if he was posting videos about it, even if he was lying about his results, at least it wouldn't be hurting anybody. And we've had this before. In fact, even on one of my other forums, we have someone who pretends like he's a winner with a losing strategy. And whatever, you know, as long as the person is not selling the strategy to others, then if they want to make a fool of themselves on the internet and brag about something that isn't true, then let them. But uh, Christopher Mitchell, the problem with him is he sells his strategy and he sells it for a lot of money. He used to meet people for personal coaching for thousands of dollars. Then now he is 
selling his strategy over the internet where you're joining his quote inner circle which is just a facebook group where he teaches you various forms of the same thing over and over again kind of circling around the martingale Uh, for a while he was doing sports betting and of course that crashed and burned and he was doing bitcoin investing and that crashed and burned everything he does crashes and burns because he has no expertise and he's a moron and he comes up with the simplest things and believes they are original or believes that he has stumbled upon the secret formula to win and no matter how much people try to show him that he's full of crap he doesn't accept it he believes that he is a great gambler and the only thing holding him back is a lack of bankroll so basically he's faking it until he makes it but in a bad way because he's faking already being a millionaire so people pay him to learn his quote winning strategy and he figures after he gets enough people subscribing to his inner circle that he'll have enough bankroll to really win with his strategies that he thinks the only thing holding him back is not a deep enough bankroll and he doesn't understand no matter how deep his bankroll is he will eventually go bust with his strategy he's just not a very smart guy You may remember Lee Bradbury, A Hoosier A, is the name he goes by on the Poker Fraudler forum, and he also listens to this show. He had an unfortunate run-in with Christopher Mitchell just because he tried to save an old guy from being a victim. And the problem was this old guy turned out to be a friend of Christopher Mitchell's from their multi-level marketing days so the guy just ran to christopher and said hey what is this lee bradbury guy telling me here what's he trying to say and then christopher mitchell is such an idiot that he thought that lee was someone else he thought lee was a guy who had been on his case for a long time and he's like oh i finally found him this is him he's not anonymous anymore i know who he is and like a moron christopher mitchell just was a hundred percent certain that He found this guy, when in reality, this is the first thing Lee had ever done involving Christopher Mitchell. He just tried to rescue some poor old dude that he read about on the forum. And it turned out, number one, this poor old dude wasn't really a poor old dude. It was a buddy of Christopher Mitchell's. He was old, but he was a buddy of Chris's. And also, this was Lee's first action ever against Christopher Mitchell. So Lee had never done anything before. Lee just became aware of him fairly recently before that. So Christopher was completely off base with believing he was this other guy, and he filed a restraining order against him after getting his personal information by hiring a PI. So he got Lee's full info, doxed him, including his social security number on his YouTube channel, and then he filed that restraining order, which was completely frivolous and was entirely based upon Lee being someone else. And... We've talked about this whole thing before through a complete miscarriage of justice in court, which was due to a complete misunderstanding. He lost the initial restraining order case and then had to get a lawyer and pay 1500 bucks to get it reversed, which took months to do. It was a tremendous pain in the ass. We held a fundraiser for Lee and got him his money back. So at least he's not out the money. But boy, was it stressful for Lee. It was terrible. And all he was trying to do was to do something nice, to go to what he thought was a helpless old man who was being scammed and try to warn him. That's all Lee was trying to do, and he paid for it dearly with a restraining order that should never have been granted and then having to take months to get the whole thing reversed. 
because the court messed up big time and the judge was erroneously believing that Lee was recording the courtroom when he wasn't. So it was a complete mess. We've talked about it before on this show. Christopher did not believe that they were two different people. To this day, he doesn't seem to believe they're two different people. The guy's a complete idiot. (laughs) That's all I can say. The guy's a complete idiot. The info's all out there. And he's seen it, too. It's not even like he hasn't seen it. Christopher reads the form on Poker Fraud Alert, at least the thread about him, because he's very obsessed with himself. So he always watches and reads everything that's written and made about him. But he's just deluded himself into believing this is all a big lie. And you may say, how could someone be so stupid? How could someone who hears two guys on the phone at the same time, and one of them is clearly the voice that he's had the issue with and isn't Lee, like how can he think that they're one person? How can he think that? Well, it's because he's a moron. He also thinks that 9-11 was a government conspiracy. He also thinks that uh, COVID is something that was made up by the government. He, he thinks these wacky things that he has said on his channel at times. He's, he's a conspiracy theorist. He doesn't mainly talk about that on his channel, but occasionally he does, and you just hear these wacky views where this is a guy not living in reality. So this is one way he wasn't living in reality. He just he convinced himself that he finally found this online enemy of his, but he didn't and couldn't be convinced otherwise. Anyway, why am I talking about that now? This is all uh, almost two years ago. The reason I'm talking about it now is because Christopher Mitchell finally lost his YouTube channel. And he blames Lee. <laughs> he still hasn't learned. And by the way, I don't think that the loss of his channel has anything to do with anyone he's blaming. In fact, I don't know why he lost his channel, but I have my theories, and it's not what most people think. It's pretty amazing it took this long to get uh, Christopher Mitchell off of YouTube, but then again, it also makes sense. because You have to know YouTube. There's no way to call YouTube. They do not have a phone number, even though they're huge. And of course, Google owns them, but they do not allow you to reach them. And in fact, it's very hard to even email them. They don't make a public email address available. The way you get in contact with YouTube is you use buttons to report videos you don't like. So you report the video and you put the reason you're reporting the video and you put the timestamp in the video you're reporting. And when you do it, you kind of picture that on the other end, someone's going to receive this in an office and they're going to go watch the video at the timestamp you selected and notice the objectionable content and uh, delete it and give the creator a strike when they violated the rules. That's the fantasy about reporting on YouTube. But let me tell you the reality about reporting on YouTube. The reality is that YouTube is mostly managed by bots. This stuff is usually not received by humans. They have an algorithm that processes these reports. YouTube can transcribe videos. The bots can also detect language that they don't like in the videos. So there's certain hot topics on YouTube that they will censor, such as what they call COVID misinformation. And I'm not going to get into that whole debate, but uh, they don't like certain narratives about COVID. So if you say anything about COVID, then the bot also looks for certain statements related to COVID and will just jack your video right there 
even without a report sometimes, if it detects that you're saying something about COVID it doesn't like. But on the flip side, the bots do not have a way to reason. So like bots cannot reason out whether something is a scam. There's no bot that can do that. Because being able to tell something's a scam requires a human thinking process. It requires a reasoning ability that even the most advanced AI does not have. Now, they can train an AI to catch certain scams that are common, like uh, romance scams or the Nigerian prince scam, anything that they're aware of already occurring, they can program a bot to look for. But I'm talking about something that is not along those lines. Like if a person is claiming to be a winning gambler and, and is a coach that's going to teach you how to win, there's no way they could program a bot to differentiate between a scam and a legitimate gambling coach because there are legitimate gambling coaches out there who can teach you how to win just like there's legitimate poker coaches out there now some of them can't really teach you that much or what they teach you you may not have the ability to learn or they could be teaching you antiquated information that aren't going to help you now but there are at least some at least semi-legit and a few legit gambling coaches out there and a lot of legit poker coaches out there But again, this has nothing to do with poker. But there's a whole lot of scam systems and scam coaches out there. Some of these coaches even delude themselves into believing they can win when they really can't. And that's actually Christopher Mitchell. What's interesting is he thinks that his strategies win. He knows he hasn't won personally, but he thinks he's just been very unlucky. He thinks he just needs a bigger bankroll to sustain the variance. He doesn't understand he's playing negative expectation. He doesn't understand the, quote, strategies that he thinks he brilliantly came up with are ones that have been used for decades and not worked, that they were developed before he was born and failed. He doesn't realize that because he's not very bright. So this is someone who actually drinks his own Kool-Aid. But anyway, going back to the report button, the report button is mostly manned by bots because there are so many reports submitted on YouTube. YouTube is gigantic, and they don't have the staff to go through all of these reports because there's a lot of bogus reports. People make reports of videos they just don't like. They make reports about videos that slightly offend them but aren't actually against YouTube rules. They make reports of videos that are technically against the rules but so mild that it doesn't deserve any kind of action. People make reports of things they believe are violating the rules that really are not. People make spite reports when someone makes a video and they just don't like the person and they report their video just to try to get their channel taken down when in reality that person isn't breaking any rules. So this stuff goes on and YouTube doesn't want to hire a huge staff to deal with this and run into mostly bogus reports. So they have written bots that go through these reports and only a small percentage of them get referred to humans for review. Some things get taken down right away by the bots if it catches in the transcripts of the videos, things that the bots already know to take down. Other times when there's something that's kind of an iffy situation, the bots will refer it to humans to review who then look at it manually and decide whether to take action or not. But they don't take very long on each case. They they don't put a lot of thought into what they do. They, They have so much to do, they go through them very quickly. So even when humans do get involved, they will often make mistakes, both with uh, terminations that really shouldn't be, and more often with videos that should be terminated but aren't. Now, scams are very tough because 
there's a lot of subjectivity to scams. And that is, it's not always obvious outright to someone who doesn't know much about the topic, whether something is a scam or whether it's just uh, someone presenting some sort of opportunity or some sort of service that is legitimate. So bots definitely can't make that decision. And even human beings who aren't that familiar with it don't exactly know what to say. So it's not against YouTube rules to make gambling videos. You can't promote online sites directly, but you can uh, play on an online site and just not say what it is. That's within the rules. You can talk about gambling on YouTube. That's totally fine. That's why there's all these poker videos out there. Uh, So making content on YouTube of yourself gambling or content where you're giving people gambling advice or even advertising your own coaching services for gambling, these are all okay by YouTube rules. So the only way it's not okay by YouTube rules is if it's a scam. But you have to know a lot about gambling to be able to tell what is a gambling coaching scam and what is not. And the staff of YouTube are not gambling experts, but it doesn't even get to them because people try to report it And the bot doesn't find anything objectionable because the bot doesn't find any typical scam language in these videos. So while there's some very common scams that are out there on YouTube, gambling scams, while there's a number of them, are not super common when it comes to YouTube scams overall. So the bot just misses them. So you can report them for a scam all you want, and it's not going to get over to a human being for review. And that's the reason Christopher Mitchell's channel persisted for two years more than two years. And there's an incorrect theory that if you just aggressively report the video, that YouTube will say, well, okay, if it's gotten this many reports, it's got to mean something. No. Let me tell you something about the way the YouTube reporting system works. They're very aware that there will be malicious reports and crowd-directed reports. So for example, let's say someone creates a Reddit thread and says, hey, look at this asshole. Isn't he a jerk? Let's report his video. Let's all get together and report his video. And then all the people reading that Reddit thread go and report that video. But the video hasn't broken any rules. But let's say it gets uh, 10,000 reports. Does that mean YouTube's going to take action because 10,000 people reported it? No, because they were all directed to report it in a malicious attempt to get it taken down. So YouTube is aware that this can occur. And in some cases, if there's a ton of reports that all seem to say the same thing, but yet the bot is not detecting anything wrong, then often this will actually work against the people reporting it, and it will be assumed by YouTube that this is a false attempt to get things taken down maliciously. I can't say for sure this is what was happening with Christopher Mitchell, but I think it's very possible that's what was going on, is that uh, these report attempts were actually backfiring, and that there were too many of them and the bot was not finding anything wrong because the bot could not find any scams taking place. If you report a video, there's a lot of different categories you could choose. There's sexual content, violent or repulsive content, hateful or abusive content, harassment or bullying, harmful or dangerous acts, child abuse, promotes terrorism, spam or misleading, infringes my rights, or captions issue. You know what's missing? Scams. There is no scam category. The best you could do is spam or misleading. And then from there, you can pick mass advertising, 
pharmaceutical drugs for sale, misleading text, misleading thumbnail, or scams or fraud. So you say, okay, well, there it is, scams or fraud. Yeah, well, good luck. What happens is you do it, then the bot checks it, the bot doesn't notice any scam language, and it falls off. Doesn't matter if you try 100 times. In fact, the more you report the same person's channel, the more the bot thinks that you've got something in for the channel operator. So that backfires too. You can say, okay, I'll just report every video of his. Nope. The bot will say, hmm, why is this person reporting every single video of this guy's? He probably hates him. Okay, we're just going to ignore all that person's reports. That's what happens. That's how the algorithm works. I've been given information that this is how it works. So YouTube has a lot of this done by bots. But again, even if humans look at it, unless they understand what the difference is between a gambling scam and a legitimate gambling coach, they won't think it's a scam and they won't take it down. And something else about gambling coaching is that you could have a great gambling coach and you could still lose because you could get unlucky or you could just be a bad student who isn't following the advice. And YouTube can think, hey, this is a bitter person who just lost money after being coached by this guy and is trying to get him back by calling his service a scam. So we're not going to do anything. You may wonder, why is YouTube so permissive like this? Why don't they take more down? Why don't they err on the side of caution when it comes to complaints about videos? Well, YouTube has taken the general attitude that they want to be a mostly free speech platform. And to do that, they have to have a lot of uh, false negatives regarding reports, meaning reports that should result in taking the video or the channel down don't end up doing so because YouTube knows there's a lot of crappy and bogus reports and because they don't have humans to look at every single one of them, they have to program the bot to either be overly aggressive or overly passive. And what they did is they made it overly passive, overly aggressive in a few areas like COVID, but for the most part, overly passive where a lot of things get the benefit of the doubt when they really shouldn't. Now, I don't agree with this. I think that there should be a way that you can contact human beings to look at something and there should be intelligent people working there who should be able to look at something quickly and be able to tell if it's a crackpot report or not. And I think that YouTube is full of scams and they don't do enough to stop it. In fact, if you put me in charge of keeping scams off YouTube, I could eradicate most of the scams from YouTube. I really could if this was my job. This is my full-time job to eradicate scams from YouTube. I could do it. I couldn't get every single one off there because it's huge, but I could get most scams off YouTube without any false positives. Really. I mean, it's not that hard. You just have to have someone who's good at it. And you have to have a way to reach them. And YouTube doesn't provide you that way. They provide you a report button that is manned by bots. So let's get back to Christopher Mitchell. What happened? How is his channel finally down? Well, it wasn't from strikes. See, on YouTube, if you get three strikes, meaning three violations of any kind in 90 days, then they take your whole channel down and it can't come back. But that's not what happened to Christopher Mitchell. As far as I know, he had no strikes. And the way I can tell that is that if you have a strike, if you have one strike, then you're not able to post videos for seven days. If you get your second strike in 90 days, then you can't post videos for 14 days. 
If you get your thirst strike, as I mentioned, in 90 days, then your channel's gone. From what I can tell, Christopher Mitchell's channel didn't have any 7 or 14 day break in the last 90 days where he wasn't posting, which means he wasn't getting any strikes. And in fact, he posted the email that he got on his Facebook page. Now, his Facebook page isn't open to the public, but fortunately, I know somebody who's on his Facebook page who provided me with his postings. But his was taken down for what was called severe or repeated violations and not for three strikes. So there's two ways your channel can go down. It can either be because your channel got three strikes in 90 days or because YouTube just decided there's something wrong with your channel and they're taking it down. So he got the latter. Something got YouTube's attention. Something or someone got YouTube's attention and they took his channel down. And that's interesting because this hadn't happened till now. If you try to go to Christopher's channel on February 3rd, it said, this account has been terminated due to multiple or severe violations of YouTube's policy against spam, deceptive practices, and misleading content or other terms of service violations. So it doesn't say scam, but it did say spam, deceptive practices, and misleading content. So that's basically saying a scam. Now, they said multiple or severe violations. Now, there weren't such violations prior to this. He did get strikes before, but not for scamming. He got strikes for being dumb enough to post links to his BetOnline affiliate account to where if you sign up to BetOnline through his link, he would get a piece of your losses. And that's not allowed on YouTube. You cannot post gambling affiliate links. So he got strikes for that. He got two strikes for that. And he was almost shut down last year, but he turned off his channel and moved over to his wife's channel until that 90 days ticked off. And then he came back. So he was still posting content just on the other channel and he never got the three strikes. Now, technically it is against YouTube rules to jump channels to avoid the consequences of a strike, but they're not as aggressive with enforcing that as they should be. This is another thing that YouTube is pretty bad at. So he did not get in any issues with that. But since then, I don't believe he's had any kind of strikes. And this is many months ago. This is way more than 90 days ago. So I believe had he gotten a strike here, it would have just been strike one. He would have been out for seven days because it all resets after 90 days. But he just got completely knocked off. So obviously somebody reviewed the channel. Finally, a human being at YouTube was interested enough to go take a look at the channel and that person decided that yes indeed it's a scam but how how did this finally happen after two years was it from people mashing the report button all this time did youtube finally say okay with this many people reporting it we've got to look well i can't say no for sure because i wasn't there at youtube when this was done and they never gave this information to anybody but i don't think so Why? Because this would have happened a long time ago. There's been people mass reporting this channel since 2020, since like early 2020. So why now? Why in 2022 would they have finally taken action? YouTube doesn't need two years of people mashing the report button to get the message that a lot of people have an issue with the channel. They get that message right away because they have bots analyzing this. They have bots that take a look and then use whatever algorithm they use to determine whether the channel is a problem or not. And again, notice no videos got strikes, and that's also a big clue. 
we would have seen videos getting striked if YouTube was taking action on any of these reports, but they weren't. The only strikes he got were for posting these links that it seems like the YouTube bots were automatically catching. So it looks like none of the reports ever had action taken. And all of a sudden, the channel's just gone. So then how could this have happened? Well, there's other ways to reach YouTube. For example, if you have an attorney, your attorney can contact YouTube and your attorney can raise issue with content on YouTube that you're complaining about. And then YouTube's legal department will assign someone to look into it. Now, they won't always do what you ask. They may not agree with your attorney. And of course, YouTube has their own attorneys that are quite willing to fight back if your attorney attempts to uh, put pressure on them. Obviously, they're very, very well funded, much better funded than you are. But they will look at it more than if you just submit a report. Someone presumably got a hold of YouTube. And this is what I think happened. I can't be sure, but this is what I think happened. Remember, Christopher Mitchell has a lot of victims that have accumulated over time. People who, by his negative expectation system that is promoted as something that can't lose, that he says wins either 99% or 100% of the time, claims it made him a millionaire, that he doesn't need a job and lives a millionaire lifestyle, which he doesn't, by the way, and he's not a millionaire, but he claims this, and the scam is sold, just, hey, give me a $1,000 one-time investment, and I'll teach you my ways to become a millionaire like me, and all he does is teach you negative expectation gambling systems that don't help you and, in fact, hurt you. So... He has a lot of victims over time that have lost their bankrolls, have lost their life savings, get mad about it, complain, and he just blocks them and kicks them out of the Facebook group. That's what he's done to a lot of people over time. A lot of angry people. Now, what do these people want to do after this has happened to them? Well, some just slink away in shame because they're so ashamed that they got scammed like this and just chalk it up to a loss and never speak of it again. But others want to do something about it. But what? Well... An obvious thing is to go to his YouTube channel and report it as a scam because that's how they were taken in, right? And they probably did. They probably used that report button, but as I said, that gets ignored. But what if one of them got an attorney to contact YouTube and threatened to sue YouTube or at the very least bring YouTube's attention to it? And then YouTube looked at it and said, you know what? We don't like this. This looks like a scam to us. It's gone. That would explain how his channel would abruptly disappear with no strikes. Just bang, gone. For, quote, multiple or severe violation of YouTube's policy against spam, deceptive practices, misleading content. Remember, there's no current strikes and it gets killed like that. That sounds like something that happened through the legal channels, probably by a victim who was motivated to do so. Probably not somebody who posted on Poker Fraud Alert. It was probably somebody we've never heard of. That's my guess. That's what makes most sense to me. There's other possibilities. It's even possible that Christopher said something at some point that got the bot's attention that he hadn't said before. We don't know exactly how the bot is programmed or what it looks for. Maybe they just added something to its programming where a new phrase that it finds in the video is something it considers scammy and gets the attention of human beings to take a look. It's possible that happened too. There's a lot of ways this could have happened. The problem is we don't know, and YouTube is not telling us anything, and they won't even tell Christopher anything. 
YouTube basically keeps it very quiet. YouTube does not like to give anyone info. They will not give you info if you report something and nothing happens. You won't get any kind of notification if they choose not to take action. They will not give you info if your channel is terminated or if you get a strike. They'll give you a very, very general reason for why you got that strike or channel termination. And they'll point out which video made it happen if it's a strike. But that's all you're going to find out. You're not going to get a detailed report about what you did wrong. They just tell you to go read their terms and don't do it again. You have to figure out for yourself exactly what you did. So this is what they wrote to Christopher Mitchell, 3.59 p.m. Pacific Time on February 3rd. We have reviewed your content and found severe or repeated violations of our community guidelines. Because of this, we have removed your channel from YouTube. We know this is probably very upsetting news, but it's our job to make sure that YouTube is a safe place for all. If we think a channel severely violates our policies, we take it down to protect others on the platform. But if you believe we've made the wrong call, you can appeal this decision. You'll find more information about the policy in question and how to submit an appeal below. I know this is what they wrote him because he posted this on Facebook. He posted a screenshot of it. So is he going to appeal? Yes. In fact, he has said he did. So what did Christopher do about this aside from appeal? And by the way, I don't think the appeal is going to work. And so far it hasn't. So far it's been six days now and he hasn't gotten it back. And I don't think he will because they made this decision based upon some kind of analysis that the channel was a scam. So they're not likely to reverse on that. What they're more likely to reverse is, like, let's say they gave a strike based upon something that really wasn't a violation and that was your third strike, and they'll go back and look and go, oh, okay, you know what? This third strike was erroneously given. Okay, you're, ba- you're back in action. You're back only on strike two. That'll happen sometimes, but when they do one of these no-strike violation terminations. It's usually because they've determined your whole channel is rotten. That's hard to come back from. Even if you were in the right, it's hard to come back from it. But Christopher was not in the right. This channel should have been terminated a long time ago. It was just very hard to terminate. Christopher was not bullying anybody. Christopher was not uh, posting anything objectionable like nudity or violent content. There wasn't anything you could just get the channel taken down for that was in the video that was blatant and obvious. He, he was scamming, but that's not easy to show and prove, especially to a bot. So that's why it, it was very hard to get taken down. But probably, again, I'm just guessing, but I, I think probably someone who was a victim got to YouTube legal and even showed that they paid Christopher $1,000 and got kicked out of his group. They probably sent uh, some compelling information that made YouTube go take a look and go, oh, shit. Okay, this looks like a scam. We're taking it down. So here's what Christopher wrote, and then I'll tell you what he did. He posted this on his Facebook. This was not made public. It was made semi-public on his Facebook, meaning anyone who was a Facebook friend of his could see this. This was not in his, quote, inner circle. His inner circle, people who paid him, that get access to his Facebook group. You can also just friend him on Facebook, and then you can see this stuff without paying him anything. I'm not a Facebook friend of his. In fact, I'm blocked on Facebook. I've never communicated with Christopher ever, but he has me auto-blocked anyway because he knows of our thread on Poker Fraud Alert. But this is what he wrote on February 3rd after he got terminated. This is not a joke. Today is a very, very sad day. Oh, yeah, very sad. What a horrible day. (laughs) Sad for him, though. I'll agree 
of that one. Three years ago, I launched a YouTube channel to help people change their lives. I spent years studying how to become effective at online marketing and how to build a successful YouTube channel before I actually created it. Now, that part's true. He did study online marketing back in his multi-level marketing days and how to build a successful channel. This is true. You can tell by watching his channel that he did learn these things, and he's actually pretty good at it. So that part's true. He went on to write, Once I created my YouTube channel, I was extremely persistent. I put in a lot of time going to locations, setting up lights, filming, editing, and marketing to get my videos out to the people on the YouTube algorithm. There's millions and millions of YouTube channels, and less than 1% of them even reach 1,000 subscribers. I put in the work, I paid my dues, and I eventually became successful. Over the course of three years, my channel developed a viewership of 350,000 people per month. (laughs) No. No. That's not true. That's not true. He claims 350,000 unique people per month. No. This was a relatively small channel. It wasn't a tiny channel. I'd say it was like a small, medium channel. It definitely had its viewership, but it was not something viewed by hundreds of thousands of people or anything close. It looked to me like he bought views because when you see way more views than comments proportionately, like which is there's many, many, many thousands of views and like very few comments, then it's usually indicative of bought views. And you would also notice his views jumping really quickly, which is indicative of bought views. And I think he bought subscribers as well. But I'm also not saying nobody was watching. But he did have somewhat of a following. It was just not 350,000 people. In the last two years, my YouTube channel generated an income for me of over... One million dollars. <laughs> no. Absolutely not. Now, maybe he means indirectly generated. Maybe he means that it got people buying his scam services and that he racked up over a million dollars of that plus the income he was making from the videos themselves because if you have a big enough channel it doesn't have to be a huge channel if you have a big enough channel they will allow you to monetize it where you get a piece of advertising revenue so it's possible that's what happened but uh there's no way he brought in anywhere near five hundred thousand a year from that but even from what he was getting from the coaching i severely doubt that i i just don't believe that uh he brought in a million dollars over the last two years. Though I, I do believe he brought in six figures. I, I would believe like 200K, maybe even 300K over the last two years because there were a lot of suckers who, who bought this scam coaching. Now, he chunked off most of this back to the casinos, but nevertheless, he did take in this money. He went on to write, not only that, but I've received thousands and thousands and thousands of daily emails and testimonials from people telling me that their lives are changed from watching my videos. Yeah, well... Their lives were changed all right, just not the way they were hoping. I took my YouTube channel, Parentheses Business, more seriously than anything I've ever done before in my entire life. It was part of my soul. Now, that part's kind of true, too. The YouTube channel really was his whole identity. And when that was removed, a big piece of himself was removed. So it was very painful to him. It was deserved, but painful. Two hours ago, my wife and I took my, our son to the park so he could play and we would spend family time together. When we got home 30 minutes ago, I realized that my Gmail and social media accounts had hundreds of brand new messages. Every single message that I opened asked the same question. Hey, Christopher, what happened to your YouTube channel? 
Well, it looks like he finally succeeded. You may say, who is he? He's referring to Lee Bradbury. (laughs) Can you believe this? He made over 250 videos about Christopher Mitchell spreading lies about me and my family, even admitting in his videos he sent over 1,000 emails to YouTube trying to get my channel shut down. It's truly insane how psycho and jealous a person can be of another human being. This person doesn't know me. He and I didn't grow up together. He's never even met me or spent time with me before. Now, this part's weird. He goes back and forth about this because he claims that they've never spent time together and they've never met, but then they met in court. And he even claims this in his follow-up video that he did on a different channel. So then he went back later in his most recent video and say, again, the person's never met him. So he can't keep his life straight. But he decided that instead of asking me to help him change his life, he would decide to destroy mine out of jealousy. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody criticizing Christopher Mitchell's doing out of jealousy. I promise you that. It baffles my mind how miserable he must be in life. So I just wanted to make this announcement publicly because I've received so many freaking messages asking me what happened to my YouTube channel. It'd be absolutely impossible for me to ever have the time to respond to them all. Now you know what happened to my YouTube channel. It's gone with a sad face. Oh, poor Christopher. But you can't keep a good scammer down. He then posted, brand new YouTube channel I'm creating. Click here to subscribe and ring the bell so you get notifications when I post a new video. Now, it's against YouTube terms to create a new channel when you've had your channel removed. But does that stop Christopher Mitchell? Of course not. He doesn't care about YouTube terms. Now, is YouTube going to terminate that channel? That is a good question. So far, they haven't, but we're working on it. We are working on it. I don't know if his channel will be around for too long. Because it shouldn't be there. Because he has been removed from YouTube. And by their own terms, you cannot come back under any channel. But he did create a new channel. And I'm going to play you this first video. Not all of it, because it's pretty long. I'm going to play you parts of this first video from his new channel, which is called Christopher Mitchell, where he tells you about what happened. Good morning, everybody. So I'm making this video to give you guys an update on what's been happening. I have so many emails on Facebook and Instagram and in my Gmail account say, Christopher, what happened? Where's your YouTube channel? Hey, I went to YouTube. I can't find you. I mean, there's so many messages. I can't even count them all. And there's no way I'm ever going to have time to respond to all of them. So I'm making this video to tell you guys what happened and what's been going on behind the scenes for the last two years that a lot of you may have had an idea. You don't really know the magnitude of it. So, it's no surprise by now, my YouTube channel, Change Your Life Vlog, it's gone. YouTube took it down. Some people want to know, why did your YouTube channel get taken down? Did you do something wrong? Absolutely never. I have never done anything wrong, illegal, immoral, or unethical on my YouTube channel. Absolutely never. Well, Christopher, if you didn't do anything wrong, why did they take it down? You guys might be asking that question. I'm going to tell you right now. YouTube is a humongous company, as I'm sure you all know. So it's not run by individuals like you and me. You can't call YouTube and talk to a customer service rep if you have questions, if you're a YouTuber. See, YouTube is run by their algorithm. So people have created the algorithm within the YouTube company. 
And now the YouTube algorithm does 99% of the work. So, there is a way to get a person's YouTube channel banned or deleted if, say for example, you have a jealous, psychopathic stalker who's jealous of your success. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Before we go on here, I think Christopher learned this from me, believe it or not. I think he learned it from reading the thread about him where I've talked about this before, about how it's algorithmic and why it's so hard to get his channel terminated. I wrote this a few months ago, long before the channel was actually terminated, but I was discussing why it's not as simple as just mashing the report button to get his channel terminated. So I think he learned this from me because he's correct about it being algorithmic. But where he's incorrect, and this is where he just believes what he wants to believe, where he's incorrect is that a, quote, dead broke jealous hater can just keep hitting the report button or make fake accounts to report him as he's going to accuse and this way get his account taken down. It doesn't work that way. Otherwise, a lot of YouTube channels would go down this way. There's a lot of very controversial channels out there, like political channels, that could get wiped out in a second if people put together a concerted effort to report the channel, to do mass reporting. For example... Let's say you're a conservative and you're on a big conservative Facebook group and there is a liberal YouTube channel which is bashing Republicans all the time. And you get together all the conservatives in that Facebook and say, hey, let's all report this channel. If it was that simple to just bring thousands of people to just hit the report button, then that liberal channel would be gone. But it doesn't work that way. That's why you never hear of channels disappearing that way. So he's full of crap with this part of it, as usual. But uh, he has part of it right. He just doesn't understand what happened to him. What that person can do to another YouTuber, it literally happens every single day in the YouTube world. No, it doesn't. A person can go to your YouTube channel and they can click flag. And then there will be a submission form. It'll say, why are you flagging this video? And they can say uh, it goes against YouTube's policy or this guy is a liar or this guy is scamming the YouTube audience. You can write anything you want in this little box and then you submit it to YouTube. Well, YouTube doesn't have employees that read these millions and millions of submissions that people submit every single day. So the YouTube algorithm collects these submissions. So what happens, again, when you have a psychopathic, jealous stalker who envies you, as in the case of me, which I'm going to talk about in a few minutes. (laughs) There's a gentleman who goes to my YouTube channel every single day for the last two years. And this is going to be very hard for some of you to believe, but I promise you it's the truth. And I actually have the evidence to prove it. There's a gentleman who has gone to my YouTube channel every day for the last two years. And he has created over 100 fake YouTube accounts All you got to do to create a YouTube account is create a new email address. And he submits these flags on my YouTube channel and on my YouTube videos. Okay, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. I don't know if fake accounts are being made or not, but I can tell you that's not why your channel went down. It doesn't work that way. YouTube knows about these types of efforts. They know that... People will create fake accounts, that people can use VPNs to use different IPs on these accounts. They know that people can get others 
to do mass reporting, as I explained, that won't take a channel down, Christopher, especially an established channel that's been there over two years and has a relatively decent following as yours did. You didn't have a huge channel or even a big channel, but it was big enough to where YouTube is not going to remove it because of one guy making fake accounts. That's just not how it works. A human being reviewed your channel for sure. You're right that it's algorithmic, but your channel was removed in a fashion in that a human being reviewed it. That's why it was removed with no strikes. So he'll log in from one of his fake YouTube accounts. He'll flag my video. He'll flag my channel. He'll say that I'm scamming people around the world. My channel needs to be taken down. Then he'll log into his other email account and do the same thing. Well, this guy has been submitting hundreds of flags on my videos and my channel literally every single day for the last two years. Now, there's nothing wrong with my videos. There's nothing wrong with my channel. Actually, there is, but you also can't see if someone's doing this. Christopher doesn't get notifications that people are reporting his channel. He gets nothing. So I don't know how he can even say that this person's doing this because he has no evidence that was happening. He's just making it up, I think. But again, the YouTube algorithm collects all of these flags that they're receiving from so-called YouTube viewers. But in this case, it's just one single human being. And finally, over the last two years, YouTube has received thousands of these flags on my channel from the same individual. YouTube finally realized, hey, man, this guy is getting so many flags. His channel must be harming the YouTube community. So let's take his channel down. That's the truth. No, it's not. And they didn't tell you that. You posted the email they sent you. It did not say a dead, broke, jealous hater made hundreds of accounts and submitted flags or, or that we had so many flags on your account that we had to take it down. You didn't get anything like that. I saw what you got. You posted what you got. You don't know why it happened. We don't know why it happened. We can guess. You're guessing, but your guess is wrong. That's not how it works. The whole truth and nothing but the truth, and I have the documentation to prove it. Now, the YouTube channel's gone. <laughs> All the thousands, thousands of hours of me traveling around the United States, filming on location, <laughs> setting up lights, filming my videos, editing my videos, all of the time I put into my YouTube business because this is a very big business, it's gone in the blink of an eye because of one dead broke, very jealous, very sad and miserable human being. No. Now he's correct that a lot of effort was put into this channel and it is all gone that's true and i'm sure he was very upset and it's not because of one person well maybe it is but not who he thinks it is if it isn't from one person it is from someone who was a victim and had their attorney contact youtube legal and let them know but it definitely was not from quote one dead broke jealous hater or fake accounts reporting him but he believes what he wants to believe what's happened since then Well, Christopher has since revived his channel. Christopher is now reposting old videos that he once made, which it's surprising to me that YouTube's bot is not catching this, but I'm wondering if he's changing the videos a little bit so it doesn't. But whatever it is, somehow the bot is not catching that he's uploading videos that were taken down already. If you've gotten a strike on a video and you try to upload the same video, YouTube will tell you you can't upload this. It's been previously removed from YouTube. So 
he must be slightly changing them, and that's how he's getting them through. But he's not even hiding that this is a new channel. And he has been bragging about the fact that he has not only started this new channel, which was an old account he had from 2019 that was just called Christopher Mitchell. And then he has revived it. He didn't do anything with it all this time. He was encouraging everybody to follow this new channel, which is where that video was posted. And here's a video of him talking about how this is just a setback, and now he's going to have his comeback. Good morning, world. What is going on? Christopher Mitchell here, also known as the freaking goat. You like how he does that? That's what he does these days, last several months. Good morning, people. This is Christopher Mitchell, also known as the freaking goat, referring to greatest of all time. It's just so arrogant. He's not the greatest at anything. He's not even the greatest scammer. There's even better gambling scammers than him. <laughs> and uh, I'm making a comeback. <laughs> <laughs> this video is about me making a comeback. And you'll notice that I said, good morning, world. I think I'm going to start uh, introducing all of my videos with good morning or good evening world because this just isn't about YouTube anymore. It's about the whole world. So I am now on Rumble. I encourage you to check it out. I am now on Patreon. I encourage you to check it out. All the ways that you can contact me and follow me are in the description below, so make sure you do that. You know what his laugh reminds me of is this. <laughs> 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 also known as the freaking goat and uh i'm making a comeback <laughs> this video is about me making a comeback and you notice that i said good morning world i think i'm going to start uh, introducing all of my videos in good morning or good evening world because this just isn't about youtube anymore it's about the whole world so I am now on Rumble. I encourage you to check it out. I am now on Patreon. I encourage you to check it out. All the ways that you can contact me and follow me are in the description below. So make sure you do that. And um, it's bright and early. I mean, well, I shouldn't say bright and early because the sun isn't even up yet. I woke up early at uh, 5 o'clock in the morning and um, just went to the gas station to pick up a couple monsters. I think I'm going to start drinking Monster again. I really do. Let me skip past this here. I don't feel like hearing about the Monsters. Man, I'm, Monster, you need to reach out and give me an endorsement deal. I'll tell you that because I am a huge ambassador for you guys. And um, <laughs> I've brought you guys a lot of business over the years. Yeah, so I'm anyway, sure you have. It should be no surprise to anybody at this point that my YouTube channel got taken down. <laughs> and uh, it was <laughs> unbelievable at first. But then again, the world we live in nowadays, it's its a sad, mistaken, fallen world. <laughs> you got people who lie, cheat, and steal. Uh, they commit murders, and uh, they get away with it. You know what I mean? And um, what I learned from a very, very young age, watching my dad and watching people around me in the school systems and publicly is that a lot of poor people are jealous 
of rich and successful people <laughs> and for no other reason but because they're rich and successful. <laughs> now, I've met a lot of rich and successful people throughout my lifetime and I would say 99% of them are extremely good, caring, generous human beings who love helping other people. I've met a lot of poor people in my life and I would say most of them are extremely selfish and all they think about is themselves. <laughs> Can you believe this? The, he, back to the bashing poor people thing. He did this two years ago. We clowned on him on the show back then about the rich people versus poor people thing, which is so funny because he's the poor people. This isn't even a really a rich guy who's bashing poor people, which is a little crappy to do. This is a fake rich guy bashing poor people, of which he is one of them. And during the rare moments when he's not one of them, he becomes one again very quickly because he chunks it all off in the casino with his gambling addiction. But he goes on and on here about rich people versus poor people. He's supposed to be the rich guy that you're emulating here. But he's actually saying the rich people are all good and the poor people are bad. <laughs> not just the rich people are, are better at making money or, or more driven. He's actually saying character-wise the rich people are better, which definitely isn't true. I mean, it's, it's really not true of rich or poor people who has the better character. And... Um People ask me, Christopher, what happened to your YouTube channel? And I made a video explaining everything. So I encourage you guys to go watch that video. Uh, I'm in a yellow Nike hoodie. That's the video you want to watch. I explain everything. I expose and I reveal the dead broke douchebag stalker who got my channel taken down. And uh, this gentleman has never met me before in his life. See, now we're back to that. See, isn't that funny? He's never met me before in his life. I thought it was supposed to be Lee who you met in court. What happened to that? So it's it's all over the place. I, I still think he believes it's Lee, though. I don't know how he manages in his head to say he's never met me before. He even wrote that, too. But then also it's the same guy he met in court. I don't know how he puts that together, but he's full of contradictions. But I'm a professional gambler, which, to begin with, is a controversial topic most people view gambling <laughs> in a completely wrong way and that's why I've brought light to the gambling community and I'm teaching people how to gamble responsibly and get rid of this get rich quick mentality and uh, I've helped a lot of people throughout the gambling world in the last 30 years and um, people who are not successful at gambling which is the majority of people and um, that goes for my psychopathic stalkers out there on social media. They don't know that goes for you. They don't know how to win. They've got dead in nine to five jobs. You know, they're massively in debt. With I, I'm not massively in debt. I don't lose. I mean, I lose sometimes, but I don't lose overall. I'm not a dead broke, jealous hater. I can prove that. I, I've told Christopher before that I can prove I'm not a dead broke, jealous hater who's jealous of his quote success that I can prove I actually win, and he can't. In fact, I've put out challenges before where I would bet him money that he cannot show me winning statements, win-loss statements from casinos of my choosing. I can't, I'm not going to allow him to pick a few places he got lucky. I'm talking about I, I can pick 10 casinos around Vegas for us to go to together, and then him show me the win-loss statements, and if they all add up to a win, then he wins the bet. Of course, he ignored that. Credit card payments and student loan payments, rent payments, car payments, you name it. 
they don't live the life of their dreams like my you do have car payments first of all when he got his car see he was renting cars for a while finally he got a car and keep in mind he's a married guy with a little kid but he finally got a car a lexus and this is his car but he has to make payments on it it's financed and we were able to look up who is on the title and it's it's his father-in-law <laughs> so this millionaire had to get his father-in-law to co-sign which is hilarious that's the millionaire we're talking about here my wife and i do so when they see me making money they see us traveling staying in these really nice upscale hotels they see us eating at the finest restaurants in the world they see that we don't have nine to five jobs they see that we're literally living the life of our dreams it rubs them the wrong way. By the way, that's the whole element of the scam. And that's where his history with multi-level marketing intersects with the present gambling scam. Because what they tell you when you try to sell multi-level marketing, and again, this goes back many decades before he was even born. They tell you to present a very happy, wealthy, and carefree lifestyle that you have tons of money you can do whatever you want you can have all the things of your dreams and you don't have to work very hard that it's not like having to work for anybody else you're your own boss you have lots of time to relax and that basically you just follow this formula and you become financially independent and can finally have the life of your dreams so that's what he's selling here and he does go to expensive restaurants and he orders a lot there and runs up a high bill. I've seen it on video. He does go to hotels and get suites. He does go on a number of trips during the year. And this is partially due to his pathological need to feel rich. And this is also partially to present this appearance that he's a millionaire. And the goal is to get gullible people to watch it and say, well, look, we can tell he doesn't have a nine to five job. And he does all these things that cost a lot of money. So he must be rich. And what they don't realize is he's spending his bottom dollar doing it. And that he's not doing it from his gambling. He's doing it from the money paid by suckers like them. He supports himself on the gambling coaching fees, but he actually loses gambling. Not because of anything that I've done, but just because they don't know how to be grateful and appreciate somebody who's more successful than they are. Instead of reaching out and asking that person, hey man, you're rich, you're happy, you're successful. Would you mind teaching me how to get my life to where yours is? See, most poor people, they have huge egos. And that's why they're broke. Uh, my mentor, Danny Johnson, taught me a long time. You need to weigh your ego with your bank account and figure out which one weighs more. Which one do you think weighs more with him? You cannot create wealth for you and your family if you have a big ego you need to humble yourself and that's something poor people don't want to do poor people think they know everything you can't tell them anything so you mean like that lee bradbury is not the guy you think has been bothering you for the last two years that he might just be a separate person who tried to contact an old man that he felt bad for that turned out to be your buddy and that's all he did that he tried and tried to present proof that that's all he did and that he has nothing to do with anything else going on and you didn't believe him because you're a moron who is setting your 
weird beliefs that you just couldn't think of even stopping to think critically about and thinking maybe it's a separate guy? Hmm. My life, I didn't do anything wrong. Oh, you know, nothing. My wife and I, we have a truly genuine heart. To- Very genuine. You did nothing wrong when you came on to YouTube and said that you win 100% of the time when you go gamble or you win 99% of the time when you go gamble or that you're a millionaire from your winning systems. You did nothing wrong, though, when people paid you $1,000 to learn this system that can be mathematically proven to be negative expectation and really nothing different than simple systems people have come up with over the last several decades that have all failed. Nothing wrong, though. Help people. You know, we're Christians. We were created to help people and make a difference in people's lives. And um, being a Christian, you know, I read the Bible. And in the Bible, there's a character by the name of Jesus. You may have heard about him before. Oh, yeah. He's probably one of the most famous people of all time. Really? And Jesus... Jesus was a perfect human being. He never committed a sin in his lifetime. Well, he didn't make scam gambling videos. I'll give him that. All he wanted to do was help people. He would cure people of so-called incurable diseases. He would help people manifest money by retraining their brain. So I think Christopher is trying to say he is the 2022 Jesus. He is the second coming. And there was a group of people called dead broke, psychopathic, douchebag haters. (laughs) That's the modern day term that Christopher Mitchell likes to call them. But back in the day, they were called Pharisees and Sadducees. But what they were, they were dead broke, jealous haters. They hated on Jesus. Not because Jesus ever did anything wrong, because he didn't. They hated on him. Because they were jealous of his success. And he said, I don't. They would see him cure people. And they would wonder, how is he doing that? Because they couldn't cure people. And they would see him help people manifest money. And they didn't know how to manifest money. <laughs> and the crazy thing is, I'm doing the same thing that Jesus was doing 2,000 years ago. I'm helping people change their lives. And these dead, broke, douchebag, psychopathic stalkers, also known as Pharisees, they don't like that. So they try to tear me down. They try to pull me back down to their level. Can you believe this? He's actually comparing himself to Jesus. He's actually saying that he's doing what Jesus did in Jesus's time. But today, it's dead broke, jealous haters who are the equivalent of those who are doubting Jesus. But both he and Jesus were just trying to help people and change their lives and make them better. And they've both encountered the same type of resistance. He's a persecuted man up on the cross, my friends. Because the more people they can get on their level, the better they're going to feel about their pathetic, miserable existence that they call life. Isn't this guy amazing? (laughs) This is on his new channel. This is about his big comeback. Now, he's also created a Patreon. For those of you that don't know what Patreon is, it is a site that can be used to donate to people who are creating content on the internet. It's called Patreon because you're essentially asking for people to be like patrons of the arts. And it's similar to GoFundMe in a way, except it's aimed at supporting people's content on the internet. 
That's really what it's about. So there will be people who do some kind of content, and then they will say, if you like this, then support me on Patreon. And then you can support them. Like, I could have one for this show. You may wonder why I don't, because this show would definitely qualify for something like Patreon, because I do it for free. We don't have any advertisers. I lose money on this site. I don't even try to get sponsors. And I could say, look, since I don't try to get sponsors and I want to be able to speak freely about everything, if you like this show, then donate to me through the Patreon. But I haven't done it because I just don't like the look of being a beggar. So I have not put up any form of Patreon or donate button or anything like that because I don't need it. If this is all I did and I needed this to support myself, then I would consider it because people do get free entertainment, hours of free entertainment per week from this show. And I'm sure some appreciate it. And I know a lot of people who listen to this show enjoy it and are financially comfortable at the very least and could afford to throw some money my way. But I'm not asking for that. I'm just happy enough that you're listening. So I don't have a Patreon. I don't fault those who have a Patreon because maybe that's the way they need to be able to pay the bills and they'd like to get paid for the work they're doing. Even if they already have some money, I don't mind Patreons. I I don't love when people put up a Patreon when they already have a lot of money, which of course isn't Christopher Mitchell, but I don't like it when people who have a bunch of money put up a Patreon and want you to pay them for uh, putting up content on the internet that they just enjoy putting up. I also don't love it when people put up Patreons for uh, things that they're going to be selling anyway. So where their content they're putting up is already selling something and they want you to donate on top of that. I think that's also crappy. But anyway, Christopher Mitchell's Patreon is different. This is kind of replacing his YouTube revenue because he's got this channel, but it doesn't have the same following that the previous one did because he's got to start from scratch. So he's trying to supplement this now with Patreon, hoping that people will donate to it. And that's one of his new schemes. And you may wonder, can we get that taken down? And yeah, possibly. So if you go to patreon.com slash Christopher Mitchell, exactly as it sounds, patreon.com slash Christopher Mitchell, it says, hello, everyone. I've decided to create a Patreon account because of the traditional social media channels are suppressing our freedom of speech and shutting down good channels for no reason. I love creating valuable content that helps people change their lives. So I highly encourage you to join this page for a very small amount of only $50 per month. Oh, yeah, only. Only $50 per month, folks, to see Christopher Mitchell's very, very important content. That way you can continue to get the best from me that you can't get anywhere else. Well, that's true. I mean, you can't get his type of content anywhere else. I'll say that. I'm going to be doing things here at my Patreon account that I will not be doing anywhere else. I'm going to be creating videos here for my patrons that will not be seen anywhere else. I'm also going to be doing a live online gambling session each week that you can join in and play with me face-to-face on a video conference call. (laughs) That's exciting. You can do negative expectation gambling with Christopher Mitchell on a video conference call. (laughs) That sounds fun. So if you want to continue to watch my valuable content that I will create every month, 
This small amount of just $50 a month will be required. I hope you understand and appreciate everything that I'm trying to do to continue helping people to achieve their goals and dreams in life. You know it will be well worth it. Sincerely, the GOAT. (laughs) And then there's a segment that says, about Christopher Mitchell. I'm a husband, father, professional gambler, cryptocurrency investor, which, by the way, his cryptocurrency investing seems to have stopped when he lost his ass in Bitcoin a while back, and a beach body coach. I love spending my time with my wife and son and helping people change their lives. Are there rules on Patreon against this sort of thing? Is there even a rule against gambling there? Well, there's no rule against gambling-related content, but... You can't run scams on Patreon. So you have to convince them at Patreon that this is a scam. And it may take a little while to do this because he has to provide scam content first. You can't just say the guy's a scammer and have them believe you. They have to see evidence of this before they take it down. So it may take a little bit till Patreon will take action. But once he posts some videos, I think that uh, some action can be taken. I've never tried to get a Patreon channel taken down before, so I don't know. He has also joined Rumble. Now, what is Rumble? You may have heard of Rumble in the last day or two because they got in the news by offering Joe Rogan the same $100 million that Spotify gave him to move all his content over there. And they promised at Rumble that unlike Spotify, which sometimes asked him to censor some of his content that's more controversial, that they will not have him censor anything, that he could bring his entire library over there and that he can make whatever content he wants, and they're never going to censor him. Now, there's some contractual reasons he can't just jump over there. He already has a contract with Spotify, and they currently have the rights to his content. For him to be able to jump over there, Spotify would have to release him from his contract and also release the rights to already produced content to where he could post it up on Rumble. I'm not saying it's impossible, but he can't just snap his fingers and go over there. But they put that offer out there, and Rumble is an attempted competitor to YouTube, which claims that they do not do ideological censorship. Ideological censorship, meaning censorship of different points of view or ideas or conspiracy theories. Rumble has become popular with many on the right who haven't liked some of YouTube's censorship about things like uh, COVID-19. I will agree that YouTube is a little bit too censorious of right-wing theories, and especially with COVID. While I don't agree with some of the right-wing narrative about COVID, as I've stated before, I also think that there's been a lot of unnecessary censorship of alternative points of view about COVID, some of which ended up being true, such as cloth masks not being effective, such as the origins of COVID probably being from a lab in Wuhan. These are now things that are accepted today as either true or possibly true. And uh, back in 2020 and even uh, a lot of 2021, you were not allowed to say this or you would get banned from social media. So that was very bad that we couldn't have these discussions back then because these were very valid discussions to have no matter which side of the argument you were on. I'm not saying that these were absolute truths back then. I'm saying that these were worthy topics of discussion that were not allowed and branded COVID misinformation. And if you tried to post this stuff on YouTube, you got yourself banned. So Rumble 
attempts to be the opposite of this. Rumble says you can come over here and you can post whatever opinion about any subject you want and we won't censor you. So does that mean it's a free-for-all? Does that mean it's a YouTube with zero censorship where you can do whatever you want? No. That's something that is misunderstood about Rumble. Now, you can post about general topics to your heart's content and push whatever theory or even misinformation you have, and they will not censor it. They're not going to worry, oh, what if someone sees this and gets the wrong idea about COVID and then uh, doesn't get take the vaccine or doesn't take it seriously and spreads it around, blah, blah, blah. Like They're not going to worry about that on Rumble. On Rumble, you can do whatever the hell you want regarding things like that. However, Rumble does have rules in place over what you can and can't do. They do not specifically mention scams, but they do have rules against various forms of content they don't like, which actually have some similarities to YouTube's rules. Now, how much they enforce them, I don't know. I I don't have any experience with Rumble. I don't have an account there. I've never posted videos there. I don't even watch it. But they do have rules, and it remains to be seen if they feel that Christopher Mitchell's content violates their rules. The rules they have on Rumble are against pornography, harassment, racism, anti-Semitism, copyright infringement, and illegal content. The last part might be what they would remove Christopher Mitchell's videos for, quote, illegal content, because a scam is illegal by definition. So if they consider his videos a scam, they will remove it. And that's a lot different than removing a conspiracy theory. So if he wants to post on there, 9-11 was a setup and it wasn't what you think it is and uh, it was engineered by the U.S. government, blah, blah, blah. He could post that over there on Rumble and they won't remove it, 100%. On YouTube, they will. On Rumble, they won't. He can post all his COVID theories over there and they won't remove it. But can you do a gambling coaching scam there and stay? I don't know. That's not really what they're going for over there. Rumble wants it to be an ideological free-for-all. They don't want all the trash of YouTube with all the scams and the porn and the toxic harassment and the racism. They don't want that over there because that's not what they're looking for. They they don't want to be seen like a free-for-all. They want to see a place where you can have a free-form exchange of ideas. Which, by the way, I do support that. I do feel that ideas should always be freely exchanged, even bad ideas, even incorrect ideas. Because when you start censoring ideas for being, quote, dangerous, then you end up inadvertently and sometimes on purpose censoring information that is true or partially true and you just don't like. And you censor it under the banner of misinformation or dangerous information. And that is how fascist regimes rise. I don't want to get into a whole tangent here, but the way fascism often rises is that there's censorship of the opposition and the censorship is justified of, well, we have to censor these people because they're spreading lies that are dangerous. These are dangerous people. We can't allow them to tell you lies. And people go along with it. Well, we don't want someone tricking people into believing lies. So yeah, censor them. And then they realize the truth that just censoring the opposition. It's censoring those who are trying to tell the truth about them or trying to present viewpoints which oppose the current regime. So a side effect of free speech is 
misinformation. There's always going to be misinformation. There's always going to be incorrect things out there when you have a free speech society. And you have to just accept that. That's a small side effect that comes with free speech. But free speech is so important that you have to accept that side effect. And if you attempt to go down the rabbit hole of combating, quote, misinformation, what you're going to end up doing is just censoring the opposition. That whoever has control of the censorship button will end up abusing it, sometimes even unknowingly abusing it, but often knowingly. So that's what Rumble's trying to do, and I support that. But they also don't want to become a free-for-all that just turns into the trash heap of the internet. So they may remove Christopher Mitchell, that's my point. He probably thinks, oh, Rumble is the free speech YouTube. No, not necessarily, not for what you're doing. If you got removed for 9-11 content, yeah, you'd be right. If you got removed for COVID content, you'd be right. Not for gambling scams. So let's see about that. But even if he stays on Rumble, they have a very small percentage of viewership that YouTube does. Like if you compare YouTube's audience to Rumble's audience, it's there's no comparison. It's orders of magnitude bigger on YouTube, and I don't see that changing. It's just very hard to move people off of a established video service where they're used to searching for things. And the general public doesn't have a complaint about YouTube being too censorious. People who create content on YouTube think this. Some people on the right think this. But in general, the impression of YouTube isn't, oh, we need another YouTube that doesn't censor as much. That's just something that the general public doesn't really believe. So I don't think there's enough of a market for Rumble, but they're trying. And Christopher Mitchell's over there. So he's on Rumble, he's on Patreon, and uh, he has this new channel. He's also posting on his wife's channel again, keeping up with the Mitchell apostrophe S. Another indication of how stupid he is. <laughs> keeping up with the Mitchells shouldn't have an apostrophe. It should just be Mitchells with an S. You don't use an apostrophe S when there's no possessive. But Christopher Mitchell doesn't know that. Actually, I don't know if he changed it. I think he changed it. I don't know if he changed it back because people were making fun of him on our forum. And right when people were making fun of him, he removed the apostrophe. But I don't know if he put it back or not. I don't know. I don't feel like checking right now. That's where it stands at the moment. Whether YouTube removes him, whether Rumble removes him, whether Patreon removes him, I don't know. This has been a big hit to his operation no matter what. Because he had a channel that had a decent following that now can't be found anymore. It's gone. So, even with his recreated channel, he's not going to get the same viewership. And now that his channel's been deleted, now I can make an effort to get that thing taken down, his new channel and his wife's channel, because he has now been removed, because that barrier of trying to get YouTube to understand it's a scam, that barrier is down because YouTube thought it was a scam and removed it. And even he admits that. He thinks they're erroneous. I don't think they're erroneous, but now that he's been removed, now that the lightning struck once, it's a lot easier to get it to strike twice. So we'll see. You never know with YouTube. 775-372-8355 is the number to text me or call, which is 775-FRAUD55. From the 505, Christopher may have scammed some lawyer or cop's grandparent. Yeah, it's possible that someone was related to a scam victim and was an attorney or something and decided to do something. 
because that's an obvious way to get the channel. That's an obvious way to get back at him if uh, you were a scam victim or if a relative was a scam victim. And you think, okay, well, where's V finding these people? On the channel. Let's report the channel. Okay, nothing's happening. Okay, let's uh, get a hold of YouTube legal. Like, it, it doesn't take a creative mind to come up with that. So that's my best guess of what really happened. I don't think we had anything to do with taking the channel down. Like, maybe we did. There was a listener who got a hold of me, who I didn't even know really paid attention to Christopher Mitchell, but a listener, Poker Fraud Alert Radio, contacted me and showed me that he had been able to make actual contact with YouTube, not through the report button. I won't get into what he did, but he had a way to get a hold of YouTube. The problem was uh, he was not given any status. He doesn't. It's not like they said, okay, you're right, we removed the channel. So I don't know if that is what happened or if uh, it was a victim. I'm, I'm still guessing it was a victim. The person who contacted me was someone at, it was a listener who was able to get in contact with YouTube Legal, but they were not personally victimized, nor did they claim to be. But they did lay out a very convincing case regarding what they did. And it's possible because they did it about a week before his channel was booted. So about a week before his channel was booted, a poker fraud alert listener did get a hold of YouTube Legal. But again, they were not a victim, nor did they claim to be a victim. They just basically said, there's a scammer on your platform. Let me explain it. And the person did a good job explaining it. They didn't get overly long in detail that's going to be ignored. You don't want to write a wall of text that they're not going to want to read. But they also weren't too simple. They, they were kind of like right in the middle of explaining it, but not over-explaining. And I thought they laid it out very well. So maybe that got it done, but they didn't get a response. So maybe they didn't get it done. Maybe it was really a victim who did it. I don't know. There's reasons I could believe this person was the one who was responsible. And there's reasons I could believe he wasn't. I mean, he tried. I'll give him that. He also may have been successful. or Maybe he was part of it. I don't know. I really doubt it was anything from the report button, though. Because the report button's been mashed for the last two years, nothing happened. Okay, moving on. Imagine you are a tourist in Vegas, which probably isn't too hard to imagine, because I'm sure you have been to Vegas at some point, And you're playing a machine there. And you're not doing very well. Just not having a good trip. And you go home a loser. And it's happened to people many times. In fact, that's most people who go to Vegas is they lose when they gamble and they go home and sometimes they feel stupid for it. Sometimes they don't and just say that's the way it goes. But whatever. You go back to your home in Arizona and you think, oh, well, another unsuccessful Vegas trip. But then you get a call. You get a call from the Nevada Gaming Division and they say, we've contacted you because you won a jackpot of $229,000 and you don't realize it. That weird situation occurred and has been now widely reported in the news. Got a lot of people sending me this story wanting me to cover it here. This guy who had this occur was not stupid. It wasn't someone who didn't realize they won and walked off. There was some kind of error in a machine. It was a slot machine that did not inform them that they had won. They were playing a progressive slot machine at Treasure Island in Las Vegas on January 8th. 
and there is a communications error. Now, what I think probably happened was that the communications error didn't let the uh, network know that the progressive jackpot hit, and therefore the machine didn't get the message back, lock up and award the jackpot. Because what happens is that when a jackpot is one of more than $1,200, and of course this is way more than 1200 this is 229 k that the machine will lock up and you get something called a hand pay, where they come over and you can choose the way they give you the money. They can give you a check, they can bring you all cash, whatever you want, but they give you a tax form and basically pay you by hand. So the machine is not spitting out 229K, nor is it spitting out a ticket with 229K on it. The human beings walk over and hand you the 229K in a manner of your choice, and they also give you the appropriate tax forms. So that's what it's supposed to do, but it didn't. Now, a progressive, in case you don't know, is a jackpot that keeps going up as people play and don't win. So it starts at some amount, some seed amount, and then keeps rising every time someone spins a machine that's connected to the progressive without hitting it. And it goes up a little bit at a time, like a few cents at a time with every spin, depending on how big the machine is. Big meaning how high a limits the machine. uh, It's a function of the limits of the machine and also just the speed of the progressive. And when I say the speed of the progressive, the progressive, of course, is worked into the expectation of these machines. So the bigger the progressive, the worse you're going to do when you're not hitting the progressive, because this is considered part of the payout, of course. So what you're going to have when there's a progressive is one person is going to hit it and do really well, and everybody else is going to do poorly because the machine otherwise pays out pretty poorly, even by slot machine standards. So... There is a form of advantage play, by the way, which has nothing to do with this, but there is a form of advantage play where advantage players figure out that when a progressive exceeds a certain amount on a group of machines, that it's actually positive expectation to play. And what they'll sometimes do is get a group of people together to sit on all these machines and run run playthrough until it hits and they'll often make money from this. It's pretty tedious. It can be many, many hours till you do it. Sometimes it can be days, but uh, they will do this and sometimes try to hog up as many machines as they can so they can be sure that one of them hits it and they share a bankroll. So that's a form of advantage play. Now, again, that has nothing to do with what happened here. But what did happen here, it appears, is that since it's a network of machines that are all together, this is not one machine. There are progressive machines that are one machine, but when it's all together, when it's several machines together, sometimes it's even several machines that are connected at different casinos. I don't know if that's the case here, or sometimes it's several machines that are connected in a, in a different part of the casino. But whatever it is, there is a progressive that keeps rising with every losing spin, and any machine that's connected to it that hits what it needs to hit will then trigger the progressive and they get paid out. The problem here, due to this communications error, was that this guy hit it, and then somehow it did not get back on the machine that the guy hit. I don't know if it was on the end of the network figuring it out, or the network figuring it out and then communicating it back to the machine. It could have happened on either side, because basically when the way it's supposed to work is that when the progressive is hit on the machine, the machine sends that information to the network, 
the network then sends back, okay, it's this amount, and then the machine awards that amount and locks up for a hand pay. And this didn't happen. I don't know how this guy missed that he hit the progressive. You would have thought that's why he was playing. You would have thought that he would have seen it, but somehow he didn't. This gentleman's name is Robert Taylor, and as I mentioned, he's from Arizona. He was a tourist. He was not part of any kind of advantage play group. He was just spinning that machine there, and then he walked off. This guy is such a tourist and such a recreational player, he wasn't even using a player's card, which means he wasn't even getting any kind of comps or rewards for his slot play. So they had a problem. The problem was they didn't know who he was. So once they dis- once they discovered that the progressive was hit, but not awarded, and once they discovered that this didn't occur because the person walked off, but because they were not notified properly by the machine, because it is the responsibility of the casino for the machine to notify the winner. The winner doesn't have to say, whoa, 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 that's a progressive. Hey, everybody, it's a progressive. You got to award me. Like, it'd be good if he noticed that, but it's not his responsibility. So the responsibility is on the casino. So when it is discovered that the progressive was hit and that the guy was not notified, then he needs to be tracked down and awarded the jackpot. But what if there's no indication of who he is? Because remember, he didn't use a player's card. They had no idea who the guy was. Nobody could identify him. So what do you do? How do you figure out who this guy was? So Nevada Gaming, the Nevada Gaming Control Board, got involved here, and they did all they could to identify him. And obviously they have, because they told you his name, Robert Taylor. They held interviews. I don't know who they interviewed, but they held interviews. They analyzed surveillance footage. They analyzed rideshare data, which is kind of scary. And they analyzed purchase records to try to figure out who he was. Purchase records meaning uh, they look at the surveillance footage and identify the guy, you know, what he's wearing, what he looks like. Then they watch what he was doing before and after he sat at that machine. So is it possible he went to a food outlet and paid with his credit card? Well, then they could probably figure out who he is. And they tried to look at everything they could that would connect an identity to him the same way they would as if he had committed a major crime and they're trying to find him. But here they were trying to find him for something good. So I'm not sure what it was that led them to him. But since they're including rideshare data, it kind of does sound like that he was using a ride-sharing service and that maybe at some point when he left, he got an Uber or a Lyft and they noticed that such and such time he took Uber. And so they contacted Uber and said, okay, we need you to tell us who took this Uber at this time from Treasure Island. It doesn't say that, but it's probably something like that where they just watched what he did and then figured out who he was from something like that. Now, keep in mind, the Nevada Gaming Control Board is equivalent to law enforcement. So it's not like a private company saying, hey, Uber, tell us who got in the car from Treasure Island, because it may scare you. What if companies can just ask Uber where I went and track me down or see what I was doing? It's none of their business. But this is actually equivalent to law enforcement doing it. So Uber does have to give this up and... I'm sure they were happy to give this up, given that they were trying to find someone for reasons the guy will be happy about when they find him. It's not like they're finding him to arrest him. They're finding him to give him money. 
this uh, Robert Taylor was uh, quite happy that they found him. Interestingly enough, the Nevada Gaming Control Board's Enforcement Division chief's name is also Taylor, James Taylor. And he thanked his own agents for the countless hours they spent looking for this guy, Robert Taylor. And he said that this allows the public trust in the gaming industry to remain strong because the agent spent so many hours to find the rightful owner of the jackpot. That is pretty interesting. Imagine getting that phone call that you won $229,000 and you didn't realize it. You walked away thinking you were a loser and you actually won two twenty-nine k. We almost had something like this at the World Series of Poker. I mean, we kind of did, just not for as much money. In 2019, if you remember, I cashed in the World Series of Poker. In fact, I got very deep. I finished 128th, and people who finished like 1,200th cashed in that event, or 1,300th, something around there. So I got way past the min-cash on that one. But of course, I was present for the bubble bursting and the min-cash happening. I was almost present for that in 2021. I just missed it by a few spots. But in 2019, I easily made it. And in 2019... You may remember I was talking about a clusterfuck among the tables when the bubble was coming that nobody wanted to be the one just missing the cash. So everybody was stalling. It was a big mess. They were trying to keep it to where people couldn't tell how many people were really left. So maybe to prevent the stalling, but that made it even worse. The whole thing was mismanaged. So without getting into all of that again, they made a pretty bad mistake and what happened was they thought the guy who bubbled had, you know, they thought someone bubbled and uh, was the last one not to get paid, when in reality, they were one off and that guy actually needed to get paid. (laughs) See, what the World Series does every year is the first person who makes the money gets the min cash, which is 15000 on their 10000 buy-in. But the person who just misses it by one also gets something. They get a free ticket to come back the following year. So the real bubble is two off the money, because two off the money, you get nothing. If you finish two off the money in the World Series of Poker, you get... Zero point zero. If you finish one off the money, you at least get a $10,000 ticket for the following year. If you finish at the money, you get a minimum of 15000 So what happened was one more person had busted than they thought. So the guy that walked away believing he was getting nothing should have gotten the seat. And the guy who got the seat really needed fifteen k, So they needed to contact both of them. So they were both quite happy to get the news. Both of them got something better than they thought, especially the guy who got nothing. But it's pretty embarrassing. Fortunately for them, the one who walked away on the stone bubble who didn't get anything was a known player. The one who got the free seat wasn't that well known, but because they had his info already, because they were giving him the free seat, they were able to get a hold of him easily. And the one who they found through surveillance footage that was the one who they erroneously told it gets nothing, that guy, at least they recognized upon looking at the footage. I don't know what they would have done if it was a person that they didn't know because they would have had a real hard time identifying him, but they lucked into it being a known player. So kind of similar that someone got the call, hey, you know how you walked away with nothing from the World Series after three long days? Well, how do you like a free ticket for next year? And then the guy who got the free ticket for next year, hey, how about instead of a free ticket for next year worth 10K, we give you just 15K cash for the mint cash? 
I bet he's happy with that too. Pretty bad incompetence there to let that happen. I saw it all happening. I saw it in literal slow motion. And they were screwing this up. Mattisau, he was there too. He was furious as well. <laughs> he was he was very vocal about it. He was right. That is a unique story. To my knowledge, this hasn't happened up until now. They found Robert Taylor three weeks after it occurred. It occurred on January 8th. They found him on January 28th. So 20 days later, they got a hold of him. So he sat there for three weeks not knowing. <laughs> he got the, got the news that his 229K is coming his way. Very nice, but not so nice that this error could have occurred. But, you know, it happens. That's what happens when technology is involved is there can be these problems. The funny thing is progressive jackpots have been around for a very long time. It's not like they just developed these in the 2020s. I mean, these go back decades. So I, why this error occurred, I have no idea. And again, I don't know on which side the error happened. It's possible the machine just never told the network it won. It's possible that it told the network and the network didn't give the proper message back. Something messed up. Interesting story. And now everybody who plays slot machines and goes home from Vegas can hope maybe three weeks later they're going to find out that they actually won six figures. Everybody can walk away hoping that they didn't really lose in Vegas. Isn't that a happy ending? Not really. So moving on, I think you know what time it is. Hello, Ken and Nigel Fabersham here. Welcome to Trophy Time Theater. Every week we're doing this now, are we? It's like, can't take a week off. People want to hear about uh, Mojave Desert and Las Vegas history, and for some reason that segment can go months without another update, but uh, this this rot has to appear week after week, and Druff just keeps digging and digging to find anything he can say about himself. It's, it always has to be about him, doesn't it? It can't just be stories that affected others. It always has to be himself. Me, myself, and I is all about him. Ah, bollocks. Thank you, Colonel Fabersham, for another hostile introduction to Druffy Time Theater, a segment usually in the middle of Poker Fraud Alert Radio, where I tell you stories that are just about always from my past and have no relevance, just something to be entertaining and break up the monotony of the poker and gambling stories that we tend to feature here on this show. This week on Druffy Time Theater, I have three stories for you. Not just one, but three, because I felt that one wasn't enough. Two was not even enough. I said, we're going to give you all three. The three stories are all about online poker chat in the 2000s. Now, something you may not realize is that online poker chat was a very big part of online poker in that era. Today, it is not, because most sites have either disabled chat or chat has become a much lesser part of the game. And also, it's very rare you can be on a site where people on the rail can chat. And that tends to be what spawns the most interesting stuff, rather than just the six players in the game talking to each other. But back in the 2000s, chat was a very big thing. There was a lot of trolling in chat. There was a lot of trash talking in chat. There was actually um, some strategies I developed with online poker chat in how to get action out of opponents, how to tilt opponents, and how to keep fish having fun even when they were losing. 
but also it was just entertaining. It was also something that kept me interested beyond the poker itself. And when there were railbirds involved, when railbirds could chat, which was for a while in the 2000s, then the site started to remove it. That was interesting, too, because if you were a regular in the high-stakes games, you would start to get fans. You would start to get personal fans that liked watching you play. And I thought that was fun because, you know, especially before I won my bracelet, I was a total nobody in poker, and here I started getting fans. And even after I won my bracelet, uh, I, I would have fans that would be more than the normal fans I would get in real life. And it was cool that I, I would go sit down and there would be people who would wait for me to show up there and watch me play every day and, and cheer when I'd win. So I, I enjoyed having the Railbird fans in chat. In fact, every so often I, I, I threw them a little bit of money, but only after they established they were real fans, not uh, they pretended to be just to get money. But anyway, that was all part of online poker chat. And in fact... When people showed up to Never Win Poker, which was kind of a predecessor to Poker Fraud Alert, a lot of people showed up when I showed up there. I showed up near the very beginning of the site just to kind of troll the site. But people saw I was posting there. And the reason people were talking to me because they had seen me in chat a lot during the big Poker Stars games. And they're like, oh, that's that, that's that Dan Druff guy who's always talking trash in chat. And nobody even knew who I was. I didn't associate Dan Druff with my real identity back then, back in 2004. But anyway, these stories are from various times within the mid-2000s. And the stories are, number one, about a hooker. Number two, about a bribe. And number three, about an Italian gangster. So, given that we have a lot of perverts listening to the show, I think we will start with a story about the hooker. I bet that's the one you want to hear about first, right? Well, whether you do or not, that's going to be the one you hear first. So I'd say this is around 2003. I was on Poker Stars, and I'm playing the high-stakes games there at Limit Hold'em. And Railbirds could chat at that point. Railbirds could chat in any game. They didn't have to have any money. They didn't have to be sitting in the game. And uh, I, there was a girl, at least a girl's name, because a lot of times girls' names on there weren't really girls, but there was a girl's name at the very least that became a fan of mine there and would, would cheer for me when I'd play and when I'd win. And I didn't know if it was a real dude or not. And uh, finally, after a while of this going on, and I wasn't interested in this girl. I had a steady girlfriend at the time for two years. I was just kind of curious if this, quote, girl cheering for me was even real or if it's just some dude on a girl's name. So I said at one point something like, you know, thank you. Now the question is, are you really female? And this person said back, yes, I am. I said, can you prove it? They said, well, yes, go sit at such and such table at the one cent, two cent game and, and you'll see me there. So I went over to the game. I didn't leave the game I was in, but I opened up a separate window and went to that particular one cent, two cent game. And there she was sitting there with a picture of a pretty blonde girl who looked fairly young. I was like 31 at the time, but she looked a good deal younger than me, not underage, but a good deal younger than me. And uh, as I said, a pretty blonde girl. But that doesn't prove anything. That could still be a dude. That could be a dude who stole a picture of a pretty blonde girl pretending to be that. So that's what I said. I said, okay, well, I see your picture, but I don't know if that's really you. And she says, well, how would you like me to prove it? I go, well, what way do you think you can prove it? And she said, well, 
do you have Yahoo Messenger? And I said, yes, because a lot of people had Yahoo Messenger back then, which no longer exists. And she said, okay, well, here's my Yahoo Messenger name and add me on there and I will briefly get on cam for you. So I'm like, hmm, <laughs> she's going to get on cam for me. Okay. Now, I felt a little bit funny going and getting a, uh, to watch some girl on cam, given that I had a girlfriend, but I said, okay, you know, this is nothing sexual. This is just to see if this person is real, which is that a curiosity. And by the way, the girlfriend I had then is not the one I have now. It was the prior girlfriend. But anyway, this girl then added me on Yahoo Messenger, and she turned on her cam, and indeed she was a real girl. Now, she had her clothes on. She was not uh, doing a naked show for me or anything, but she was real, and she was the girl in the picture. And I said, okay, well, what do you know? So uh, we continued talking on Messenger at that point. We didn't need the poker chat window. And uh, remember, she had been watching me and, and cheering me on for the last at least several days, maybe even a week or two. So I asked her a few things. I said, you know, what made you notice me on the site? Uh, why did you cheer for me? You know, what makes you interested in these games? So she just said that uh, she thought my screen name was funny of Dan Druff. And that's how she first noticed me. But she was watching me play. She thought I was a good player. She noticed I, I won a lot there. And she wants to learn how to become a better player and win on the site like I do. So I was kind of like her uh, poker star's idol there. I don't know if she used those words, but she was basically saying that. So, I said, oh, okay, that's cool. So I forgot how it came up, but uh, we had a further discussion and at some point during the discussion, she revealed to me that what she did for a living was she was an escort. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're probably thinking that this whole thing was to target a winning player at the high stakes games on Poker Stars and then get him as a customer. And by the way, she wasn't that far from me. She lived in Orange County. And uh, in 2003, I lived in L.A. I did not live in Vegas yet. So I was in L.A. She was in Orange County, not that far from each other. She's probably like uh, 50 miles away from where I was. So is it possible that she was just targeting a local guy? Because it said my city up there. Was she targeting a local guy or semi-local guy who seemed to have money to possibly be a customer? Well, I don't know. It's possible, but I don't think so because... She didn't tell me this until I asked. I didn't say, are you a prostitute? Like, I didn't suspect that at all. She didn't really look like one. She just kind of looked like a young, pretty, not like super, super hot, but she was pretty, like a young, pretty blonde girl. But I uh, had no reason to think she was a prostitute. She didn't look trashy or anything. And she told me this herself, but only after a little while. And at no point was she trying to push me in the direction of hiring her. Now, I'm sure if I said, hey, that's great. You know, when can I come over and pay you? I, like, I'm sure she would have said, okay, because that's what she did. But she was not trying to push me in that direction. It really did seem like the interest in me on there was poker related. She just uh, liked poker and admired that I was a winning player in these high stakes games and wanted to be like me in that way. And I, I, I believe that. Otherwise, she would have uh, tried to push the conversation towards about coming over and seeing her or whatever. She didn't do any of that. There, there was no pressure or suggestions in any way to even meet her. 
nor did I go that direction because I didn't want to. I just was curious about her, but I wasn't going to uh, have any sexual conversations or try to meet her or pay her or anything. Like, even if she wasn't a prostitute, I wouldn't have done that. Like, it's I wasn't looking for that. It was just really spawning from, is this girl really what she claims to be, who's supposedly a fan of mine on there? And I guess in a way she was, but she was also a prostitute. So, okay, whatever. Like, I said, all right, well, you know, I don't have that many fans. In fact, nobody even knows who Dandruff is except people watching me on the site here in 2003. So I am not going to be that particular here. Beggars can't be choosers. So I'll take fans wherever I can get them. If it's going to be prostitutes, then fine. If my fans are all hookers, then I'll take it. So I didn't hold it against her. I didn't make any critical comments about her choice of profession. Well, at one point during one of our conversations, we kind of talked on and off in the next, uh, I'd say, two weeks or so. We didn't, like, talk every day. We never talked on the phone or anything. It was all through Yahoo Messenger. But she never even gave me her phone number. I never gave her mine. I didn't have that kind of interest. But uh, every so often in Messenger, you know, we would talk back and forth. At some point, she sent me her website where guys find her and hire her. Now, again, this was not sent to me in a way to try to solicit my uh, to solicit me as a customer, but it was sent to me, I think, to get my opinion. I think it was something along the lines like, uh, he seemed like a pretty smart guy. Like, what do you think of my site? Something like that. So she sent it to me. So I go, oh, this should be interesting. I, I want to see this. You know, I've talked to this girl now for a few weeks. I want to see the site that she is using to get her johns. So I go there, and the first thing I find is a disclaimer page. And the disclaimer page, which you have to click I accept before you get through to see the real content, says that this is not prostitution. What you're doing is you're paying me, referring to her, for my time only. This The payment is for time spent only. And anything sexual that occurs is between two consensual adults and has nothing to do with the payment. <laughs> and I thought, you've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. Like, this is not going to hold up in court. Like, if the cops are on her page looking to bust her, they're not going to go, well, she has a disclaimer that you're just paying for her time and any sex that happens is just what they happen to want to do together. Well, okay, she's covered there. Like, it's not that simple. Otherwise, uh, you could basically have legal prostitution everywhere, and they can all just say, well, you're paying me for my time, and if we have sex, that's just what happens. That that never works. That defense would never hold up in court. You're either selling sex or you're not. So if a guy is paying to spend time with you, and then sex occurs, then usually you're going to be found guilty of uh, of prostitution. So I laughed at that little intro there. So I, I didn't say anything to her. I just clicked through. I'm like, okay, if this makes her feel better, whatever. But I clicked through and I saw her prices, which I was curious about. I didn't ask her about previously. I didn't want to ask too much about this because I didn't want her to think I was interested. Because I, I figured there was nothing good that could come from the conversation about her being a hooker. Because if I asked too much, it would either appear I was interested, which I wasn't, or it would appear that I was judging her, which I didn't want her to think either. So I just, just kind of stayed away from it. But now that she sent me her site, then, of course, I could talk about it. So 
I did see her prices. So this is how it went. You could pay for one hour, two hours, or three hours. So one hour was $300. I would think that's all you'd really need, right? In case you wanted more, two hours was $500. So, okay, you got a discount now. You got a $200 second hour. The first hour is 300 Okay, makes sense. The third hour was $800, meaning the price went back up to 300 for the third hour. <laughs> so I said, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Now, I wasn't sure if I was going to say anything to her, but I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, this makes no sense. Why would anyone pay for three hours in advance? It makes, sure, it makes sense to pay for two hours in advance. If you know you want two hours with her, rather than paying 300, 300, which would be 600, you could just pay 500 and save 100 bucks. So that makes sense. But why would anyone pay for three in advance when you could just do two and one? You could just pay for two. And then when the two are over, if you want one more hour with her, you add it on for another 300. That's the same as paying for three in advance. 500 plus 300 is the same as 800. So why would anyone do three hours in advance? Why was there a discount for the second hour but not the third hour? Like if there was no discount for any hours, if it's just always 300, it still wouldn't make sense to pay in advance. But I guess it could be argued like, okay, well, at least she's blocking off the time for you. But... Why would you get a discount for hour two, but not hour three? It didn't make any sense to me. So I'm like, should I say something? She asked, what do I think of the website? So what should I tell her? So I said, all right, well, she wants to know what I think. I'm going to tell her what I think. So I said to her, well, you know, the the website seems fine to me. Uh, I'm not sure if that disclaimer at the beginning is going to work, but I'm not an expert on that. You should just know that maybe that's not going to protect you. But uh, anyway, uh, The bigger thing to me is the thing about your rates. So why is there a discount for the second hour, but not the third hour? Now, this girl wasn't very smart, and she said back, well, those are my prices. I said, yeah, well, I know those are your prices, but you're obviously offering a discount on the second hour for a reason. So why would anybody pay three hours in advance when they're not getting a discount for the third hour, why wouldn't they just do two hours and add a third one? Why wouldn't you make the third hour discounted as well to encourage people buying three hours at a time? And she said, oh, well, because I'm, I'm trying to, uh, because my rates are 300 and then 500 and then 800. I'm like, no, 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 I'm not asking for you to repeat your rates to me. I'm asking for you to explain because it's kind of weird and doesn't, make a lot of sense why the second hour would be at a discount, but the third hour is not. And she just couldn't explain it. No matter what way she tried to answer, not only wasn't she explaining it, she wasn't understanding the question. She wasn't understanding why this was weird. So I tried to say, okay, let's say a guy wants three hours, right? She said, yeah. I said, okay, why would he pay for all three hours in advance when he thinks maybe he may not need all three hours? So maybe he can pay for two and then pay for the third and it doesn't hurt him any because it's the same 800 either way. So this way he has the option after two to bail out and only pay 500 instead of paying all 800 in advance. So he's getting no benefit for paying for this third hour in advance because the third hour costs the same as the first hour. Do you understand now? No. I'm like, oh my God, this girl. I wonder if she's a hooker. I can't, I can't imagine what other job she could get. <laughs> like she was not getting it. I was trying so hard to explain to her in so many different ways, and she just wasn't getting it. Finally, she understood, and she just told me, well, that's the rates I decided to charge. 
And I said, yeah, but why? Like, why was the second hour cheaper? I understand if no hour is cheaper. I understand if everything was the same, but why only make the second hour cheaper? And so she finally got really pissed at me and said, you know what? I don't know why you're obsessing over this. I don't know why this matters to you, but you're a fucking asshole. Don't talk to me ever again. And she blocked me. So that was it. Never saw her again on PokerStars. She probably went back to the one cent, two cent game. Didn't want to rail the high stakes games anymore because the one guy she talked to there, she had a bad experience with him because he dared to make fun of her rates, her third hour. She got so mad that I questioned that. She got so mad that I wouldn't accept why that third hour was full price. Now, had she given me a reason, at least I would have accepted it. Like, let's say she said, well, I found that guys who want three hours with me are willing to pay a little bit extra, so I decided to do it this way. Most of them aren't going to think about it the way you do. I'd say, okay, fine. You know, I can't see why they'd be that dumb, but all right, maybe they are. Maybe they're not really thinking with their big head when they are booking you. So, okay, that kind of makes sense. But she didn't say anything like that. She's like, well, those are just my rates. Yeah, but why? Why is the third hour the same as the first hour? That's what I charge. like, oh. So that was it. She she didn't tolerate my questioning of her pricing structure. So as a lesson to all of you, if you get to know prostitutes, do not question their rates. Do not question why they charge what at what time. Or otherwise, you may also get blocked. That's story number one. Story number two is about a bribe. Who made the bribe? Was it another prostitute? No. Was it a scammer? No. It was me. Yes, I bribed someone, and I'm admitting it to you. Now, the statute of limitations is long past. It occurred in 2007. The bribe occurred on Absolute Poker, and this was very shortly before the super user scandal happened in August of 2007. It was before that, but it was sometime in 07 when I was playing very actively on Absolute Poker, at the 4080 Limit Hold'em game, which again, it was one of the latest sites to still have this, but Absolute Poker in 2007, Railbirds could chat. So I could have had another prostitute talk to me, but I didn't. This has nothing to do with the prostitute. In fact, it has to do with another dude. So I actually got a lot of fans on Absolute Poker. I've talked about this before. I, I've, I actually had like what I called a home court advantage on Absolute Poker because eventually I developed so many fans. I developed this character on there called Electro. Electro had a picture of a dinosaur, and Electro was very brash, typed in all caps, and I really got everybody kind of riled up there, and the fish there loved me because they kind of saw me as this fun-loving, trash-talking gambler who was like them. They didn't see me as like a hoodie-wearing GTO uh, guy trying to exploit them for money. They saw me as one of them, an aggressive player who played a lot of hands, who typed a lot of trash in chat, and then they'd type trash back, and we'd have fun going back and forth. And it was great because these guys would keep playing. They, they loved the Electro account even when they were losing to him. So Electro was one of the most successful Limit Hold'em players in the history of Absolute Poker. And I developed a lot of these Railbird fans who found Electro to be very entertaining. I've told you about this before. But what I'm forgetting if I told you about or not is a second part of that story. And that was that uh, 
while I usually had people on my side, and it was actually a very effective because the fans, what they did for me is they'd cheer for me and they would demoralize my opponent. So when I'd win, they would cheer. When my opponent would uh, would lose to me, they would mock him. They would, uh, when I say my opponent, it could be heads up, it could be six-handed, whatever it is. Whoever's playing in me in the hand against me at the time, people would start telling them they suck and they can't beat me and Electro's better than them. And you may think, okay, this is kind of juvenile and lame. It actually worked, though. It was, it was kind of like being in a stadium with a crowd cheering for you when you do something good and, and the crowd booing the opposing players. And it can actually be tough. This is why, this is one of the reasons why that home teams tend to do better than road teams is because there is a home court advantage with having the crowd on your side. And I totally felt it there. And it was effective. And it was not only nice for me to play with people cheering for me, but also I could tell my opponents were really getting rattled by the fans I had there that were mocking them as they were losing. And I'm not just, I'm not talking about fish so much. The fish I could uh, deal with myself. I'm talking about other pros in the game who would get rattled when the railbirds who usually were just you know, pretty young guys that just uh, were broke and just liked watching poker because this is during the poker boom. Could even have been teenagers. I don't know. But uh, these fans were talking all kinds of trash to all my opponents, and even the other pros were getting ticked off. So it was helping me for sure. In fact, on Absolute Poker, the ones that were most dedicated, like I had guys who would sit there for like 10 hours a day watching me. I'm not even kidding. Uh I would start to give him like 10 bucks every so often because it was worth it. I wouldn't give this to people right off the bat or they would just uh, learn all they have to do is act like they're fans of mine. I'll give them money. But every so often I'd kick the most dedicated people a little money just to kind of give them a reward for everything they're doing because they were making me money what they were doing there. It wasn't something where I said, hey, cheer for me and I'll pay you. It was the opposite. They were cheering for me either way. And after a while, I decided to be nice and, and throw 10 bucks to them every so often, which they were thrilled to get because they were like flat broke on the site. Anyway, one day, I actually had the reverse occur. One day, my usual fans on Absolute Poker were not there. And there were a number of people in chat that just hated me for some reason. I'm talking about Railbirds, not anyone who knew who I was. In fact, Electro was not yet associated with Dan Druff or Todd Woodellis, so nobody knew exactly who it was. So it wasn't like that, but uh, they didn't like the Electro Persona, some of these railbirds that were there at the moment. And the people who did like me just weren't there. So I just had the chat clobbering me there. And not only that, I wasn't running well, and I was losing, and they were laughing at me every time I lost a pot or took a bad beat. And I started to feel what my opponents were feeling. I was, I was feeling stressed. I was feeling frustrated. So what I started to do to try to stop this is I started doing what I called perioding the chat, which means I do period enter, period enter, period enter to scroll off what they're writing. So they saw what I was doing, of course, and they would quickly type to, they'd quickly copy and paste what they were saying before and just kept pasting it over the periods. So it was like this battle of me perioding the chat out and then pasting it. Now, I was very good at the fast perioding to get things off, but the problem was I was also playing. So whenever I'd be in a hand, I couldn't be doing the perioding the chat because I was uh, clicking the buttons to, you know, bet, raise, fold, whatever. So while I'm playing in the hand, I can't period the chat, and then they're talking all kinds of trash, and we got the same problem again. So I'm sitting there so frustrated about what to do about this. Nobody's defending me. I'm just getting trash talked in the middle of every hand. Yeah, I could have turned off chat, but 
I don't know. I just didn't want to do that. I felt like that's giving up. I felt like that's admitting defeat. So I thought to myself, ah, this sucks. Like, I I really wish I had my fans there to counteract these guys, but there's so many of them. There's like like eight of them bashing me at once. There's not a single person on my side. I'm losing. I'm running bad. They're mocking me. It's just adding to my frustration. What can I do about this? And I thought to myself, you know, what I really wish is that I wish I could just like buy a service that would period this chat that I wouldn't have to do it. Then I wouldn't have to worry about this. So you just flood off all the comments here. <laughs> and by the way, these were not comments made by other players. I would never period off the uh, the comments by other players. But the, the Railbirds, I'm like, you know what? Screw them. They're not paying Rake to be here. They're not part of this game. I can period them off if I want. So... I, I'm like, you know what? It's too bad there's not like a perioding service that could just period off the chat and I don't have to worry about this. And then I thought, wait a minute. There actually could be a perioding service. So in between hands, I said, hey, everybody, I have an offer for you. Who would like $10 to period the chat the same way I've been doing it for the next 30 minutes? And all of a sudden they realized that this was going to be trouble. So they started saying, no, 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 nobody accept this. Nobody accept this. Come on, let's all be strong. Let's all have united front. <laughs> and then finally, a guy's like, sorry, dudes, I really don't want to. I hate this guy, but I need the money. So he's like, I'll do it. I'm like, okay, well, I got to be sure you're really going to do it. So you can trust me. You know, you can see, obviously, I have the money here and I'm not going to screw you. But if you're period for the next uh, 30 minutes, I will send you $10, I promise. And they're like, no, 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 come on, man, don't do it, don't do it. And he's like, sorry, guys, I don't want to have to do this, but I have to. You know, I I need the money. I've got to do it. Sorry. And he started, period, 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 period. And they're like, no, 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 no. But he was so dedicated, and he was perioding the chat, and they couldn't get a word in edgewise. All you'd see was periods. And that was the end of that. So for 10 bucks, I bought the end of the Railbridge Talking Trash. But wait, the story's not over. You see... I don't know if one of those railbirds complained or if somehow Absolute Poker just noticed. I think someone complained. But I got an email the next day from Absolute Poker telling me that my chat was suspended and the guy I paid to period the chat was suspended because I paid the guy to flood the chat. Uh-oh. That was the last thing I wanted. I love chatting there. That was a big part of Electro's game was the chat. I couldn't lose the chat. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. What can I do about this? What can I do to get back Electro's precious chat? They caught me red-handed bribing someone to period the chat for 10 bucks, And they suspended him, too. I really sent the guy the 10 bucks, but he lost his chat also. I felt bad about it. I induced him to lose his chat, and I lost mine as well. I thought, how do I get out of this? How can I possibly get out of this? I can't just say the railbirds were tilting me and I finally paid 10 bucks for someone to period it off. It's not going to fly. They already know I did that. They didn't like it. They suspended me for it. So I've got to find a reason for it. So what is a possible reason? So at first I was going to type, well, look, I'm a paying player here. I pay rake. I didn't like it. It was getting me upset when I was losing. I, this shouldn't have to happen. But I'm like, you know what? I don't think that's strong enough. They'll say, look, we understand, but you can't just period it. I'm like, I got to figure out a better excuse. What could be a valid thing to complain about? 
even if it isn't the actual reason I asked for the perioding, what could be an excuse that could fly that could get them to reverse this? So what I did is I reached into the future. I said, in 2022, 15 years from now, you know, it was 2007. I said, 15 years from now in 2022, what is the world going to be like? And I thought to myself, well, I bet the world is going to be hypersensitive about racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia, and any kind of uh, perceived bigotry. Everybody will be hypersensitive about it. So let's take a page from the future 15 years from now and come up with an excuse. And I had remembered that some of the people talking trash to me were using racial epithets, which didn't make any sense because they didn't know what race I was or what I looked like or who I was. But uh, some people were using the N-word to insult me for some reason. These were probably young guys, but whatever. Now, I was insulted by this. That's not even something that... uh, that's not even epithet that uh, anyone could apply to me. I'm just a white dude. But, you know, I, th- it was being used. It was being used frequently to insult me. So I said, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What if I were to have been so outraged by the blatant racism in this chat that I can say that I paid someone $10 to flood it off so I didn't have to look at that type of language? I was so offended. Now, by the way, I, I wasn't happy to see that like it's not like i enjoyed it or thought it was entertaining as i said i I hated the whole thing but i will admit the thing that was really bothering me is that they were aiming just general trash talk at me that was part of the trash talk but all of the trash talk combined that was mocking me as i was losing that's what was getting on my nerves It, it wasn't so much that word but anyway that word was what I could use as the excuse to get my chat back. So I, what I did was I said, that, you know, seeing that word up there over and over from these guys just got me so upset. So I paid this other guy to do it. So I said, can you please undo my chat ban and please undo the bat, the, the ban of the guy who was flooding it because he was also trying to do the right thing. And, uh, you know, and I paid him to do it and he agreed with me that it needed to be done. So, uh, you know, he should get his chat unbanned too. So I'm like, okay, I hope this works. Now, if they were to review the chat really closely, they could see I didn't make any kind of complaints about racism in there. I didn't respond to the usage of that word. I didn't say, no, I'm a white guy. Like, I just ignored it. But uh, uh, I was hoping they'd buy it. So I waited a day, and I got the message back. Okay, we will make a one-time exception and put back your chat and put back your chat the chat of the other guy. But do not ever flood the chat again. So let it be written, so let it be done. So I had my chat back, and I never perioded the chat again or bribed anyone to period the chat. But I did see the guy back who perioded it for me. And I said, you know, you got your chat back because of me. I felt bad you lost your chat, and I made sure you got it back. And he said, thank you, I appreciate that. <laughs> because they, were, they weren't doing it for him. They did it because I asked for it, and asked for that as part of my unban was to unban him too. Because I'm not going to leave behind the guy that I hired to do it for me. I want to repay loyalty, even if it's loyalty for $10, even if he's just doing it for the 10 bucks. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to repay this with uh, attempting to have his back when he faces consequences. So I got my chat back 
because I feigned outrage about chat racism. Doesn't that sound like a 2022 story? It was actually a 2007 story. But that was all I could come up with. That was the only thing I could find that would be an excuse that they might buy that didn't involve me being personally offended. I had to act like uh, I just couldn't stand the racism in their chat. And I had to get that off the screen. It worked. So that was my bribe. The Italian Gangster. Let me tell you about the Italian Gangster. This is on the CryptoLogic Network, which was... uh, Kind of a smaller network, but did have high-stakes games in the 2000s. It consisted of sites like Interpoker, Sun Poker, also at one point known as uh, Caribbean Sun Poker, the then much smaller William Hill. Yes, the same William Hill now that runs U.S. sportsbooks and very big uh, U.K. company. It wasn't small back then. It was still pretty prominent in the U.K., but... Uh, it was a William Hill skin in the UK into there. Uh, they also had uh, other skins that fed into it. I, f- I forget the names now because it's been so long. The CryptoLogic Network is, is now gone. It's been gone for a while. And they left the US market in 2006 after the UIGEA. But uh, I was a regular player on there. Railbirds could not chat on the CryptoLogic game. So this does not involve a Railbird. It actually involves another player. So this was a crazy network because, number one, the software was absolutely horrible. And there were just a lot of issues there with the, with the software. But second, you not only were allowed to multi-account there, meaning you could have as many accounts as you wanted and it was fine within the rules, so you were not cheating by multi-accounting. In fact, if you didn't multi-account, you were at a disadvantage, which I eventually realized because I noticed all these young Norwegian guys who are the high, other high-stakes players there were switching names all the time, and I did to switch my name, and then they'd know my play style, and I didn't know theirs. So I learned I had to switch names too. And again, this is totally within the rules to do. But not only could you do that, but the software was so bad that you could actually duplicate names of other players, and you'd be indistinguishable from the player you're pretending to be. <laughs> The only restriction was it couldn't be on the same skin. So if, for example, the player you're trying to imitate is playing on Interpoker, you can't make that new name on Interpoker, but you can make it on one of the other skins like Sun Poker. So that's all you'd have to do is just use whatever skin that the name wasn't taken and you could basically be somebody else. So I didn't realize this until one of the Norwegians did it. And then when I saw that happened... I'm like, wait a minute, this is not the same guy. And I figured out what they did. And and what they what they did actually, the reason I figured it out is what they started doing is pretending to be fish on there. So there'd be known fish that would just come on there, be awful and just dump money. And then I would see that fish again and the fish would be good. And I go, wait a minute, something's wrong here. How'd this guy get so much better? And that's when I realized that they were able to uh, duplicate names like this. So I never pretended to be fish, but what I did do was pretend to be one of them. I gave them a taste of their own medicine. So the first name that I imitated was one of their alternate names. There was a player named Yarly, and Yarly switched to a name only briefly, but he switched to a name that was Kuda Kinta, not Kunta Kinte. 
That's what it was supposed to be. But Yarley being Norwegian didn't know Kunta Kinte very well. So he, he was Kuta Kinta from Africa. That's the city was listed just Africa. So he was Kunta Kinta for a while. And I forgot what made me realize it was Yarley, but I figured out pretty quickly it was Yarley. Then Yarley got bored of the name and switched to something else. Uh, for whatever reason, Yarley didn't tell the other Norwegians right away that he switched names to something else. So right when he switched, I switched to Kinta, which felt weird typing that because I knew that was a, a big-time misspelling of Kunta Kinte. But I became Kuta Kinta from Africa, exactly like his account. Now, I couldn't do it on Interpoker because that's where he has his account. So I did it on a skin called Sun Poker, which was the first time I ever signed up with Sun Poker. And that account actually led me to eventually get to know the owner of Sun Poker, who was a nice guy, by the way. But I went over to his house eventually in uh, Antigua, where he lived. But that's that's a whole different story. Anyway, on uh, Sun Poker, I was Kudakinta, and nobody knew it was me. Nobody figured it out. In fact, the Norwegians were even fooled, because for whatever reason, as I said, Yarley didn't tell them that he had switched names, maybe because he didn't want them to know either. So now I'm playing as Kudakinta, and they think I'm Yarley, and they're expecting Yarley's play style, and I totally blindsided them, because these Norwegians, they thought they were so clever pretending to be fish, they didn't even bother to think that maybe someone will pretend to be one of them. And Yarley knew it, but he kept quiet. So Yarley knew I was not him, obviously, but the others didn't, and they really believed I was Yarley, so it was an advantage. I, I was finally using their tricks against them. Well, something spawned from this that I didn't expect. Of course, nobody really thought it was a guy from Africa, and the Americans still thought it was Yarley. There were Americans on there, too, and they thought that it was also Yarley, but no one thought it was a guy from Africa. But there was a new fish on the Cryptologic Network named Sansone from Italy. He actually was in Italy. I think it's Sansone. It, it was spelled S-A-N-S-O-N-E. And he was a very vulgar, awful guy. Now, I don't know what his real story was. Nobody met him. But he claimed to be a gangster. He was very vulgar. He would wish that your mother would die of cancer. He'd wish that your kids would die of cancer. He would threaten to kill you. I mean, the guy was really, really terrible in chat. Just would say the worst things, threaten people. There were people on there who told me they were legitimately scared of him. They were afraid that they'd meet him sometime and he would kill them. Like That's, that's how people felt about Sansone. They, they liked his action because he wasn't very good, but when he would lose, he would just get really, really nasty and vulgar and threatening to people. And as I said, he really scared some people, and for whatever reason, Cryptologic didn't do anything about it. And he played for quite some time. He was there for many months. Well, I decided to start talking trash to him under the Kunta Kinte account. Now, by this point, a lot of people knew who I was. Eventually, the cat was out of the bag that it wasn't Yarly, and they figured out eventually it was me. I forgot how, but eventually the word got around that Kunta Kinte was me, and it wasn't one of the Norwegians. But Sansone was just a fish. He didn't know any of us, so there was not a matter of like knowing who I was in the Limit Hold'em community. He just saw me as one of various players he was up against. So he knew English, but not super well. But uh, he had a weird 
writing style too. So he would write things like uh, um, whenever he'd write the word you, he just used the letter Y. So he'd write things like, I'm going to find and kill Y. Or I forgot what the other thing but he'd always write things. And whenever he said you, it was always just Y, which is weird. That's a very weird uh, abbreviation for you. I've seen the letter Y used to mean yes. I've seen it used to mean the word Y, W-H-Y, but I've never seen Y meaning you. But he would always say something like, uh, Y are a gift, meaning that you are a gift to him in the game, that he was trying to say you're a fish. So he'd beat you and say, uh, Y are a gift. That would be one of the things he would say. But he used Y a lot, not just in that context. Always for you. So I had no guilt in talking major trash to this guy because again he threatened to kill people he wished cancer on their moms and kids just the worst stuff you could say in chat this guy would say so i i was trying to rile him up and tilt him and make him play worse because i noticed he was very temperamental and you you could really get him angry so what i started doing was i first of all learned how to say a few things in italian to him because he would sometimes type things in italian as well which i'd have to find a translation there's no google translate in those days but anyway i uh came up with a with this phrase i said sansone e un homosexuale italiano now what do you think homosexuale is yes homosexual so i was saying that sansone is a gay italian and he hated that because he was trying to be this overly masculine tough guy and i'm telling him he's a gay italian and in, in, in italian and he knew i wasn't italian in fact not only did he know i wasn't italian but it says i was from africa and he believed it now th- i had developed this gimmick for kudakinta that he was from chad i and no one believed it but they thought it was funny i i was saying that uh, kudakinta is from chad and that he won the chad series of poker <laughs> I called it the CSOP. And the backstory to Kudakinta was that he won the Chad series of poker and that he won it because he called 10 high with no draw against an all-in by 9 high of no draw and that he won, which was an eerie prediction of the future when this really happened on Absolute Poker. That's exactly what occurred on Absolute Poker. And that was a very suspicious hand involving the super users there. But this had been before that. This is like in 05. And the super user thing happened there in 07 but anyway the joke there was that everybody was bad and that even though i was really bad and called 10 high no draw against nine high all in no draw that that i made the right move accidentally and won the chad series of poker so that was my claim to fame i claimed and then i said that the chad series of poker is not quite as big as the world series of poker that the first place winner of the chad series of poker would get a thousand dollars and a goat and the second place finisher would get a thousand dollars but no goat (laughs) and i said it took place in the rec room of limeridian which is a real hotel in in jamina chad which i looked up that's how i figured out all this stuff like i they they really did have limeridian in in jamina chad and it did have a rec room so i i claimed that's where the chad series of poker was and that was the backstory and and people thought it was funny they they didn't believe it but anyway the only one who kind of believed it was 
Sansone, I don't know if he thought I really won the Chad series of poker, but he really believed that I was an African guy who was talking trash to him. And that got him really mad because he was very racist. And he used the N-word a lot over there. And he was someone who just hated black people. And he despised that this African guy from Chad was talking all kinds of trash to him and calling him gay. Something else I started doing to him there was I used his gift insult back to him. And I used that same why thing of saying you back on him. So I would write things like, they told me that our children were, I used to think that our children were our greatest gift, but that was before I met why. Or I used to think that Christmas only comes once a year, but that was before I met why. So I'd say things like that and he would be infuriated. He hated that. And I would say that every time I'd beat him in a pot. I didn't just say it randomly. I, I would drop that on him every time I beat him in a pot and he would go on big time tilt. This wasn't just to piss him off because he was a jerk and because he threatened people and all that. Like it was fun seeing he was mad because he was such an asshole, but this actually put him on tilt. So people were loving this because they were getting tons of action out of him because he wasn't a massive fish. He was kind of like a, a semi-donk who could get very bad if he was on tilt. So Kuda Kinta put him on tilt big time because here he believed I was this African guy calling him a gift and also saying he was gay and talking all kinds of other trash to him. And he already hated black people. So boy, was he furious. Now, everybody in there knew who I was except him and was laughing at this because here's this lily white Jewish guy who's who's pretending to be uh, from Chad, a black guy from Chad, and this idiot racist uh, Italian guy is getting mad about it and is so mad that this African guy is talking to him this way. So everybody had a good laugh about this until Sansone decided he had enough. He had enough of Kudakinta and his antics. So I came and sat in a game one time. I was the sixth player in the six-handed game, so the game was now full. The blind comes to him, and he sits out, and he types, I don't play with N. I'm sure you know the rest. And I thought, uh-oh, I pissed him off too much. Now he won't play if I'm in the game. <laughs> so, so I started trying to trash talk him into playing, that he's scared of me, that he's afraid that uh, the winner of the Chad series of poker is better than he is. And I, I was saying, oh, you're just tired of being a gift. And I just kept trying to encourage him to stand up and play me, but he wouldn't do it. And everybody then sat out because they didn't want to play each other. They wanted him to come back in, which looked even worse. And he just kept typing that over and over. I don't play with N, you know what? So then they started getting pissed at me. They started telling me to leave the other people, the other pros in the game. And I'm like, what the hell? They won so much extra money off this guy because of all my trash talk that they were afraid to do. They told me privately they were afraid to talk trash. They were afraid he was going to find out who they were or he was going to show up at some poker thing and kill them. Like they were legit afraid of him. I was the only one willing to do this. And then now they're mad at me. Now, now they're mad that he sits out when I'm there and they want me to leave when they made all this extra money because I tilted him so much every time that he was in the game and I was in the game. So I said that to them. I was like, you know what, guys? No, I made you a lot of extra money. I'm not leaving. <laughs> and they got mad. Like some of them argued with me about it. 
And they said, look, you're, you're ruining it for the rest of us. And I said, no, you went along with this. You, you, were, you were very happy to see it happen when you were making the extra money, when I'm putting them on tilt, and when I'm putting myself at risk, and, and you guys are afraid to do it. So no, I'm not, I'm not leaving. I said, this guy's a degenerate. He will eventually play. Well, I was right and I was wrong. So sometimes he would sit in and play. Sometimes I was right that he couldn't resist continuing to play. But also, he was a lot quicker to quit when I was there. If he got up, then he would quit. So if, especially if he was down and he got his money back, or if he started up and he won a little bit, he'd quit. So he didn't play as long as sessions anymore if I was there. He was always kind of looking for an excuse to leave. So he wasn't out, outright refusing to play anymore, but like he'd get up a certain amount or come back when he was down and then sit out and say that same line, I don't play with you know what. So... That was an ongoing problem, and people were getting more and more pissed at me there for killing the action in these games. I eventually came up with what I called the Sansone threat system. Do you remember the color-coded threat system that they developed after 9-11, which went from green to red? It went like, I think, green, yellow, orange, red, regarding of what terror threat level we're at. So I talked about the Sansone donk threat level, and it always had to do with how much money he had on the table compared to what he bought in. So if he was way down, the threat level was at green because he wasn't going to leave because he was a degenerate trying to get it back. If he was starting to trend towards even or if he was a little bit up from the start, then it was yellow. That means he's getting closer to leaving but probably not going to leave just yet. If he's getting very close to even from down or if he's getting a decent amount up than it was orange. And if he were a lot up or he got back above even, it was red, meaning he's imminently leaving. And boy, was I accurate with that. Like people laughed at how accurate I was with the threat level. Like we only wished the terror threat level was as accurate as the Sansone threat level to leave. But uh, boy, was I good at setting that thing. I I got compliments privately like, wow, that that was good. (laughs) How are you so good at being able to tell when he's going to leave? But finally... I realized I had to retire Kuta Kinta because Sansone just wasn't playing with him there or wasn't playing as long. And it wasn't so much for the other people, but just basically for everybody is probably better to do away with that account. So I closed down that account and changed to someone else. And that was no longer happening. However, Sansone had improved. So he did learn that some of his donk antics before were incorrect so he started playing better. He was still very loose aggressive, but he wasn't as much dumb loose aggressive anymore. It was kind of a mixture of dumb loose aggressive and smart loose aggressive, so it was a little hard to play with sometimes. So he wasn't that much of a spot anymore. And then eventually he just disappeared. There was a party that CryptoLogic had in 2005 at the World Series, and I went to it, and I met some of these guys for the first time. And a number of them told me they were worried that Sansone was going to be there and that they were kind of afraid to say who they were for that reason. Like, people were really scared of him. And I said, no, I don't think he's coming. Like, I I said, who knows if this guy even is what he claims to be? I know he's saying he's an Italian gangster and he's going to kill people. And I said, who knows? I mean, this is, I think he just likes scaring people. I think he's just like talking trash online. But like, he's not going to come halfway across the world to a poker party to kill people as i was never worried about that as i i wasn't exactly going to give him my name but at the same time 
I didn't think that uh, he was really much to worry about. So, you know, I talked to some of these people who had complained, and, and I brought up to them. I said, you know, I know you didn't like when he was sitting out, but you have to understand what I was doing is something everybody was approving of and were happy with because that we were getting more action out of him. And, yeah, eventually one day he decided he didn't want to deal with it anymore and didn't want to play with me, but it wasn't fair to tell me to leave at that point. Yeah, you, you live with the trash talk, you die with the trash talk. So that's the story of the Italian gangster. All right, let's move on and tell you a story that's poker fraud alert specific. We had an incident or shall I say, Poker Fraud Alert was the place an incident was reported. The incident wasn't on our site, but uh, it was about ACR, and it was reported on Poker Fraud Alert. This wasn't something where someone just posts about it somewhere else, and I bring it to Poker Fraud Alert. This is where the person actually brought his complaint to Poker Fraud Alert. This individual, I don't know. This wasn't someone I ever was aware of before. This guy played on ACR and other winning poker network skins as Eddie Town 23. You may wonder who is Eddie Town? Well, Eddie Town is the name, or shall I say was the name, of the main character of the show Tilt on ESPN in 2005. Remember that show? Wasn't very good. It had potential, actually. The beginning wasn't bad, and then it just went into ridiculous territory. This starred Eddie Cibrian as that uh, Eddie Town character. And then Michael Madsen played the Matador as this old but uh, corrupt poker pro that cheated people all the time. And they were basically looking to take him down. And then various others were in the film as well, like Kristen Lehman played a Poker pl- a poker player nicknamed Miami, but not Miami John Cernudo. This is a pretty female Miami. There was a woman who played the Matador's daughter, who I forgot her name. She was a Canadian actress. And she was pretty. And she actually met David Williams because he was doing a cameo. They actually had several cameos from real poker players on Tilt. This was written by Brian Koppelman and David Levian, who were behind Rounders, but this was not their best work. <laughs> let me say that. They uh, really let this get away from themselves, and it only lasted nine episodes before being canceled. It tried to capitalize on the poker boom. It aired on ESPN, and it was not good. But anyway, back to the Matador's daughter. David Williams met her, and they started up kind of like a secret relationship. So I, I'm sitting here playing at the Bellagio and, and I right next to me is David Williams. And this is after he had already uh, finished in second at the 2004 main event. So he was already a known player at that point. And who's sitting with him is the freaking Matador's daughter. I, I can't believe this. I'm sitting next to the Matador's daughter, David Williams. And I wasn't known yet at that point. I hadn't won a bracelet. I had not even connected dandruff to me. I was a total nobody. But I, I went in and reported on Neverwin Poker that David Williams was messing around and kissing the uh, girl who was the Matador's daughter on Tilt, who, by the way, revealed that she had stolen the jeans she was wearing from the set of Tilt. 
she didn't say it out loud, but I heard her say it to him, so I reported that too. <laughs> and then I was asked by a friend of David's to take all this down for reasons I won't get into, so I, I took the whole post down very reluctantly. And because I posted it at like 3 a.m., somehow nobody saw it. So that post never saw the light of day except for like half an hour, and somehow it just didn't get... Like, I was sure people were going to say where to go, but no one did. Anyway, uh, David Williams uh, was appreciative that I did this. And the next time I saw him, he thanked me and was uh, very gracious and very nice. And he liked me until uh, the, the, the pictures of him in the foot porn were posted on Everyone Poker. Then he didn't like me anymore, even though it had nothing to do with me. It was posted by a user on the site. But uh, once I was associated with that, that was the end of uh, David Williams' warm feelings towards me. But that's just a little side note. But anyway, Eddie Town, 23, from ACR, who must have been a fan of Tilt back in the day, he had a story about ACR that was a little bit disturbing if it was true. But you never know when these stories are posted whether or not these people are telling you the whole story. Hey, guys, my name is John S., better known as Eddie Town 23 on ACR. By the way, he posted on Twitter as Mighty Mao 5, almost like Mighty Mouse, but Mighty Mao 5. I have been in the ACR and Twitch community for five years. I also mod for multiple Stormers. That's referring to the Twitch streamers known as ACR Stormers. I think he mods meaning that he uh, sits in the chat and moderates the chat. I think they need that for Hustler Casino Live, by the way. So he goes on to say, I never had a major issue with the Winning Poker Network until recently. Now, by the way, the Winning Poker Network is ACR. That is the network of sites that all feed into the same tables and players. And that includes uh, America's Card Room, which is the main one. Then there is also Black Chip Poker. There is True Poker, which wasn't originally part of that, but eventually joined it. I'm trying to think what else. There's, There's various skins that feed into it. But the three we're going to be dealing with here are ACR, uh, True Poker, and Black Chip Poker. But the main thing was on ACR, and that is the flagship of the Winning Poker Network. But it, it's all the same thing, basically. So he said, it started January 11th. When I was playing on the casino side, I was playing some blackjack and slots for the leaderboard. So I guess he's trying to make some leaderboard to get some kind of bonus for playing enough blackjack and slots. Now, wait till you hear what a degenerate this guy is. I had to do a few errands around the house, so I would have two to three slot machines opened and have them auto-spinning 500 to 1,000 spins at 50 cents or a dollar each, depending on the machines. (laughs) Wow. I mean, it's one thing to play online slots. This guy is playing online slots when he's not there to watch it. He's actually letting it spin by itself. Apparently, these slots have auto spins for true degenerates who just want slot action, even if they're not there to see it. Just to let it spin as they're doing other things and then come back and see how they're doing. It doesn't seem very fun to me, but that's what he was doing. He said, I would go on to do my errands about every 45 minutes to an hour. I'd come back to check and see if the auto spins were finished. Once they were done, I would repeat the process. I did this about four to five times, and once it was time to call it a night, I would open up all my bonuses that were earned. Now, for anyone who isn't familiar with the ACR slots leaderboard, this is how it works, he wrote. You get free 25 spins for $300 spent, $600 spent, and $1,100 spent. Spent, I mean, I assume he means the amount you've spun. So once you've uh, done that amount of coin and you get those spins. 
Once you have cleared all of those, you can only repeat the 1100. So once I called it a night, I should have had about uh, 10 to 15-ish bonuses pending. I'm not sure exactly what he means by that, but basically he's saying that they give you these free spins when you hit 300 coin in, 600 coin in, and 1100 coin in. But once you've hit 1100, then you uh, will only get another bonus if you do another 1100, and that's a lot longer before it's happening at 300, 600, 1100. Next one would be like 2200. So he's like, at that point, uh, he ended for that reason. He said, I opened all of my bonuses, and then at the end of the night, I took a screenshot of my balance, and he posted the screenshot. I then realized that I hadn't hit my person-to-person limit yet for the day, so I person-to-person 3,000. Now, what he's referring to is he sent 3,000 to a friend. Uh, ACR apparently has a feature where you can send up to $3,000 to another player on there per day. So he decided to send 3000 to someone he knows. I don't know if it's a friend or whatever. You know, People trade money all the time, ACR for cash, ACR for PayPal, ACR for Bitcoin, whatever. So that's what he did. Now I get on the next day with 9400 in my ACR. So he had 12400 He transferred that 3000 to somebody else. Now I get on the next day with 9400 in my ACR and 1200 in my black chip poker, which, remember, is the second skin into the same network. I wanted to take out another 6000 off my ACR to leave myself with 3400 to degen and play the upcoming Cube Series, which is a poker tournament. But that's when I found my ACR and black chip poker accounts had both been suspended. Uh-oh. I contacted support to see what the issue was. I got an email saying discrepancies and it's under investigation. Hmm. So what he wrote to them was, hi, I was just trying to get on my account to play slots and poker and I got a lockout saying my account has been suspended. Name is Town 23 My black check poker was also suspended. How do I go about getting unsuspended and why was it suspended? And then he said, I sent a proof of photo and address in advance to speed up the process. So he knew that sometimes they're going to ask, hey, let's see a photo of you and let's see this. So he sent all the stuff to verify himself just so they wouldn't ask for that and he could speed up getting his account back. So Taylor R. from WPN, meaning Winning Poker Network Support, wrote this. Hello, John. We hope this email finds you well. It is a pleasure for us to assist you. We understand that you got a situation with the account suspended. Currently, he's under incestigation. <laughs> Not investigation. He's currently under incestigation. <laughs> Maybe that's the reason. Maybe they think he's incestuous. Maybe they think he's been having sex with his sister. I don't know. But he's currently under incestigation. Since we noticed some discrepancies on the casino side, We will let you know as soon as the investigation ends, and we will provide you the resolution. Please let us know if there's anything we can do for you. Kind regards, Taylor R. Winning Poker Network. So that's already a little strange, right? Like, what kind of discrepancies could there be? What is a discrepancy on the casino side? What does that even mean? So he said, clearly you can see in the email that the above is on the, quote, casino side, which is really odd to me. I'm not sure what the problem could possibly be, hence I'm not in cahoots with a blackjack dealer or seesawing slots, super user, etc. He's basically saying, obviously, I wasn't cheating. It was uh, something that they claim is on their side. Now, the shitty part is I have $10,600 being held while they continue an investigation, which takes two or more weeks, and have complete silence and no replies to any of my emails. Finally, after 17 days of no answers, I got this message as a follow-up email. Hello. 
your accounts were closed due to a breach of our terms and conditions, and that is the way they will remain. Please let us know if there's anything further we can do for you. Yeah, how about open my account? (laughs) It's a weird way to end it because it's the form letter, the way it ends in the signature. But still, your accounts were closed due to a breach of our terms and conditions. Actually, sorry, it wasn't the terms and conditions. According to this email, it was a breach of the terms and conditions. (laughs) I'm guessing it was too hot in the room or something when he was playing. He was breaching the therms. While I waited for ACR support to reply back to me about my ACR and Black Chip Poker accounts being closed, I got an email alerting me that my True account, meaning True Poker, had been closed on January 27th, 15 days after my two other skins were suspended. Now I'm really confused as to what the issue could be, so I emailed WPN support regarding my True Poker account. He wrote, I'm writing this message because I literally just tried using my account on True Poker and it's been suspended. I haven't been on this site in on this site in a while, referring to True Poker, since ACR is my main source and not sure why it was suspended or what I have to do to get it back. They wrote, Hello John. We hope this email finds you doing well. I love how they always write that when they're dropping the news on you you're banned. Please note that your account has been has triggered one of our security flags. Due to privacy policies, we can't disclose the details of the triggered flag. Why not? It's your account. Why? Whose privacy are they protecting? However, we can see the alert itself and our system has automatically disabled your account. This decision is final. Please let us know if there's anything else we can do for you. We are at your service. No, you're not. They got to fix these signatures and not use these when they're banning people. He writes, mind you, I haven't used this skin for some time, probably like 10 or 11 months, since a bankroll challenge with a fellow community member, and this account has zero dollars and zero tickets. I find it odd that due to a privacy policy, they can't disclose the issue with me that led to my accounts being suspended, and why they're holding my funds. I'm 100% sure I didn't do anything out of the ordinary from what I would normally do or against terms of service. Like I stated before, I'm a poker player first, but like to degen a little bit here and there in the casino. Also, I find this email insulting, especially since ACR is my main income, and I thought it was an unnecessary needle. And then he was showed the next email with a needle. Hello, John. We hope this email finds you doing well. The security department's permanent account closure is final. Regards, we would also like to invite you to check more info on our upcoming Venom tournament. It's a multi-day tournament that guarantees $1 million to the first place winner. Check out more info on this link. <laughs> Yeah, he uh, gets invited to the Venom tournament after he's been completely banned. He thought that was a needle. He says, now I've taken a few days away to reach out to certain individuals behind the scenes to go about fighting this or how to go about getting my 10.6K back before making this post. A lot of people are really confused about this whole outcome and situation. I understand I'm sticking my neck out by making this public, but I don't know what else to do. I mean, as far as being affiliated with World Winning Poker Network anymore, I clearly don't want anything to do with them anymore, especially the way this whole situation played out. I don't feel safe being on a platform that can randomly suspend your account due to discrepancies without knowing if it's something on their end or what the issue is. Now, all I care about is trying to fight to get back my 10.6K that is owed to me, but according to the last few emails I'm getting, it definitely seems like they're just flagging everything as decision is final. So whether I get my money or not, I want to make everyone aware that this site isn't 100% safe or trustworthy. I have been a loyal member of the Twitch, Twitter, and ACR community, and most of you know me, whether it's behind the scenes or on Twitch or on the felt. Hmm. 
So that's his story. But is there something he's not telling us? I mean, it seems like he just got screwed here and they were not telling him what he did wrong and just took his money. That's pretty messed up. But sometimes when these happen, people actually have done things wrong. They just don't want to admit it. And they bring it out to the community, hoping that the community will take their side and shame the poker site into giving them their money back, even though they definitely did break the terms in some way or did cheat in some way. If you remember my story about those bots that were closed on full tilt in 2007, remember I told that last year, and they did the same thing. They ran to 2 plus 2 and complained that they were unfairly accused of botting and had their money taken when it appears that, yeah, they were probably botting. So is this one of these cases? Was this John guy actually doing something wrong? And is he coming to Poker Fraud Alert to help pressure ACR to give him his money back that he doesn't really rightly deserve? Or is it possible that he was falsely accused of something and that they basically stole over 10K from him without justification. What I could tell is that I didn't like the way ACR was handling it. I didn't like how they were just saying, we're taking your money. We're not telling you what you did wrong. You breached our terms. That's it. It has to do with the casino. That's all we're telling you. I didn't like that. I thought there was a fair chance that he was telling either the truth or mostly the truth and that this seizure shouldn't have occurred. Wasn't sure of it, but I decided to try to help him out. But I had to ask him a few questions. So these are the questions I asked him. Have you only had one account on each WPN played on your computer or IP address? That is, let me know if any friends or relatives used their WPN accounts on your computer or IP address at any point in the past year. Because I was worried maybe they were thinking he was multi-accounting. So he said, I've only had one account per skin and my wife and mother had use of their accounts when this all went down they did an apparent ip ban on the 27th with with true and my wife's and mother's accounts got hit but with a selfie and id for verification they're both back up and running Uh oh so that that's already got a problem right there that right there i started saying oh no this is a multi-accounter because do you really believe this guy's wife and mother are playing on there like maybe his wife but his mother like i don't know how old this guy is but he's old enough to remember eddie town from 2005 He's probably not as old as me, but he's probably not a youngster. So his mom's got to be pretty old. So his mom is playing on ACR? His wife's playing on ACR? Like, uh, like I'm going, I, I bet this guy has three accounts, and that's, that's what they're concerned about. So right away, I was worried about this. Number two, have you redeemed any deposit bonuses lately on ACR or WPN? Because that is something that gets the sites really riled up if you have multiple accounts and you're getting multiple bonuses. They call that bonus abuse, and that's the reason a lot of casino accounts end up getting banned. Whenever you hear about someone losing their account on a online gambling site having to do with a casino, it's almost always about bonus abuse. I asked, have you redeemed any deposit bonuses lately? And he said, no. I said, it seemed from your story that you were earning bonus spins for your slot play and that you opened your bonuses before going to bid on January 11th. You described these bonuses as 25 spins each, but you also said you opened bonuses, which sounds like it's more than just free slot spins. Can you explain what bonuses you received or opened on January 11th? He said the slots leaderboard is $30 or 30 free spins for 50 cents spins uh, that make $300. $600 is uh, 25 spins. You get 25 free spins for 75 cents. And then $1,100 spent is 25 free spins at uh, $1 to 150 you can stack these like I did, but some bigger streamers will save up to 200 of these 
So I notice after you stack, you'll lose some of these here and there. So he didn't totally answer the question, but it sounds like he's trying to say that just whatever free spins he earned, he, he used. That's what he's trying to say. I said, were these bonuses open to everyone on ACR or targeted to specific people? I asked that again because of bonus abuse, because I thought maybe if this isn't open to everybody, that he was redeeming these on a few accounts to get more than he otherwise should. He said, bonus rewards are open to all. All you have to do is spend $300 or more spinning and you get rewarded. I said, did any other accounts receive or redeem these bonuses which could possibly be associated with you, such as friends or relatives? Because remember, you get them at 300 600 and 1100 but then not again until another 1100 is spent. So I thought maybe he did this to get those 300 and 600 level bonuses on these other accounts, and that's what they're worried about. But he said, I mostly did the auto spins from my ACR account, and when I was done with my regular spins on my Black Chip Poker account to get the free spins bonuses, never been an issue before. Usually I'll spin on my computer and wife will spin on her laptop. I said, uh-oh, there we go again. That sounds to me like his wife got these bonuses right from his same IP, and that's what they're pissed off about here. I asked, is auto, is auto spinning a feature on the slots on ACR, or we're using an external program to accomplish this? For example, Benjamin uses an external clicker, an auto clicker, to do repetitive things on Roblox to earn things. So he'll be playing Roblox, and you'll need to be doing this really repetitive thing to earn diamonds or whatever is in the game. And rather than sitting there clicking for six hours, he'll just leave the auto clicker on and go to bed, and then he'll wake up in the morning and have these diamonds. So wondering if this guy did the same thing, and maybe they don't like the auto spinning, but he said... Auto-spinning is a feature available on most machines. Very rarely will there be a machine that doesn't have it. So he's saying it's just a standard feature there. Number seven, how much of that 12400 on ACR was won by playing slots or redeeming bonuses? He'd say, that night I would say about 9 k was won on slots and blackjack. I'm pretty sure between poker, sports betting, and casino, I've won about 35 k in the last two and a half months and never had an issue until that night. Not sure what caused all this, but a few people reached out to me saying they were having issues with slots, the casino, etc. ACR removed the slots leaderboard bonuses on the 14th, so that says clearly they had an issue on their end. I don't think it's fair to point fingers at me over a situation I'm not aware about. So who knows if he's playing dumb here, but I do believe that there probably was some issue with that leaderboard that led to his account's closure because, as he said, they took down the slots leaderboard on the 14th just two days after they closed his account. Number eight, regarding the account which received the $3,000 from you, remember the transfer he did, on January 11th, who is it? You don't have to name them. Please let me know if they could possibly be believed to be you. For example, if it's your brother, the answer would be yes. If it's your roommate, the answer would be yes. If it's your buddy who comes over and plays ACR from your house sometimes, the answer would be yes. If it's someone unrelated across the country who's never used their account on your computer or IP before, the answer would be no. So basically, I'm asking here, you transferred the money out, but did you transfer it to an account that they may think is your second account? And he said, no. So he must have transferred it to some other poker player that has nothing to do with him other than maybe being his friend. So those were his answers. Well, I was most concerned about the wife and mother thing. And I told him so. I said, I'm going to be honest with you. The wife and mother accounts are probably the issue here. And you probably are going to have a very hard time getting the money back. I said, I'm not judging you. And in fact, brick and mortar casinos don't really care if you bring your wife and mother to redeem a promotion, provided they qualify for it, even if they're aware that the your wife and mother are just there to play under your tutelage and are using your bankroll, they tend not to care. So I said, the 
problem is that this sort of multi-accounting is very rampant online where people have learned to exploit these one per person plus EV promos by simply signing up friends and family and playing as them. In fact, Bovada had a huge problem with this once they started accepting cryptocurrency, where advantage players were signing up new accounts, attempting to aggressively run up deposit bonuses without ever wagering real money, and then would either walk away with tens of thousands ahead or break even and cash out. Because no actual bank account was required, these people simply falsified identification and pretended to be separate people repeatedly doing this. I said, I realize you're doing nothing like that, but you can understand why ACR may be very suspicious as to why your wife and presumably elderly mother want to play on their site, especially at similar games to, to what you do. My guess is that your success in the casino, plus the th- quick 3K player-to-player transfer immediately following the win, triggered an audit. During this audit, they probably noticed the existence of your wife and mom's accounts. They likely suspected shenanigans, suspended you, and eventually concluded that you were multi-accounting. So I have two more questions. Number one, did your wife or mother have any balance in the accounts at the time of suspension? And number two, did your wife or mother ever redeem any bonuses or frequently run the slots for free spins like you did? So I thought the answer was going to be yes, they did, and that was going to be that. I wasn't going to help at that point if that was the answer because, you know, I I didn't believe that his wife and mother were really playing. I really believed it was him on the accounts. I don't know. That was kind of what I thought. Maybe his wife, again, his mother, I don't believe. So um, I don't care. I'm not judging him. But but had he said they redeem bonuses or whatever, then I say, okay, this is a guy trying to get more bonuses than he's entitled to. ACR caught it, and he's fucked. So... I was not going to go to bat for him at that point. And again, not judging him, but I'm not going to stick my neck out for someone and try to get this resolved if he's really breaking their terms. So you want to do this, you can do it at, their own, at your own risk. I'm not going to help you get out of it. So he said, my mother barely plays on the site, and when she does, it's like a $1.65 game here and there. My wife also barely plays unless she wins a free ticket through the ACR show on Twitch, but sometimes she will dabble in slots if she wants to play. But never does she chase the leaderboard. She'd rather play 25-cent spins just to kill time sometimes. Neither of them have anything to do with my situation, especially since neither have been on recently, like in the last three months. So I asked, did they redeem any bonuses or run the slots for a free spins promo? And he said, no, they don't spend much money other than $5 or $10 here and there. Well, that changes it back. Because if he was not getting any benefit out of playing as his wife and mother, now I believe that it probably really was his wife and mother. Because I, I, I went back and forth. At first, I'm like, oh, no, not the whole wife and mother thing. I've, I've heard that one before. But then if he really was not playing on those accounts, if it really was just some person running a few slots at, at five bucks total, like that, he's not getting anything out of that. So there'd be no reason to play on those accounts if he's not trying to earn bonuses or get some kind of advantage then it kind of does sound like that he just kind of referred to them, referred them to ACR and they enjoy playing for low stakes in these slot machines. So I said, to be clear, your wife and mother have not been the recipients of any recent bonuses, including the free spin bonuses you talked about. He said, correct. Their accounts have nothing to do with the situation, especially because they both got their accounts back. I literally hate the fact that this is happening over something I barely use. I will dabble on the casino side here and there, but my main source is poker and sports betting. So I thought, okay, I'm kind of like sort of convinced at this point that he might have been wrongly suspended, wrongly banned, actually, not even suspended. So I decided to use a contact I had. Remember last year when a well-known individual in poker had $12,000 stolen from him 
not by ACR, but by PayPal. Remember who that was? One Chris Moneymaker. And remember I went to him, and not only did I give him some advice on how to deal with PayPal, but I also went to him with a recommendation for an attorney to hire to help him get it back. And remember he hired that attorney? That would be attorney Eric Benzamokin. And remember that after that attorney made the whole thing public, that Chris got his money back very quickly? Remember all that? I've always had a decent relationship with Chris Moneymaker. Now, he and I are not close friends. We never hang out or anything. But uh, we've always gotten along. And we've always had a decent relationship. So it's always someone I can talk to. That's why I went to him when he had the PayPal issues. That's why I recommended Eric to him. Because this is someone who I get along with. So I figured, all right, you know, I've got a dialogue with this guy. I'm going to message him. The last time we talked was in uh, December. But I'm going to message him and see if he can help look into this. Because he is currently the lead site pro on ACR. Remember, they hired him shortly after he left PokerStars. Now, Chris Moneymaker has done a great job as the site ambassador because he has actually gone to bat for people. When people have had problems with the site, he doesn't just go, well, you know, I'm just the guy they uses the face of the site. This isn't my business. Just go to support. He doesn't say that. He, he will look into things for you. So I brought this to him and I was honest with Chris. I said, Chris, uh, my feeling is that there's a good chance this guy has a point that something wrong happened here. And for sure, they're not telling him anything, which doesn't sit well with me. But, you know, I don't know this guy personally. He could be full of crap for all I know. It's just from what I'm gathering, I I think there's a decent chance he's telling the truth. So can you please look into this and see what happened to him here? I'd appreciate it. And, you know, if it turns out he really was doing something wrong, then I'm sorry. But I think that because they won't give him an explanation, I think he deserves one. So Chris said, okay, I'll look into it. You know, I've had some where people come to me and it turns out that they were lying and they were actually doing some pretty bad things here and the closures were justified, but all right, we'll give it a try. Then the next thing I heard was actually via a tweet from Town 23 on Twitter. Update on my ACR situation. This was dated February 7th. It seems whatever the issue may be, it has all been resolved and we are back up and running. Thank you to everyone who reached out and helped me during the past few weeks, especially Wug, 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 and Todd Wittellis. Wug, 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 Wug is uh, named Ruben. He is a like ACR stormer there, or was, but he has some relationship with them still. So I guess Ruben helped him somewhat, and then he was praising me as well for helping him. And then he showed the email from Peter R. at support. Account reinstated. Dear John, we hope this email finds you well. It's a pleasure for us to assist you. After further review of your account, we've reinstated your account and credited back the confiscated funds. You can get into your poker app at your best convenience. And we'd also like to invite you to check out more information of our promotions, blah, blah, blah. It's not important. So he's basically told we've reinstated your account and we gave you back the funds. They didn't say what happened. They didn't apologize. They didn't say this was their fault. They didn't say it was erroneous. They are just... We've just reinstated and given you back your funds. They didn't say whether he did anything wrong or that he didn't do anything wrong. Chris Moneymaker then messaged me and said that he was the one who got it reopened. He said it wasn't easy, but he got it reopened. And he said that 
they were insisting to him that they were giving this guy a one-time forgiveness for quote what he did, and next time there would be no forgiveness. And Chris said that he told Eddie Town here that whatever he did, don't do again because they're not going to let him back on the next time. So I still don't know if there's something that maybe Eddie Town did that he doesn't want to say and that he's kind of been hiding that was kind of marginal whether it was okay or not. And ACR is like, okay, but this is your last chance. You fuck up once more, you're gone. But at least he has his money. And he posted that he's able to withdraw. He said he did withdraw almost all of it. He withdrew everything from ACR except for 1200 that he is going to continue playing there. But at, and now at this point, it's his choice. Now he's very aware of what happens over there. And if now he gets suspended again, then tough luck. I'm not going to even get involved. So at this moment, he has the option to get up and leave and take every penny. And that was my biggest problem, was that they wouldn't let him take his money. If they just messaged him and said, look, we don't like what you're doing the casino side. We're not telling you what. You know what it is, but we're not telling you. But here's your money. Take it and get out. Well, I may be a little questioning of why they have that attitude, but I would assume they have some reason for what they're writing. And ultimately, it is their site. And if they want to kick them off, they can kick them off. There's a difference between kicking someone off and letting them take their money, which is their right to do, and kicking someone off and confiscating their money, which really isn't their right to do, because they're basically stealing your money. So they have to have a damn good reason for confiscating that money. And I just don't think it's right to tell someone, we're kicking you off and keeping your money, and we're not telling you why. Even if the person was engaging in wrongdoing, tell them. Tell them what they did. The reason these sites don't like to say is because they don't want to give people who were abusing their system a hint of what got them caught. So they don't want them to make another account and not make the same mistake next time. So they leave it very ambiguous where the people don't really understand what got them caught. And they assume these people will know what they did, but they don't know what they did to get detected. So they just want to say as little as possible. So the least amount will get figured out. And they assume, look, we know they did something wrong. They know they did something wrong. And that's enough. But the problem is sometimes it isn't. Sometimes there is a false positive. Sometimes there are false suspensions. And it really should be the right of all players to know what they are being accused of. Like imagine if the justice system worked this way. Imagine if the police could arrest you and then you could go on trial without knowing what you're accused of. And then you could be convicted of a crime without knowing the accusation where they just say, we know what you did. You know what you did. And you're guilty. You go, wait a minute, how can I defend myself? Nope, you know what you did, guilty. You're going to prison. Imagine if that was our justice system. You would think that's the worst justice system on earth. So how, how can these sites operate in this fashion where they can steal your money and say, well, you know what you did? No, maybe you don't. So they should always justify, even if it's going to give away something, they should always justify why they are taking your funds, even if you're guilty. You should always know why you're getting your funds taken because that will allow them to separate the guilty from the not guilty and allow people who have a logical explanation to give it and then possibly get it reopened. I would like to thank Chris Moneymaker for taking the time to get involved here. He was the biggest factor in getting this reversed. I was the one who brought it to him, but he was the one who did all the work to make it happen. So he has been a great ambassador for ACR thus far. And I'll give him credit. He's not just 
collecting a paycheck because of his famous name in poker that he'll be able to do basically for the rest of his life. He's not just doing that. He's actually doing things he doesn't have to do, like looking into what happened to this Eddie Town guy and even, it seems like, arguing with support and getting them to reinstate his account. Chris also told me that they would not tell him what Eddie Town did wrong. That they just said, he did something, he knows what he did, we're giving him one more chance. But okay, now he could take every penny off and never come back. Or he can keep playing. Now he's doing it at his own risk. Now he knows what might happen. So if he does come back and says, oh no, they took my money again, I will say, sorry, you're on your own this time. You didn't have to come back. You could leave. But be careful on ACR with your casino. There was another incident a few months ago where a number of people got suspended because they took advantage of some promotion that was way more generous than it was supposed to be. And people got all kinds of bonuses they weren't really entitled to. And they figured, hey, you know, if, if we're getting these bonuses, then it's tough luck on ACR for accidentally giving too much. So it's not our problem, but the word got around very fast and people started rapidly uh, playing in the casino at, at these particular games to get these bonuses. And it was very clear people were exploiting what had occurred there. And then a bunch of people got suspended for it. And I had someone come to me and say, what do I do about this? And I gave him some advice on how to get out of it. I'm not going to repeat it out here, but I said, you know what? I, I kind of understand at the same time why they are taking this action. I'm not judging you here, and I understand that if you see that there is a way to get a bunch of bonuses at a casino, then you just take it. And that's what Advantage Play is all about. But at the same time, you can't be surprised if an online site comes back at you and suspends your account and won't let you withdraw. And that's different than brick-and-mortar casinos where, in most cases, you get to keep the money. So watch out with things like ACR. Don't say, oh, wow, I can get so many additional bonuses here by just taking advantage of this promo they don't realize is overpaying. Yeah, you do that, and if they can tell you're only there for that reason, then they very well may suspend you and keep your money and have no sympathy for you because they see you as someone who's trying to roll them. So you got to watch out with these offshore sites that you don't give them the impression that you're trying to roll them. Because if you give them that impression, then they have no qualms about rolling you. And then you really have very little recourse. And even if you bring it out to the public, you're going to get very little sympathy from the public if it comes out that you were trying to screw them on a bonus. People tend to only feel bad for those online who were wrongly accused and had their accounts closed and they hadn't done anything to justify the closure and seizure. But if you've done something that would justify a closure and seizure, then people tend to not care very much. So when you see one of these opportunities come up on one of these offshore sites, I would not advise taking advantage of it because you're going to get caught, especially if you're hearing about it through the grapevine. If you discover it yourself and you're willing to do it quickly and then cash out quickly and hope they don't catch it. You know, that's your risk you want to take. They may still catch it. But if if you're like the 20th person hearing about this, then for sure they're going to catch it. I don't know if anything like that happened here. To me, it kind of sounds like that there was something about him getting these bonuses and, and winning a lot recently. There's something about this that made them concerned. So I don't know if he actually did anything wrong. 
there's something they found non-standard here, but something that wasn't so bad that they were willing to give him one more chance. So it was not something egregiously bad for sure, or they would have told Moneymaker, no, it was something egregiously bad. We're not reopening it. This looks like it was something probably marginal where it would have been kind of hard for them to defend. So they probably like, okay, fine, we're reopening, but he pulls us again, he's going to be gone. But they wouldn't say what it was. Someone complained that the only reason that they reopened it was because he made this public and because he made this public to someone who then was able to get a hold of Chris Moneymaker and have him look into it, being me. And that's true. Someone said if he was just a regular player with no contacts and with no ability to make a big deal about this and who didn't know who to go to about this in the poker community, that he would have been screwed. And answer to that is correct. He would have. So, yes, this was a poker fraud alert success story. This is exactly the way I wanted this site to work, that people that have some kind of gripe with an online poker site that screwed them can bring it here that I will analyze it, that I will ask them questions, and then I will attempt to help them with no promises of success, but that I'll attempt to advocate for them if I think that they may have a point. And that's what I did here. I wasn't sure he had a point. I wasn't sure that he told me everything, but it was close enough to where I figured, okay, I'll try to help this guy. So I did. I brought it to Chris Moneymaker. Chris Moneymaker graciously helped out. And now the guy has his 10600 back that he otherwise would not have had and I'm pretty sure that Poker Fraud Alert was what did it. Well, Poker Fraud Alert and then Chris Moneymaker. I mean, it really looks like that. Chris told me himself that he was the one who got them to reopen it. And I was the one who went to him. And I only went to him after this public grilling of Eddie Town 23 to make sure he wasn't doing anything egregiously wrong that would have justified it. So like if he had been earning bonuses on his mom's account, I wouldn't have gone to Chris Moneymaker. I'm not going to waste waste Chris's time with this to try to get this guy's account reopened if he's just abusing bonuses. And again, I'm not judging him for abusing bonuses. I'm just saying that if that's what he was doing, he took his own risk and he lost, and that's it. I'm not going to ask site pros to interfere when a dude abuses bonuses and gets caught. But it didn't look to me like he was abusing bonuses, so I decided to go to bat for him. So... This was a poker fraud alert success story. And we've done it before. We've helped people before, both in the online world and the live world. We don't do this every day. But if you know somebody that has actually gotten screwed, and I don't mean because they took a bunch of bad beats and think the site is rigged. I'm not going to help with that. But if something like this occurred where you got your money seized and you legit did nothing wrong, I don't mean you're pretending you did nothing wrong because it'll come out but you legit did nothing wrong, then bring it to Poker Fraud Alert and I will try to help you. That's exactly the type of thing I would, I, that I hoped this site would be doing when I started it almost 10 years ago. So I was very happy to see the success story. I'm happy this guy has his 10,600 that he probably wouldn't have if we didn't exist. He was going to come on this show before but the point was kind of moot once he got his money back. So as much as I would have liked to have him on here, he didn't refuse. I just kind of thought there's no point to have him on now that he got his money back. So as much as I would have liked to have him on here and have the drama of what happens to his 10.6K, I'm happy he just got it back and the matter's over. And I'm happy that Poker Fraud Alert had a part in the whole thing.
So what do you know? A rare happy ending to one of these type of stories. So moving on, there was a major outage on poker stars that lasted for quite some time, for several days, not in the poker stars that is worldwide, but the poker stars that is in New Jersey, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. That and its sports betting product, FoxBet, went down for quite some time. And this left a lot of people guessing as to what really happened. If you remember, there was also an outage recently from Ignition that was similar. Ignition and Bovada had a long outage that made people very suspicious. And that's kind of died away because it came back up and everything was fine. But that was in December. This is February. And now PokerStars in the legalized U.S. market had a similar problem. It's unclear if these two have any relation to each other. The Stars Group, which is the owner of PokerStars, apologized after people were locked out and unable to play without any kind of warning over the weekend and further. All of the real money applications that are part of the Stars Group, which includes the Foxbet Sportsbook, Poker Stars, and the Stars Casino, did not work anymore. And also the partners with Poker Stars to provide these legalized games because uh, these have to be associated with a brick and mortar casino in order to have a license in the U.S. Of course, they also uh, suffered from this. So uh, people were getting very upset about this. And there was some question as to why it happened. Is it possible that this is a DDoS attack? Is it possible that competitors are trying to bring them down or bring people's faith down in them when the Super Bowl is coming up next week? that maybe people will be afraid to bet on them after this debacle and they'll go somewhere else to place their bets on the biggest betting weekend of the year. All of the weekend poker tournaments were canceled on poker stars in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Michigan. Furthermore, there was very little information given to any of the customers as to what was occurring. Some people thought of cyber attacks. Some thought maybe there was ransom attacks where they were uh, getting DDoS'd and being demanded to pay a ransom. There is even some conspiracy theories that uh, Flutter Entertainment, which is the parent company, was trying to mess with the valuation of Foxbet ahead of the Super Bowl to bring the, the valuation down. Finally, Foxbet's vice president for communications, whose name is uh, Eddie Modell, M-O-T-L, spoke about what was occurring. He said, our sites are currently down due to unscheduled maintenance and our tech team is working hard to get everything's back up and running ASAP. Customers across all verticals, Foxbet Sportsbook, Poker Stars, and Stars Casino can still manage their accounts, we do not anticipate any impacts to customer account balances. We thank customers for their patience and apologize for this inconvenience. So uh, I wasn't worried for anybody. I don't play on any of these because I'm not in those states, but I wasn't worried that anybody was going to lose their money. 
Uh, clearly, these are solid companies behind these products, and they're not going to just disappear. Some people are saying, oh, I wonder if they're bankrupt. No, no, I knew that wasn't the case. But I wasn't quite so certain that this was, quote, unscheduled maintenance. Unscheduled maintenance, what that really means is something broke. It's a nice way of saying our system crashed and we can't fix it. So at best, it was unscheduled maintenance, a.k.a. a major system issue. At worst, it was some kind of malicious attack on them. I did not ever think that they were having financial issues, and I didn't really believe in the conspiracy theory that uh, Flutter Entertainment was doing this to mess with the valuation of Fox Bets. So it's just, that's really out there. This was said to be near the end after about three days, and then it continued into a fourth day, which upset a lot of people because it was thought that it would be back much sooner. On February 6th, Foxbet tweeted, our sites are currently down due to an unscheduled maintenance issue and our tech team is working hard to get it all back up and running ASAP. And actually it was that same thing I just read to you before. But then uh, it took all the way until near the end of February 8th for everything to be fully back. This was posted at around like 11 p.m. Eastern time on February 8th. We are back up and running with Foxbet Sportsbook, PokerStars, and Stars Casino up in all states. Functionality of our casino offering via website will be forthcoming. So they, they weren't even back up with the casino yet at that point. We've started the process to settle bets and review outstanding free bets as promotions. Uh, we will be in touch directly with customers soon. We apologize again for the inconvenience. So they, they say they're back, but they, they've still got the casino to work on. What a mess. Originally, they claimed it had to restart the server. They posted a picture on the PokerStars Twitter saying Michigan, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania players, due to unscheduled maintenance, all MTTs have been canceled until Monday at 10 a.m. EST, which ended up never happening because they were still down on Monday. They're still down on Tuesday. And then it said uh, server restart. They had a picture saying server restart. So that wasn't even true. They didn't just need to restart the server. They had to do a whole lot more. And... They also were insisting that there was no breach, that this is not some sort of cover-up, that they really were just having some kind of technical problems. In response to a player named Dan Rupinski, I don't know who he is, but he tweeted back to them. They said, we can assure you that this is in no way related to any type of site breach. All players' balances and personal info is completely safe. We'll be back up ASAP. Well, that doesn't really answer it. A breach and a DDoS are two different things. A DDoS just prevents people from reaching you or prevents your system from operating properly. A breach is where someone gets into your system and actually accesses things in your system that they should not be accessing, such as personal information. So I can give you an example. A breach of Poker Fraud Alert would be if someone got in and got all the email addresses of all the users on the site. That would be a site breach. A DDoS would be if you tried to get through to Poker Fraud Alert and it just wasn't working or it was super slow because someone was hitting it with a DDoS attack and the server was overstressed. So I could truthfully say if I was being DDoSed, there was no breach because there wasn't. Nobody was breaching anything. All they were doing is slowing down the site to being unusable through a DDoS attack. But that's not a breach.
So the fact that they are not saying that it was not a DDoS makes me think that maybe it was a DDoS because they're saying it's not related to any type of site breach. Why can't they say any site breach or DDoS or any site breach or attack? Why can't they say this is in no way related to any kind of external attack? Why not that? Attack or breach? Why Why just say breach? It's, it's like they're trying to say, it's not this. Yeah, but what about DDoS? Oh, no, but it's not a breach. Yeah, but was it DDoS? Hey, guys, I said it's not a breach. <laughs> well, then what's going on here? Was it a site breach? Was it a DDoS? Was it really just problems with the site that you call unscheduled maintenance? Which one is it? We're not going to get an answer, it looks like. They have been tweeting to a lot of people, basically saying the same thing over and over. We're working to get it back up and running as soon as possible. But we're not really getting anything else, and there's no denial anywhere I can see of a DDoS. I just keep seeing that they're saying it's in no way related to a site breach. Which makes sense to say, because people are worried, oh no, what if hackers got in and stole my money? What if hackers got in and got all my personal info? So they're trying to say, hey, this didn't happen. And you know what? I believe them. I believe that didn't happen. I don't think they're lying about that. These are regulated sites. So I think this would come out if it did happen. I I just think it was a DDoS and they don't want to say. Especially if, if it was some sort of DDoS with a ransom, they especially don't want to say because they were down for all these days. They were down over four days. And I think that they probably would not want to encourage copycats. So think about this. If someone successfully DDoS them out of, ex- out of existence for four and a half days, and they finally got themselves back up. And by the way, I strongly suspect that's what happened with Ignition. They claimed it was from a failed update. That didn't make sense either. But I think maybe the same people who did this to Ignition could have hit stars and hit them with some sort of ransom. And stars probably said we're not paying it and had to work around this DDoS attack and took four and a half days to make it happen. Now, I will say that Ignition's recovery looked a lot more DDoS-like than Star's recovery. Ignition said, okay, we're back up, but you may have to wait until the DNS propagates, which really has the look of switching servers, whereas PokerStars did not say that. So maybe this wasn't a DDoS attack. Then again, maybe it was. The fact that they're not denying it and calling it unscheduled maintenance is weird. Now, maybe they're afraid to say a system crash. Maybe they're afraid to say that our system had a major issue because they don't want to scare people that the system is unstable or that it's fragile or whatever. People want to feel like they're playing on a robust site that can't be broken easily. So it's possible they're using this unscheduled maintenance term to say the site broke and It broke pretty badly, and we've had to do a lot of work to fix it. So it could have just been something like that. But because it was four and a half days, and because there was no event that really should have caused this to this magnitude, it kind of looks like something really did happen to make this downtime occur. I can give an example of an event occurring, not a malicious event, but an event occurring to bring a major site down where it was down for about three days. And that was Roblox, the multiplayer game that is mainly aimed at kids. And my son plays on there a lot. Roblox went down for like three days during the Halloween weekend. And it was because they had a promotion they weren't ready for 
where everybody showed up at once to redeem the item that was a free burrito at Chipotle that they could get in real life. And like 14 million people showed up to get it at once and their server couldn't handle it. And not only did it have a major crash, but it probably destroyed some data. Something happened in that crash where it took them about three days to recover from it. And they never admitted it. And they claimed it had nothing to do with a burrito promotion because they didn't want to make Chipotle look bad. But it was obvious it had to do with that promotion because like... 10 minutes after the promotion started, they had their biggest crash of all time. So either that was the worst coincidence ever that their biggest promotion ever with the most people ever crashed the system for three days. Either that's a total coincidence or it had to do with a promotion that it wasn't designed well. It wasn't Chipotle's fault, but it, it was the fault of the system and the poor design of the system to handle the expected volume, which they probably didn't calculate properly and then this happened. So they didn't stress test the server properly is what occurred. And they never admitted it because they were afraid by admitting it that, number one, they could bring on people who could maliciously attack them in a similar way. And number two, they could make Chipotle look bad because the average person isn't going to understand the technical explanation. And they're just going to say, oh, OK, Chipotle caused this crash. I hate them now. So they don't want to make Chipotle look like they're at fault because they weren't. They just were the company that bought this promotion. And they just said it was a totally unrelated system issue which, of course, wasn't true. So a lot of times companies don't want to reveal what has really happened for various reasons, and that's what looks like is going on here. This one is not as obvious. Like with Roblox, I'm just about 100% sure that was from the Chipotle thing. Even my son Benjamin told me this. He told me he's 100% sure. And, and you know, he told it to me. He laid it out. I go, you know what, Ben? You're right. They're full of crap. They're not being honest here. And... I told him why from the standpoint of why they don't want to blame Chipotle. He didn't quite understand that part. Like, he understood it once I explained it to him, but he didn't really think of that. But he saw through the excuse. He's like, there's no way this could not be related because it happened minutes after they unleashed their promotion and they had a record number of people on the site and then the whole thing had a horrible crash. So, of course, it was that. <laughs> that was what he told me. He was right. I said, yes, Benjamin, that's, that's good thinking. That's correct. Their, their explanation is, is false and they're lying to everybody. And then I told him why. So with PokerStars, it's not as obvious. I can't say for sure this is a DDoS. I can't even say it was likely a DDoS, like I said with Ignition, because we're not having the whole propagation story when it's come back up. But four and a half days downtime is pretty severe. So something pretty bad happened, and we don't even see any event like that Chipotle promotion on Roblox. We don't see the equivalent on PokerStars. It's not like they had some sort of major tournament or major promotion, and everybody flooded in, and the whole thing crashed. We, we didn't see anything like that. It just went down. And it went down at a time that was not even like really high-trafficked. It wasn't during the weekend when it went down. So I think this was an attack, is my guess, but I'm not sure. Should you worry about these sites? Do you stay away from them now? No, you're not in any danger here. I mean, it's a pain in the ass when you can't get in when you want to play, but, you know, go do other things or go play on other sites. It's not the end of the world. It's kind of an annoyance for the player. These regulated sites, you really don't have to worry about being stiffed. I don't think you have a concern that they're going to just disappear and you won't end up with your money. That's an advantage of regulated sites that there's a lot of safeguards in place to prevent this, whereas the unregulated offshore sites, it can happen anytime. So 
while I don't expect Bovada ignition to pack up and disappear, I don't have any protection from that. There's no regulatory body preventing that. The only thing preventing that is they've been in business since 2000 and they're doing very well, so they wouldn't have a reason to just pick up and leave. Okay? But they could. They could and there'd be no consequence for them. So that's always in the back of my mind. Number one, what if they just disappear? And number two, more importantly, what if they screw me in some way and close my account uh, the same way they did to Mighty Mouse 5, who, by the way, is supposed to be pronounced Mighty Mouse, but, you know, the way that ACR did that to Mighty Mouse 5, and yeah, they just say, tough luck, we're not telling you anything. That could happen to me, too. Now, fortunately, I have Poker Fraud Alert Radio and my forum, and I have more of a voice than the average person, but I also don't have the visibility of someone like uh, Negranu or Chris Moneymaker. So I can't make as much noise about it as a major poker star could, but at least I have this show and, and my own forum where I can uh, at least get some attention to any issue like that. And that makes me feel a little bit better, and that's why I like to help anybody who has their own problems where they don't have their own forum, they don't have their own show. But you shouldn't worry about these regulated sites in that fashion. You can worry about them doing stupid things. You could worry about stupid decisions. You could worry about it being a fail site and nobody being on there. There's a lot of things you can worry about, but you don't have to worry about them just leaving and you don't get your money. So don't get nervous when this downtime occurs, but also don't necessarily believe them. Someone complained that they lost their bonus. They said, uh, I'm losing my bonus because I haven't been able to do anything since last Thursday. I fully expect this will be sorted out properly, right? And PokerStar said back, we understand your frustration and apologize for the extended downtime. Rest assured, we'll review all accounts that were affected by this unscheduled maintenance and we'll do what's right for you and, your pl- and our players. So I think they probably won't screw anybody who has a bonus that has a time limit on it. I think they will understand that they can't count these four and a half days as part of it. So I have to imagine they will make it right in that way. But I don't think we're going to get the truth out of them. It just shows you that even the regulated sites are not immune to things like this. I think that Michigan and Pennsylvania went back up before New Jersey. I think New Jersey was the last one to go back up. In general, people were upset that there was not a lot of updates about this, that they were quiet for a while. Like the first two days of this, we basically heard nothing. And also that they were giving claims that it was going to go back up by a certain deadline that they didn't reach or even come close to reaching. Remember, it was, supposedly it was going to go back up by Monday at 10 a.m., it didn't get back up until Tuesday at 11 p.m. That's a pretty big miss. Bovada and Ignition were actually given credit here for being more communicative to their players than PokerStars was. And I didn't think Ignition did the greatest job either with that, but they did a better job than PokerStars, who really left it up in the air for quite some time. And they also weren't giving good updates when they were missing their deadline. So this whole thing was a mess. They could have done way better, way better on this. So it's not something to worry about, but it's kind of a sign of incompetence and poor communication. All right, moving on here. We're going to talk about Crystal Cruises. And you may say, what? Why are we doing a cruise ship segment on Poker Fraud Alert Radio? Well, one, I find it interesting. Two... This is the same parent company as the one that owns Resorts World, which is Genting. And three, the two passengers that were most interviewed about this are two well-known people 
who were longtime members of the poker community. I'm sure you're going to know one of the names. So let me tell you a bit about Crystal Cruises before we get to what happened. Crystal Cruises is a premium cruise product. Crystal Cruises is expensive. It's far more expensive than other cruise lines you might be familiar with, like Norwegian or Princess or Royal Caribbean. Those are all kind of the mainstream cruise lines. There's some cheaper lines too, but I'm not even talking about the cheaper lines. I'm talking about the mainstream middle-of-the-road lines, like I just mentioned. And Crystal is above them. It's more expensive. They often don't fill every cabin, whereas the other lines are obsessed with filling every cabin, even if they have to deeply discount rooms in the final weeks and months leading up to the cruise. They have much better service. If there's any kind of problem, they're very generous with compensation for their passengers, whereas you'll have to fight tooth and nail for it on something like Norwegian or Princess. I know this from experience, from cruising on both. I haven't been on Crystal, by the way, but I know a lot about it. So Crystal is the luxury cruise line. And then if you really want a luxury experience, then you can get one of the expensive suites on a Crystal ship. So you can get the best of the best. And as you can imagine, it's very expensive. Something else that Crystal is known for, which you may not be aware of, is the average age of the passengers. It is very, very old. So take me, okay? I'm a 50-year-old. If I were to go on a Crystal cruise... I would be a youngster. In fact, I'd almost be a baby. I'm not even kidding. I would be younger than almost every passenger on board by at least 20 years. There would be a few who are my age, and there would be a few who are within 10 years of my age or so, but just about every passenger on there would be 20 years older than me or more. Some of them 30 years older, some of them 40 years older. It is a very, very old crowd. So the typical cruiser on Crystal is very old and very rich. They also have extremely long cruises, ones that go on for months, would you believe? Why? Well, let's think of very old people. Do they have children? Well, they might, but the children are not kids anymore. The children are probably around my age, maybe even older. The children could be elderly themselves already. Do they have parents? No, probably not. Probably they died a long time ago. Do they have anyone to take care of other than each other? Meaning like a husband and wife, yeah, but do they have any family to take care of aside from that? No. If anything, they're the ones who need to be taken care of. Do they have a long time to live to where they need to preserve their money? No, of course not. In fact, if they don't really have any heirs that they care a lot about, or any heirs at all, they're probably in the phase of life where they want to blow all their money lavishly because they know they don't have much time left on Earth. If you're 85 years old, you may hope to live to 100 or 110, but in reality, you're probably not going to get there. In reality, if you're 85, you know you don't have much longer. You know you could croak tomorrow. That's, that's the reality. Kind of sucks, but that's the reality. So to be honest, if you made it to 85 already, you've done pretty well, so you shouldn't be... Uh, too concerned. A lot of people uh, don't ever get there. So anyway, as you get very old and you have a lot of money still, then there's a good chance you want to spend it. 
or at least spend some of it. You want to do nice things for yourself. You obviously don't have a job to go to if you're 80, 85 years old. You're retired. You don't have anyone to take care of. And no one's counting on you. So there's really no reason that you can't get on a cruise ship for three, four months and have every need taken care of. But if you are that old, you probably have some issues. You're probably not in the best health. You probably need assistance with a lot of things. You probably need people to take care of some of your needs. So Crystal does all that. Crystal is a complete experience where you can be taken care of and pampered on board, eat very good food at one of several restaurants. They even have a Nobu on some or all of the ships. Can you imagine? And it's it's doesn't cost you any money. There's no upcharge. You can just go to Nobu and have whatever you want. Like it's crazy, right? But it's a really expensive cruise. So yes, the Nobu part is free, but the, the whole cruise is expensive. But there's people who pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for single cruises to get a nice suite on a very long cruise. When I say very long, I don't mean 14 days. I mean like 100 days, sometimes even longer. Some people basically living on those crystal ships. And the staff to passenger ratio is very high, way higher than it would be on Norwegian or Princess. It's not crowded. I, I'm sure you've been on cruises where you're struggling to get through the hallway and uh, there's people everywhere and you go to the dining room, there's people everywhere. There's a lot of people around on cruises. Okay, that's always been a fact. Not on Crystal. Crystal, it's very spacious and open. Often don't sell full or anywhere near full and they don't mind it. But the prices are very high. They don't discount anything. They don't dump cabins when it gets closer to cruise time and they haven't sold what they wanted to they have the attitude of whatever we sell we sell whatever we don't we don't and that's that and we will sail anyway so the reason i haven't considered going on a crystal cruise well there's more than one reason there's a reason you could probably think of right off the top of your head you know I'm someone who likes value. And while there is some value in getting a luxury product, some people don't think there's value in luxury. No, there is. You know, if, if luxury is better than something that's middle of the road, then, of course, there's value in getting something better. But there's a law of diminishing returns, and if something is like several times more expensive and maybe it's 50% better, you're getting poor value. Even if it's 100% better, but it's costing 400% more, that's poor value. So I'm a big value guy. I don't take it to an extreme. I don't want good value on a piece of crap, but if something's decent and it's good value, I'm happy with it. So that's one reason. Another reason is because I just would feel like I don't fit in there. I'd feel like everybody is ancient and I'm not ancient yet. I'm not young. And I really don't want to cruise with young people either. Like a, a carnival has a very young crowd. I wouldn't want to be with the carnival cruisers, with the 25-year-olds who are... Uh, getting drunk because it's their first cruise and uh, vomiting everywhere and, and people get into fights and all this crap. Like, you know, at least one nice thing on the cruises I have taken on things like Norwegian is that 
it's kind of like a middle-aged and old crowd. It's kind of a mixture. So, for the most part, people are pretty well-behaved. There's occasionally an incident on board, but usually pretty well, everybody's well-behaved. And a lot of that is because as men get older, their aggression naturally goes down, partially from a drop in testosterone. So once men pass 35, they tend to cause less trouble and uh, it gets less and less from there in general. So in, you're going to have a cruise full of middle-aged and older people. You're not going to have a lot of rowdiness. And so I, I, that part I like, but at the same time, if I'm on a ship and I'm 50 and everybody else is 70, 80, 90, I, I feel like I don't fit in. So I haven't had the desire to go on one for that and for the expense. Uh, Trader Ruski, hello. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. What's happening, Jeff? Well, we're discussing crystal cruises. Have you been on one? I have not. Have you been on any cruises? I, I have not. It always just seemed like such a risk to get stuck on a boat. Really? Before COVID? Something. You thought that? Because now I think yeah, that. Well, yeah, no, well, just because something I didn't want, I don't know. never really appealed to me. No, you were ahead of your time. You were really ahead of your time about the about the about the getting yeah. stuck thing because that really wasn't a thing with cruising that was very rare to happen but now with well, covid not getting, i'm not saying stuck like that i'm just saying stuck where it's like there's somewhere i don't want to be and i'm trapped okay well that you know. i liked cruising and i took a lot of cruises but covid pushed me out of it because i don't want to get literally trapped in my room if i have covid even if i don't feel that sick I will be held in there like a prisoner and not allowed to leave for uh, the entire rest of the cruise. So that sounds like a nightmare. Even if I have like a balcony stateroom, it would be awful. And I hear it's like hard to get food then. and They're very slow to bring it to you. It's hard to reach anybody. It sounds like just I'd be going crazy. So uh, as long as that's a possibility to happen, I'm not going to be taking any cruises. And that could be a very long time until I ever do again. But anyway, this is not about COVID this segment. This is about a financial issue that well, I guess it's indirectly about COVID because it was a financial issue that was caused by COVID and now they're feeling the effects of it. But this isn't directly about a COVID situation. Anyway, Crystal Cruises has been circling the drain financially because they were not able to go for a very long time due to COVID and this just decimated them. Some of the other lines were able to withstand this so far, there has not been a collapse of any lines yet until now, but Crystal Cruises has collapsed. Now, you may ask, how can that collapse if Genting is the parent company? Shouldn't that also mean Resorts World has collapsed? Well, no, because it's operating separately. So Crystal Cruises collapsing and uh, other Genting interests collapsing are two different things. But anyway... Crystal Cruises ran out of money to such an extreme that they were actually avoiding the U.S. because they owed a few million dollars of fuel that they had consumed but not paid for, and they couldn't afford to pay like four million bucks worth of fuel. (laughs) So they were actually avoiding the U.S. because they were afraid that they would get seized because the U.S. had a right to seize them if they uh, weren't paying for their fuel, if they stiffed the companies they owed for the fuel. So we're not talking about like a $100 million debt that they can't afford. This is like $4 bucks. 
And if you look at the size of these ships and how elaborate they are and all the employees they have and all the food, they go, four million is nothing. Four million may not be nothing to an individual, but can you imagine a huge company like Crystal Cruises? They can't afford four million bucks. They must be really in bad shape. I was surprised they could even operate like this. So the itinerary was changed, and this was the first sign that something was wrong. The itinerary was changed for uh, one of their long cruises that they were no longer going to finish off in Miami because what they did not want was having the ship seized in Miami, which, of course, is a U.S. city. So they had to change it. But the problem was most of their passengers are American and were expecting to get off there and then get a flight home or whatever. And they couldn't just drop someone in a foreign country and say, tough luck, it's, it's all on you. So they had to find some way to take care of the passengers, and they also had to find a country willing to take them at the last minute, especially a country that was aware of what was going on. So the Crystal Symphony, they had a uh, a 14-day Caribbean trip, and they uh, ended up docking in the Bahamas to avoid paying this uh, unpaid fuel bill. But uh, that was just the beginning of their problems. This was all occurring in uh, in January, but it got worse. So a second ship for in the Crystal Fleet, they don't have a whole lot of ships, but a second ship, the Crystal Serenity, was also now avoiding uh, docking anywhere in the U.S. because of the same fear. So this was a much longer cruise. The Symphony was on a 14-day cruise, and they finished in the Bahamas instead of uh, Miami and then booked a ferry for people to go from Bahamas to Miami. Apparently, the seas were very rough, and the ferries are not very large. It's not like the cruise ships, which can be in very rough seas, and they only shake a little bit because they're so large and they can withstand a lot of waves. These ferries uh, will, will bounce around a lot, so people reported getting really seasick and throwing up. And keep in mind, these weren't young, fit people. These are very old people, so they, they can't take a lot in the first place. But the Serenity, they were on a very long cruise. The Serenity was supposed to be over a 100-day cruise, and it began on January 15th, and it was supposed to go all the way through uh, the beginning of May. That's an extremely long cruise. And right after they left, they left on uh, January 15th. On January 17th, Crystal announced that they would be suspending operations at least through April. And it's probably going to be a lot longer than April now. But any cruises that were going to be leaving between January 17th and April were automatically canceled. As far as the crews that had already left on January 15th, they were told that it's going to remain as expected, except when the cruise ends, it's going to be in Aruba and not in Miami for the same reason. They owed $4.6 million for uh, the Crystal Symphony, which uh, originally was said to be $1.2 million, but was up to uh, $4.6 million by the time the... Uh, warrant was issued on January 20th and the order authorized U.S. Marshals to board a vessel and take charge of it once it got at or near the U.S. coast. So 
U.S. Marshals could get on a boat and get uh, commandeer the symphony and seize it and say, okay, this is ours now until you cough up your $4.6 million. So they're like, okay, well, we're not going to get our ship seized, so we're going to dock in Bimini, which is part of the Bahamas, and uh, ferried the people back. So the, again, they did that already with, with the symphony and uh, very rough seas and people got seasick. But now the Serenity, they had a problem that uh, this is going to be a very long cruise. And uh, Crystal started to realize that uh, this wasn't going to be able to continue. So they had an interview with two passengers on the Crystal Serenity. And you probably know both of these names. These two passengers booked an expensive suite on this three-and-a-half-month cruise. They were in their 70s. And they spent, quote, six figures on this suite. And that would be Alan Jaffrey Shulman and Barry Shulman of Card Player Magazine fame. Huh. Interesting, huh? So of all things, the Shulmans got caught up in this. Barry Shulman and his wife got the bad news and it kept on coming. On the third day of the cruise, on January 18th, the staff announced that they're going broke and dropping us off in Aruba, said Barry. This was in an interview with the New York Post. Uh, Barry and uh, Alan, they, they talked a lot to the media. Now, why, of all things, were the passengers most interviewed the two that we know from poker, of all the people on there? Well, I can't tell you for sure, but here's my guess. Uh, Number one, they were among the younger of the passengers, so they'd probably rather interview the people in their 70s than the people like in their 80s and 90s. Uh, Also, they're both still sharp. Neither Barry nor Alan has gone senile. And to be honest, most of the Crystal Cruise passengers are probably more senile than Joe Biden. So uh, that's uh, not who they want to interview. They want people who are well-spoken and uh, can give them an accurate picture of what's going on. Uh, Now, having managed a media company for decades, Card Player, they're both media savvy and willing to speak out and understand how to speak to the media. And uh, they even had some pictures they could get because Alan obsessively documents and posts about her vacation adventures with her husband, Barry, and she maintains a blog about that. So they had a lot of pictures that she had taken for her blog that they were ready to hand to the media. So these were the perfect two people to interview for this whole thing. Also, they they have a sympathetic story because they spent hundreds of thousands for this cruise, which became a nightmare. They All the staterooms are going to be expensive on a three-and-a-half-month crystal cruise, but uh, they had among the most expensive of all the rooms there. So for that reason, they were also good to interview. Anyway, they did give a lot of detail. I'll give them that. So Barry... Did, did anybody mention karma for taking the lock poker money as the possible cost during the interviews? No, but I, I, I'm going to mention this. <laughs> Don't worry. But yes, it, it, it is kind of fitting. It is kind of fitting that uh, they got screwed by a company that promised them something. When that's exactly what happened to people who signed up for lock poker that card player advertised for about a year after I personally told Jeff Shulman that it was a scam and showed him how to look into it. And they still kept advertising. Anyway, Barry said that the captain got on the intercom 
to say it was the end of the cruise. So the cruise had just gotten start gotten started, and they're like, you know what? It's not really going to be three and a half months. It's actually ending uh, here before February. So sorry, we're not cruising till May. We're not even cruising till February. You're going to be booted off pretty soon. Barry said a lot of people were panicking. Some were crying. So we're talking about senior citizens on a boat who didn't know what was going on. This was disturbing. There were people who didn't know how they would get home from Aruba. They're used to being pampered. They're used to getting dropped off uh, where they're expected. And they were being dropped off near the tip of South America. It was a shit show. Now, you may say, what does he mean, senior citizens? Isn't he a senior citizen? Well, yes. But again, he and his wife are still active and sharp, whereas a lot of the people on the Serenity are very old. A lot of them have a hard time with a lot of things. And they're on Crystal because they want to be taken care of. They have a lot of money. They can afford it. And they want a cruising experience where everyone takes care of everything for them because they're very old and very rich. And now they're being dropped off in South America, (laughs) told they have to fend for themselves. So you may say, South America, that's not Aruba. Well, hold on. The crew slipped a sheet of paper under each room door. And then Barry said, it was, it reported that Aruba won't take us. There was a lot of stress and a million rumors. Some said it was because of COVID. Others thought it was because Aruba didn't want to get involved in the lawsuit of taking the boat. So they were afraid that uh, Aruba was going to get flack from the U.S. for having the boat there and dodging the payments, basically using Aruba as a uh, safe haven. Aruba didn't want to hurt their relationship with the U.S. So it's not clear what the reason was, but people were theorizing so then it got rerouted to Bimini in the Bahamas, and they were given that uh, ferry ride, which would be a two-hour ferry ride to drop them off in Fort Lauderdale. And Barry said, luckily, we had decent seas for the ferry trip. A couple weeks earlier, a crystal ship, referring to the Symphony, uh, offloaded its passengers to Bimini, and everyone was throwing up on the ferry. It was a mess. Can you imagine like all these old people just vomiting everywhere on this two-hour ride? must have been awful. So he said, once we arrived, we had to stay on the boat for another hour. Then they let everybody all off at once instead of by section, and there was pandemonium. We got to the terminal, and there were initially two customs guys. It took hours to get through there. There were no carts, no porters. People couldn't find their bags. It was completely disorganized. So it sounds like they just took everyone's bags and just tossed them off the ship. (laughs) There is no order to it. There is no, like, okay, your bags are here. And I've gotten off cruise ships before, and a lot of you probably have too. And what happens is they, you, you get these tags and say, okay, time for the brown group to get off. And the brown group gets off, and that's because the tags are brown. And then you look for the luggage that's sitting there in the section with the brown tags, and yours is among that. Or the purple tag. So you you get off according to the color they're calling, and then your luggage is in the area according to where those tags, uh, with the color the tags are. Now it's not always that simple. Sometimes they do screw it up, and they're kind of mixed together. But it, it's nothing like they're describing here, which sounds like it was awful. And again, these aren't able-bodied young or middle-aged people. These are very very old people who usually have uh, someone doing this for them and helping them and there's tons of crystal employees there uh, making sure it all goes okay. Here there were two employees, uh, there were two customs, actually zero employees. There were zero crystal employees and two customs guys and that was it. Alan said, "We got off the ferry only to find all the luggage dumped everywhere, colors and 
and uh, numbers not together, luggage falling down, no porters and no crystal reps, none. No one giving instructions, no one helping the older folks. It was a shameful sight. And then it got to midnight. (laughs) Some of these old people who probably used to go into bed early, uh, they, they were finally put on buses that would take them to hotels in Miami that was about an hour away from Lauderdale. And Barry said nobody had a manifest. A lot of people didn't check ahead of time. They wound up they wound up at the Intercontinental, but had rooms at the Hilton because the the Crystal put them up somewhere. But some of them were put on the wrong bu- on the wrong bus, and they got to the wrong hotel. He's saying. He said it was past midnight, and they were getting yelled at for being in the wrong place. Can you imagine, like eighty five year old grandma gets off there at the Intercontinental, and there's like. I'm supposed to have a hotel here uh, from Crystal Cruises. What are you doing here? We don't have your name. You went to the wrong place. Get out of here. This is, you're in the wrong place. Get on the right bus, oldie. Like, uh, <laughs> so they're yelling at the old people for being in the wrong hotel. And Barry said he doesn't understand why they didn't just cancel the cruise. He said they knew something was going on before they took off on January 15th. They should have said, sorry, we can't leave Miami. But they began the cruise knowing that this way they can keep the money for the first segment of the trip. So there were people that have saved up for this one-time cruise. We were all told not to worry that there would be a prorated refund. The cruiser line will handle it, but you can't trust these guys now. So Barry thinks, number one, that they're not going to give you a full refund because they can say, well, we gave you part of the cruise, so here's a prorated refund, so we get to keep that much. And number two, who knows if they're going to kick back the money. If they're doing all this to avoid a $4 million bill, they probably have nothing left, he's saying. So good luck getting the refund. And so what did Barry and Alan go do at that point? Did they go back to Las Vegas and lick their wounds and say, okay, well, we're done with cruising for a while. This is a mess. No, 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 no. Barry and Alan Shulman like cruising so much that they went and booked another cruise leaving immediately from the same area on a different line called Regent. Barry said... I had to imagine it was by phone because he couldn't have said this to them in person at the post. We're on a Regent cruise right now. I booked it while things were going south on the Serenity. Now, he actually said that Alan got banned from, quote, Serenity's website, which I'll explain in a second. Crystal Serenity doesn't have a website. They don't have a website just for a ship. For posting details on the replacement cruise they had found. Now, there is no replacement cruise. What they mean is that they found that this Regent cruise went to some similar places that they wanted to go to on the Serenity. So they just jumped over to the Regent once they were already in Florida anyway. And that Alan tried to post this on, quote, the Serenity's website. And then she got banned and her message deleted. Well, I was wondering what they meant by that. And then I saw a screenshot of uh, a message that was deleted And it was from Facebook. So this was a Facebook group. There must have been a Crystal Facebook group. And some moderator named Terry deleted this post from Alan Jaffrey Shulman. Terry, oh my God, no need to be nasty. As a moderator, you should know better. You're making fun of about 90 loyal cruisers. Popcorn? To watch the pain of some of the older folks feel about this change? Keith, please weigh in. I'm not sure who Keith is, but I guess that one of the moderators there put like a popcorn gif about all the what was going on there, and, and she was furious about this, that they're laughing at the old people. 
She said, no one's going ballistic. Jason Montague, president of CEO of Regent, is well aware of the problem. You may know that Regent wasn't originally coming to Aruba, but changed her plans to accommodate the stranded crystal cruisers who wanted to still do a world cruise. Oh, interesting. So Regent jumped on this. <laughs> I didn't realize that at first. I thought Regent just happened to be leaving in the same area, but Regent actually booked it back there to say, okay, hey, uh, anyone who wants to get on here who got screwed by crystal, uh, we have openings. That's interesting. So... Alan and Barry went over to Regent, and I guess Alan posted it on the Facebook group for Crystal, and someone who was moderating the Crystal group then removed her message and banned her because they didn't want her posting this, which is weird because if they're going to stop operating, why do they care so much? But I guess they don't want people to get used to a new line. Now, you may say, wait a minute, so an employee of Crystal did this? And I'll say, not necessarily. The Facebook group is more likely being moderated by somebody who is uh, just a fan of Crystal. There's a lot of these cruise groups on Facebook that are run by huge fans of the cruise lines. Not just Crystal, but all the lines. And if you say anything negative about these lines, even things that are true and provably true, they will delete it and ban you. I had that happen to me with Norwegian. I was part of a Norwegian group, and I got thrown out. And I, I wasn't trolling anyone. I wasn't being rude. I wasn't just making things up. I, you know, I was posting things that were verifiably true, and, and I got thrown out for, quote, being too negative. So uh, this does happen. So this apparently happened to her. They moved over to Regent, and they were uh, unable to share this for very long on the Crystal Facebook group before being booted and having their messages deleted. So they're quite unhappy about this. Now, Barry is happy with where he is right now. He said, this is a delightful itinerary, and I don't feel that Regents will go broke while we're at sea. By the way, something they did do before this whole thing ended was they did the swimming with the dolphins that I had just talked about. In fact, not only did they do it, they went to the exact place that I went to in 2013. Not the fail one I talked about from 2006 where they cheated me, but the 2013 one where I actually did it and I had a good experience. Except clearly that they did this through Crystal Cruises rather than buying it themselves like I did. Because if you buy it through the ship, you don't get the best program. You get the kind of middle grade program. And I could tell by what Alan did. What's also interesting is Barry didn't come along for it. He must have done his own thing, but there's only pictures of her doing it. And the pictures are super expensive there. So not only was this probably super marked up by Crystal, but then she paid for the very expensive pictures. There's like tons of pictures of her doing it. But it seems like money is no object with these two. They had a very, very expensive place in Vegas that they had spent a ton of money renovating and decorating in a very gaudy fashion. Do you remember that, Trader Risky? Vaguely. Yeah. This was, a, I don't know, four or five years ago they, they had that for sale. And people are like, I don't know who's going to want to buy this because it's, it's very gaudy. It just wasn't something for mainstream tastes. And uh, it was obviously very expensive, though. And that was like a, a second place they had. So they they have a lot, these two. And, and here they're just shooting off big money, taking these cruises. So money seems to be no object. I mean, they must have made a fortune during the poker boom at Card Player. Because remember... During the 2000s and part of the 2010s, they were taking all these very lucrative ads for all these online poker sites. So I didn't realize at the time how much card player was making from this, but they made a ton 
And uh, I remember Mason Malmuth was complaining around the time he sold uh, 2 plus 2, this is of course recently, that he could have made a lot more money, but he refused to take ads for some of these sites. He eventually did, but he claimed that he turned down a lot of opportunities that could have made him way more money, and that's probably true. But the Shulmans did not. The Shulmans advertised everything, which at first was fine. But uh, my issue with them, and Trader Ruski made reference to it already, was with lock poker. And this is why I don't feel bad for them here. And this really changed my opinion of the Shulmans and card player, which I used to really like and admire card player. But what changed my opinion was what they did regarding uh, lock. So lock poker, it became pretty clear in 2013 and even part of 2012 that they weren't paying people and it became more and more clear as more and more time passed without people getting paid and it became clear that CEO Jennifer Larson was full of shit and was just ripping everybody off and had stolen the money and was trying to rob Peter to pay Paul to see if she can get new deposits and maybe save the whole thing but she had definitely stolen the money on deposit there's no question so it became very clear to me. I've seen this pattern so many times, even back in 2013, I had seen it already so many times by then. It was clear to me Locke was circling the drain and was never going to pay anybody. So the only place that was remaining advertising Locke, though 2 plus 2 took too long to take it down, to be honest, but they took it down way sooner than Card Player did. Card Player was still advertising Locke as like a featured room on CardPlayer.com. And I was so annoyed to see this, and I kept asking them to please take it down, and they were ignoring me. Well, I ended up in the Bellagio in Jeff Shulman's Limit Hold'em game. So I was also sitting right next to him or two spots away from him. Somewhere it was easy to talk to him. And I told him, I said, do you realize that you're advertising a scam? That Lock Poker is not paying anybody and that they've stolen all the money on deposit. And I explained the whole situation to him in detail. And Jeff's response was, Oh, so it's like full tilt all over again. I said, exactly. It's like full tilt all over again. He said, all right, well, I'll look into it. Now, had he done even a little bit of research, he would have seen I was correct. So he didn't have to take my word for it. I mean, there were tons and tons of reputable players who were saying they weren't getting paid and could prove it if he had any doubts. But the ads remained up there for months and months and months. And then I tried to ask about it. And again, no response. No response from card player. They didn't want to hear it. Finally, many months later, the ads went down, and then maybe, I don't know, two, three months later, all of Locke disappeared completely. So almost up until the bitter end, they were promoting Locke as, as their main featured room on CardPlayer.com, and that was really bad because they can't even plead ignorance. I, I told Jeff Shulman, and I told him where to look. I told him how to look into it. He even acknowledged that it seemed like full tilt, which had screwed everybody in the same manner after they got busted in 2011. But here, Locke hadn't been busted. They just stole all the money. Full Tilt had stolen all the money and then got busted. Here, Locke hadn't been busted. They just took the money and nobody was getting paid. And it was obvious. Full Tilt at least left a, like a tiny bit to still pay people and make it look like they're processing cash out. Locke couldn't even do that anymore. So for that reason, I can't say that I'm very happy with the Shulmans and the way they ran car card player. And... Now Card Player is a shell of its former self. It still exists. You can go to cardplayer.com and they still report news. And they still have some advertising up there. Not for lock or anything. That's long gone. But and they, the, the rooms they're advertising are pretty standard. Uh, ACR, Bovada, Bet Online, Global Poker. But 
it's obviously only making a fraction of what it used to. And the rates are much lower these days that these sites are expected to pay. But still, they made a ton of money during the boom, more than I thought. So it shows you how much money was sloshing around in poker back then. And anyone who was positioned in the right place in the right time made a killing. So card player goes back to the 90s. So they were a small magazine at one point. And then they were right there when the poker boom started and everybody thinks, okay, I started a new poker site. Where do I want to advertise? Oh, card player. They're in every card room given away for free. Okay, we'll do that. So there is a lot of ads in card player and they did really, really well. So that's where the money came from. Alan Jaffrey Shulman was a lawyer previously. I don't know how much work she did. She's retired now. And yeah, she's over 70 like Barry is. But maybe she made some decent money as a lawyer. I don't know. I know Barry was also a uh, a poker player, and he had some success in poker. I don't know if overall he won or lost, but he goes way back in poker, and that's what encouraged him to start card player. And presumably he got his son Jeff into it. And as you may know, Jeff made the final table of the main event one year. Got a million for that. I haven't heard much about Jeff Shulman recently. I don't even know if he plays anymore. But yeah, of all things, the, the people interviewed about this were the Shulmans. It's funny how all these things have a connection back to poker. As far as Crystal Cruises is concerned, what are the chances they're going to recover from this? Well, I don't think under current ownership they will. I think they are going to go under as they currently are and then be bought by someone. Maybe through a liquidation process. I'm not sure. But I I don't think that they're going to come back from this in their current form. And I think anybody who has a crystal cruise booked is not going to be either getting the cruise or their money back anytime soon all right next topic i want to talk about another problem with the nfl in vegas this just doesn't ever end (laughs) the nfl has of course a new team in las vegas or a team that moved to las vegas the las vegas raiders now the season's almost over There's only two teams left. The Bengals and the Rams will be playing at the Super Bowl this upcoming week. But that doesn't mean that their players can't still be getting in trouble in Vegas. I don't know what it is about Vegas and NFL players, but whether they live there or visit there, they seem to get themselves in hot water. And we have another situation like that. So we're now talking about a player who is not a Raiders player, but someone who is in Las Vegas, who is an NFL player. Alvin Kamara of the New Orleans Saints was arrested in connection with an assault that occurred on uh, Sunday of last week. Kamara is 26 years old and he was booked on suspicion of battery with substantial bodily harm. He was charged with a felony. There was a victim that reported being assaulted at a nightclub on South Las Vegas Boulevard at uh, the, quote, 3500 block of South Las Vegas Boulevard. And then they investigated and arrested Kamara with that incident, meaning that he didn't resist arrest, but that they determined he was responsible. So he's yet another NFL player 
to get in trouble in the city of Las Vegas. This looks like he was visiting, but still. Well, it's not directly related to football, because this occurred on February 5th, and the Saints were no longer playing by February 5th, but he was visiting Vegas. Said at approximately 5.50 p.m., Las Vegas Metro Police uh, patrol officers were dispatched to a local hospital where a person was reporting a battery. The investigation by detectives determined that the victim was battered by the suspect, later identified as Alvin Kamara. He was located and taken into custody without incident on February 6th. The investigation is still ongoing, and then they give the phone numbers to contact them with any information. That's a press release they put out on February 6th from LVMPD on Twitter, which is for Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department. So we have another one. I don't know if he's going to be released or what's going to happen to him. I guess it will depend upon how serious this matter was. I mean, the victim was in the hospital, so that's not good. And there he, I guess it also depends if they charge him or, or he hasn't been formally charged. He was uh, arrested on certain charges. He hasn't been formally charged yet. And he could be released. Maybe he will, maybe he won't. I think the NFL needs to say Anybody who visits Las Vegas for a game against the Raiders has to be sequestered in their room and can't leave. And anybody else cannot visit Las Vegas at any time because it seems like the whole NFL is going to end up being arrested if they don't. They're really having a problem. Now, it mostly has been Raiders players because they're spending the most time in Vegas. But for whatever reason... These NFL players have a very hard time behaving in Vegas. They just kind of feel like it's a, a playground where they can do whatever they want and they are kings of the roost and nothing's going to happen to them. And they let the worst sides come out. This guy's not even that old, young. He's, he's 26. It's not like he's, he's 21. I mean, this guy uh, definitely know better by now. I wonder how this is going to be handled in years going forward, if it gets worse and worse, I know this guy wasn't a Raiders player, but it just kind of brings the, the attention to the way the Raiders players have been behaving. And of course, Vital Vegas was reporting long before any of these players were arrested that the Raiders players were just generally misbehaving and being very rude to service employees and not, and also not tipping. But in addition to not tipping, they were just being very obnoxious and difficult and just very entitled and not in the way like, oh, they're having bad service and they're complaining. I don't mean in that way. I think that's everybody's right to do, whether you're famous or not. I'm talking about just guys being assholes to the staff because they could. And they felt they could get away with it. So you can't be arrested for that. But uh, that was already being reported. And then, then there started being all these different arrests. And then there was that uh, these, these DUIs, including one that, that killed someone, where one of the players drove 156 miles per hour. Like, we've had a lot of bad stuff happen in just a short time here. So I wonder who will be the next NFL player to get arrested in Las Vegas. Seems to mainly be the NFL. Notice this isn't really happening with the NBA or with uh, Major League Baseball. I don't know why it's only the NFL. Weird. Something about the NFL making people misbehave in Vegas. All right, moving on. There was a lot of money seized, or shall I say a lot of Bitcoin seized, that's worth a lot of money. This was by the federal government in relation to a hacking that occurred in 2016. The value of the Bitcoin seized was 
$100 billion. No, but closer than most of the numbers we've reported on this show when I played that sound effect. Over $3 billion, I think $3.6 billion, was seized in Bitcoin related to the Bitfinex hack from over five years ago. And this was an alleged money laundering operation that the feds claim they caught. And there's been a lot of different hackings and thefts of crypto over time. I mean, it's it's been a big problem. But this one, at least some of it was recovered, though several years later. It involves Russians, of course. 34-year-old Ilya Lichtenstein and his wife, Heather Morgan, who I guess isn't Russian, but she's married to a Russian, they were arrested for conspiring to launder almost 120,000 Bitcoin that are currently worth about $5 billion that were stolen from the Bitfinex platform after there was a breach of that platform in 2016. In 2016, a hacker made more than 2,000 unauthorized transactions to move these Bitcoin, again, about 120,000 of them, to a digital wallet that Ilya Lichtenstein was controlling. And then Lichtenstein and his wife, quote, employed numerous sophisticated laundering techniques, such as setting up uh, identities, fake accounts using fake identities, and then using computer programs to automate transactions to make it look like that Bitcoin were just being sent around the net and landing in these wallets without making it look like uh, these were the stolen coins being laundered. About 25,000 of those stolen coins were transferred out of the wallet that they were originally sent to in 2016 and into these uh, accounts that were controlled by Morgan and Lichtenstein between 2016 and 2021. So it looks like they got about uh, $1.1 billion worth of Bitcoin into their accounts the remainder was seized by the government. It's not clear what happens to the rest of uh, what they did get out to their accounts. But the uh, rest of the Bitcoin, which was about uh, 96,000 coin, was seized by the government, currently worth $3.6 billion. They've been charged with money laundering and attempted to fraud the government. There's a question if they're going to maybe make a deal with them to try to find out who is behind the hack in the first place. But that person may be someone in Russia that they can't touch anyway. The fact that one of the guys who was doing this was probably Russian points to maybe a Russian being behind it. That's a major seizure. I don't know who these are going to be returned to, but the government has them. In case you're wondering a bit, Bitfinex, do they still exist? Yes. So I guess it's going to go to them. I guess they were able to withstand this, even though it was a massive loss. Though Bitcoin is worth much less at the time that this occurred. Remember in 2016, Bitcoin was in the hundreds, not in the tens of thousands. So we're looking at a factor of uh, like 100 times different 
but still a lot of money worth. You know, three point six billion divided by a hundred is still thirty six million dollars, but it's nothing like three point six billion. But that shows you how they could have survived this. I guess in a way, Bitfinex could uh, really make out well because if they get the Bitcoin now, it appreciated. They, it was almost like an, an investment that was frozen, and then they get it back appreciated by a hundred times. It could really help them. I'm looking at their pictures. <laughs> a picture was found of uh, this Heather Morgan, and I don't know what the context of this picture is, but there's a, a picture of her drinking like a beer that she's holding with her foot, her bare foot. I don't know if there's like a foot fetish thing or what, but she's holding the beer with her foot and drinking it. Uh, Ilya Lichtenstein is listed on his LinkedIn as Dutch Ilya Lichtenstein. And he says he's a tech entrepreneur and that he went to University of Wisconsin-Madison. So maybe he just has a Russian name. Maybe he's not even from Russia originally. Claims he's currently in New York. At least he was uh, until he got arrested. Heather Morgan was listed on her LinkedIn as a serial entrepreneur. Well, a serial something, not an entrepreneur, though. SAAS investor, surrealist artist slash rapper. Yeah. <laughs> the white girl who's drinking beer with her foot is an artist and a rapper. Yeah, I believe that. <laughs> <laughs> Laughably, she wrote an article for Forbes in 2020 called Experts Share Tips to Protect Your Business from Cyber Criminals. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Apparently, uh, she made a lot of stupid videos on social media as well. And people are just amazed that this weird woman was actually partially behind one of the biggest money laundering operations of all time. She also did a, quote, talk in 2019. And it's a weird picture of her. It shows her in like some kind of leopard print dress that is sleeveless, and she's holding a giant wrench for some reason. And it says, Social engineering is the act of manipulating someone into divulging information or taking a particular action. While it often has a negative connotation in cybersecurity, there are many less sinister instances where you can use it to improve your life, from dating and job hunting to journalism, sales, and entrepreneurship. Hear firsthand how Heather R. Morgan social engineered her way into exclusive parties and expensive political fundraisers, infiltrated black markets, yeah, she definitely did that, and built relationships with celebrities and billionaire CEOs. You'll learn actionable tactics for event crashing, how to cold email even the most reclusive and high-level people, and get a response, and what to do to get yourself out of a jam. Now, she's in a big jam now. Then there's actually a picture of her in... in, uh, I have to imagine what she wears when she raps. She calls herself Razzlecon, R-A-Z-Z-L-E-K-H-A-N. It says, Razzlecon is like Genghis Khan, but with more pizzazz. (laughs) That deserved uh, bigger laughter than usual. No one knows for sure where this rapper is from. Could it be the North African desert, the jungles of Vietnam, or another universe? No, it looks like she's from New York. 
I've got 40 mutual connections to her on LinkedIn. Oh, really? Wow. And some people I know fairly well. So wow. Look at that. All that matters is she's here to stick up for misfits and underdogs everywhere. Yeah, underdogs laundering billions of dollars. We do know that she's descended from a nomadic tribe, though. What are they talking about? (laughs) Come on. But there's more. Because Raz has synesthesia, I don't even know what that is, her art often resembles something in between an acid trip and a delightful nightmare. Is there such thing as a delightful nightmare? I think a nightmare is supposed to be bad, right? Like There's no such thing as a good nightmare. Definitely not for the faint of heart or easily offended. Raz likes to push the limits of what people are comfortable with. Her style has often been described as sexy horror comedy. (laughs) (laughs) Because of her fondness for combining dark and disturbing concepts. Yeah, that's putting it lightly. Now, how were they caught? Well, a person on Twitter who has a blue check mark. I'm not familiar with who he is, but he's somebody who must be respected or known in crypto, who goes by Doge Toshi. His name is Steven. He said, one of the reasons the hackers apparently were found was because they used a virtual currency exchange for converting Bitcoin to gift cards. They didn't use a VPN and created accounts using emails tied to their IP address. <laughs> Can you imagine you're, you're laundering billions of dollars of Bitcoin and you're actually using emails that you set up with your IP address? Like I don't know. They probably went and set up uh, anonymous email accounts but didn't bother to hide their IP. So all the feds had to do was look up whose IP that is and get it from the cable company. So here's some uh, details here. This is insane. It, it shows you that even the big criminals can be stupid. Apparently, they bought gift cards to Walmart, to Uber, to Hotels.com, and to uh, PlayStation. (laughs) And that they used uh, Gmail to do this. (laughs) They set up fake Gmail accounts with their own IP address. It says, records show that portions of the $500 gift card were then redeemed through three transactions for personal items through the Walmart iPhone application. Each of three, these three redemptions were conducted online under Morgan's name using one of Morgan's email addresses, providing Morgan and Lichtenstein's home address for delivery. Cluster 36B6MU directly sent Bitcoin to VCE. 10, I'm not sure what those are, for the purchase of prepaid gift cards of approximately 16 occasions, including the one described above. Although the VCE 10 accounts were registered with multiple email addresses, all but one transaction was provided from the same cloud provider address owned by Liechtenstein. That's brilliant. (laughs) Pretty dumb. Pretty dumb. I don't know if these were mistakes by Raz there, maybe she wasn't as good at this as he was, or maybe they both made the mistake. It kind of sounds like they both made the mistakes, but uh, I, if I had to guess of the two who was dumber, I'd have to say it's the woman who drinks beer with her foot. Like Of all the people who they asked to do this, why these two? These white women who see themselves as rappers, there's always something a little bit odd 
There's always something a little bit off about them. That's what I've always said about Kelly Minkin, and I'm not comparing Kelly Minkin to Heather Morgan, because uh, as far as I know, uh, Kelly Minkin has never broken the law. In fact, she's a lawyer. But I always had a hard time understanding the whole uh, hip-hop thing she's into. It just didn't fit her. It just never fit her. And I don't mean liking hip-hop. I mean, if she wants to like hip-hop, that's great. But the fact that she tries to perform hip-hop, it just doesn't fit the whole thing of like the shy, intellectual white girl. It just doesn't fit. And as I said before, she doesn't need it to look cool. She She's a successful poker player who has uh, some notoriety due to making it very deep in the main event and then making it fairly deep the following year. And she's pretty, and she's smart, and she's in her early 30s, so why does she have to go beyond that and be like the white girl rapper? Whenever I see something like that, it always comes off as very awkward. That's why I was laughing so hard at the stuff that Heather Morgan there was posting, calling herself Razzle Khan, who's like Genghis Khan. What? what, what? Like Genghis Khan? He wasn't a rapper. <laughs> Razzle Khan is like Genghis Khan, but with more pizzazz. Very weird. Well, that was good for a few laughs. That was more interesting than the typical Bitcoin laundering story. All right, so the final topic, we don't have a COVID topic tonight. The final topic is a fraud alert, but it's not a poker fraud alert. It's not even a gambling fraud alert. It is a crowdfund fraud alert where GoFundMe attempted to just outright steal money. Now, I'm going to talk about something which is a controversial topic but it really shouldn't affect how you feel about this theft. You need to separate how you feel about the intended recipients of this money, and even the people donating this money, from what GoFundMe did. Because the problem is, the outrage about this is mostly coming from those who sympathize with those who were supposed to receive the money. And probably because they sympathize with those people, and then the lack of outrage is coming from those who don't like the side that was supposed to receive the money, which isn't a good way to look at scams. And I've always said this. I've always said you have to take the politics out of scamming. You have to take the politics out of theft because it's totally separate. Scammers only care about one thing, and that is money. They don't care about politics when they're scamming. They may have separate political opinions, but they will put all that aside to scam. I think I've talked about before, after seeing that uh, Lula Rowe documentary called Lula Rich, I went and looked on Twitter at some of the people involved, and I was disappointed to see that some of the people who were calling out Lula Rowe and correctly calling them out for the scammy things they did were then trying to say, oh, it's a scam of the patriarchy, it's a scam of whiteness, and I'm going, no, no, it's just a scam. Yes, most of the people that were involved in LuLaRoe were white, and yes, they were using the attraction of, uh, hey, you can be in charge of this to get the husbands on board, but this was all just manipulation tactics. This wasn't anything to further the patriarchy. It was just a scam where they saw an opening to get both halves of a couple dependent upon them. And I was trying to explain that to these people. I was trying to say, if you recast this from just a scam to 
a scam with a political or social goal, then you're taking your eye off the ball. You have to make the villain the scammers, not make the villain the patriarchy or the white power structure. No matter what you think of the patriarchy and the white power structure and what your opinion is about that, you cannot make the scam about that. The scam is just about making money. So they had a hard time accepting this because they're like, no, 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 but look look at how patriarchy works into this. I go, no, 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 no. You don't understand scams if you say that. So the same thing kind of applies here. So this is what happened. The whole thing with the Ottawa truckers where these truckers are basically shutting down the city of Ottawa and blocking roads, and they were honking their horns to keep people up all night and all day and be as disruptive as possible to protest the COVID vaccine mandates that were being put upon truckers to go back and forth between the U.S. and Canadian border. So they were telling the Canadian government this needs to change that they, some people don't want to be vaccinated who are driving trucks and that they do not want to lose their jobs if they don't and that this needs to change. So the way they decided to do this protest was to organize a massive number of trucks to come into Ottawa, which is the capital of Canada, and just block all the streets with the belief that they have strength in numbers and that there's no way to tow all these trucks, that it would just be too difficult to get control of this. And it's been effective. They've, they've really shut down the city and cause a lot of problems. Now, you're not seeing the type of destruction that we saw in the 2020 riots in the U.S., but this is massively disrupting the city of Ottawa and is a massive problem for anyone who lives there, regardless of their feelings on vaccines and vaccine mandates. Now, while I actually agree with some of the points they're raising, I'll tell you what I don't agree with. I don't agree with blocking roads. I don't agree with shutting down cities. I don't agree with punishing innocent people with your protest. And I said this two years ago about the left-wing protests. I'm saying this right now about those right-wing protests, that it is not acceptable to block streets. It is not acceptable to honk your horn all day and night to keep people awake. It is not acceptable to disrupt cities to get your voice heard. That's not what protests should be about. Because otherwise, it's a slippery slope. Otherwise, it says if you're unhappy with something, you can break the law as much as you want. You can disrupt people's lives as much as you want. You can trap people where they can't use their vehicles because all the roads are blocked. You can do all of this if you feel your cause is important enough. Even if other people don't care about your cause or don't agree with you, they are forced to be restricted by you. And that's not fair. You cannot force others to listen to you. You cannot force others to not be able to have freedom of movement because you want them to listen to you. That's not what protesting should be about. That's not what freedom of speech is about. And if you say, well, look, protest has to be something pretty strong to get people's attention, there's other ways to do it without doing that. Like, for example, the truckers could have said, okay, we're just all going to be in solidarity and not work. So you want to have this vax mandate? Then we're just not going to, we're all going to be in solidarity, vaxxed or unvaxxed. We're just not going to deliver anything. What do you think of that? Is that going to cause hardship? Yes, but it's not actually impeding anyone. What it's doing is it's a refusal to work. And then at that point, the Canadian government has to think about what they want to do. That would have been an effective protest. But what they're doing here is they're actually blocking roads and they are causing a massive disruption to innocent people who had nothing to do with these policies. So 
it's the type of thing that shouldn't be encouraged. And that's why I hated when the BLM protests, which also turned to riots in some places, uh, moved into these cities and blocked roads and trapped people and acts of violence were committed and places were burned down. And I said, that's not protest. That's breaking the law. That's making people unsafe. That's disrupting people's lives. You have a right to be heard, but not to disrupt other people's lives. So I said that two years ago about the left. I'm saying it right now about the right. has nothing to do with whether I agree or disagree with a particular cause. Anyway, just wanted to get out my feelings about that, but that still doesn't have to do with what GoFundMe did. So the, the truckers had some sort of campaign to raise money to support the truckers in this effort. And there's a lot of sympathy for them, especially from the right, both in Canada and the U.S., and, and people who are uh, donating. Trade Risky had to drop out, but uh, I think he's getting it. It has to be at an early meeting. But there are a lot of donations that came in very quickly. And as the donations racked up on GoFundMe, GoFundMe had to make a decision. GoFundMe had to make... They had to decide whether they were willing to process these donations because this is very controversial. Some people complained. Why are you allowing people to donate to these truckers when they're blocking the roads, they are honking their horn all night so people can't sleep, some of them have been violent or have committed acts of vandalism. That's not a major problem, but there's been some of that. So why are we raising money for them? Why are you allowing your platform to be used to raise money for them? So GoFundMe agreed, and they said, okay, we're going to halt this campaign, which is called the uh, Campaign to Raise Money for the Freedom Convoy 2022. That's what it's called, Freedom Convoy 2022. And that uh, $9 million U.S. dollars had been raised with about one point something released to the organizers. So the remainder, which is about $8 million, was not distributed yet. So GoFundMe had to figure out what to do with that $8 million. Now, the most sensible thing to do if they don't want their platform being used to raise money for these truckers is to say, we're going to kick back this money. We're going to refund all of it. So everybody who donated to the Freedom Convoy 2022 that we haven't uh, processed those donations yet as far as withdrawals for the ones it's to benefit, the, for the money that has been uh, not donated, had not, not been cashed out yet, we're going to kick it back to whoever donated. Auto kick it back in full. That should have been what they did, but they didn't. GoFundMe said that the demonstrators, that, 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 that since the demonstrations stopped being peaceful, that while they were at first, that since they haven't been peaceful, they've violated the terms of service by being the promotion of violence and harassment. Now, first of all, that's BS. That's ridiculous. That uh, because uh, some bad actors there committed some crimes, that all of a sudden now the campaign is promoting violence and harassment. No, it's not. The campaign was not saying, send money so we can harass people. <clears throat> Or, or send money so we can uh, commit acts of violence or vandalism. 
the campaign was to support the truckers there. And if some of those there happen to be committing violence and harassment, that's not what the campaign's about. At the same time, if GoFundMe just doesn't want to support this whole thing because they don't like it, that's their right. They don't have to have their platform open to that. They can say, look, we don't believe in this. And also we see some of the people there are committing acts of violence. So we just want no part of it. That would have been fine to say, but there was no violation of terms of service. That was dumb. But who cares? That's the official reason, whatever. They said, we now have evidence from law enforcement that the previously peaceful demonstration has become an occupation with police reports of violence and other unlawful activity. No further funds will be directly distributed to the Freedom Convoy organizers. We will work with organizers to send all remaining funds to credible and established charities verified by GoFundMe. No. No. Why should GoFundMe get this money to distribute to charity? Why? This money was sent by individuals who believed in this protest and wanted money, wanted their money to go to those who were taking part in the protest. Now, if GoFundMe says, we don't want this, we don't want to be the go-between for this, we don't believe in this, fine, then kick the money back. I have no problem with that. But you can't just steal it. You can't just say, you know what? We've only distributed 1 million out of the 9 million. So the remaining eight, we're just going to take. But don't worry, we're giving it to charity. We're going to decide the charities we like. Not the charities you like, but the charities that we like, and it's going to charity. In fact, even if the organizers of this protest chose the charities, it's not fair. Because the money was not given to go to charity. The money was given to directly help the truckers in this protest. Not charities of anyone's choice, especially not GoFundMe's choice. So this is just outright stealing. There's no reason GoFundMe should do this. GoFundMe had and has the capability to auto-refund everybody. So why don't they? Why not just kick it back? Or if they can't determine of that one million that got taken already, of who that belongs to, they could do a prorated refund. They could say, okay, the organizers received one-ninth of the donated funds, so everybody's going to be getting back eight-ninths of their funds that they donated. I think everyone would have been okay with that because the money they donated, one-ninth of it got to the intended recipients, the other eight-ninths didn't, so eight-ninths are coming back. Would have made sense. That's not what they were going to do. They were going to send it to charities of their choice. This did not sit well with a lot of people. But when I say a lot of people, I don't mean just general people. I mean people on the right. You had right-wing politicians You had right-wing people on Twitter. You had right-wing talk show hosts complaining about this. You know who didn't complain about this was anyone on the left. Why? Because they don't like the truckers. They don't like this protest. So they don't want the truckers getting this money. They agree with GoFundMe. So they have no problem with the $8 million being stolen because the $8 million is being stolen from donors they don't like to a cause they don't like. And that's wrong. The right thing to do, no matter what the donations are for or who's giving them, if GoFundMe doesn't want to be part of it, is to refund it, not to steal it and redistribute it. That's not their right to do. Well, the plan to do this did not last very long, and that's because 
Republican politicians got involved and started to threaten some pretty dire consequences. And GoFundMe realized they weren't going to get away with this. Ron DeSantis, who is, of course, a presidential hopeful for maybe 2024, and if not then, sometime soon after that, got involved in this matter and decided that he is going to threaten to investigate through the state's attorney general this entire matter. So GoFundMe could have been in some criminal hot water for the theft of funds. And DeSantis said he's going to order his state's attorney general to investigate GoFundMe. And of course, uh, other politicians then followed suit in West Virginia, same thing. So GoFundMe realized that they were about to be the subject of a criminal investigation for the theft of $8 million. And to be honest, that's really what they did. They stole $8 million. They did not have the right to just take that money and redistribute it. The money did not belong to them. They are a go-between. Now, GoFundMe's excuse at first was, hey, you can get a refund. See, we're giving you a form you can fill out. And if you fill out the form, and if you finish the form before February 19th, well, then you can get your money back instead of it going to the charity. So what's the problem here? If you fill out the form by February 19th, then you'll get your money. Otherwise, we'll donate your money to charity. Now, what's wrong with that? They're giving people a choice, right? No. It's what's called a negative checkoff scam. Well, it's not called that. I call it that. That's my turn. But it is a negative checkoff scam. A negative checkoff scam is a scam where it hits a lot of people and anybody who complains gets their money back, but they know that a certain percentage, sometimes a large percentage, will say nothing and then they get to keep it. So it's a very powerful scam because the perpetrators can say, look, we'll give back anyone the money that wants it. We're not refusing anyone a refund. Well, what about the people who don't ask? Oh, yeah, yeah, we're keeping that. But, you know, they could have asked for a refund. They chose not to. So it's not a scam. It is. There's no such thing that you can steal and only give back the money to those who ask for it back. When you steal, you return the money you stole. That is your effort, not their effort. Nobody should have to go back and ask for the money that was stolen from them. You just give it back. If you count on people not asking for it back, then yes, you are still a thief. Yes, you are still a scammer. And that's what GoFundMe was trying to do. It is a negative checkoff scam. Also, notice the short time. Why only till February 19th? Why give them only a little bit more than two weeks to get back their money? Why not make it at least 30 days or 60 days? Why why two weeks? We know why two weeks, because they wanted to keep as much money as possible. So they put a very short deadline on it, and you had to fill out a form. So DeSantis wasn't having this. Other Republican politicians were not having this. Also, of course, since this outraged the right, this did allow people like DeSantis to score political points doing so where they look like they're fighting for the rights of the people, which they are, but they're also doing it for political points they will receive for doing so. Then they can brag, hey, look, we cared about the people. We didn't let GoFundMe steal from you. And people say, oh, wow, look, uh, DeSantis is such a nice guy. He cares about us. That's Politicians love this from both sides. But the left didn't want to touch this. And that is unfortunately how divided and partisan we have become, that we can't even have universal agreement that a scam is a scam. 
we can't just have universal agreement across political lines that a company keeping people's money donated for a certain cause that they refuse to allow to withdraw that money instead of refunding it they redistribute it or at least that was the plan and then they put a negative checkoff scam in place to make it look like anyone has an option for a refund this should have been condemned by everybody not just those who are sympathetic to the truckers now you may ask what if this were reversed what if this were a blm fundraiser and gofundme decided they didn't want part of this and gofundme did this same negative checkoff scam would ron DeSantis say that he's going to investigate them for this probably not would other right-wing politicians go after gofundme probably not would left-wing politicians be going after gofundme yes and that's what's sad I'm not even saying that if this were all reversed, that it wouldn't be happening the same way, except with a different side caring. So really, there should never be justification for stealing based upon politics. If someone wants to donate to the truckers, they should not have their money stolen, even if you don't like that donation and don't agree with it. But I think if you asked a lot of people on the left... How do you feel about this? They say, oh yeah, screw those people. I'm happy they got their money stolen. Supporting these terrible truckers over there. No. People should have a right to get their donations to where they're trying to send them. It should not be commandeered by a third party who decides that they're going to take the money and donate it elsewhere. Can you imagine you donate to a cause and someone says, no, no, no. We're taking that money. It's going to go to a different cause you don't like. Thanks. You'd be furious, right? doesn't matter what political side you were on. It was a negative checkoff scam. GoFundMe is a scummy company. They suck, and they were trying to commit theft, and I'm glad it was stopped. All right, I'm done. Long show. I do not have the energy to edit it right now, so it'll be up later. I'll tell you something. I'm not sure if this is going to mean anything. It's hard to take anything seriously that's happening during radio because it it does take a lot out of me to talk for this long. And I was doing this mostly by myself, so there wasn't a lot of break. But towards the end of the show, I'm feeling stuffed up. I did have to mute it a few times to blow my nose. So I don't think I have Omicron, but remember, I was tired the last few days leading up to the show but I didn't get very good sleep so I blamed it on that but I guess it's possible I'm coming down with a cold I guess there's even an outside chance that I'm coming down with something that's not a cold it's also possible that uh, once I get some good sleep and don't have to talk for nine hours straight that I will feel good again but if this is me getting sick and it's showing up during radio then there may not be a show next week, but I'll keep you updated. Twitter.com slash PokerFraudAlert is the best place to read about these updates. And you'll see when the next show is. But I haven't decided yet when it will be. And I especially can't decide if I'm going to be getting sick. But hopefully this congestion is just from talking or whatever. 
But that might explain things. I just haven't felt the energy to do the show the last few days. Didn't feel sick, just felt such little energy and had a little trouble sleeping. Alrighty. Well, thank you for listening. And we'll see how much longer Christopher Mitchell lasts on YouTube. Or if YouTube is going to take down his replacement pages. I hope so. Hopefully, soon enough he'll be gone. But he's like the bad guy in a horror movie. He just keeps rising from the dead in an endless pursuit of his victims. Shalom. Shalom.